You like Huey Lewis on the news? Uh, they're okay. Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. The whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. He's been compared to Elvis Costello, but I think Huey has a far more bitter, cynical sense of humor. Hey, Alan. Yes, Alan? Why are the copies of the style section all over the place? Do you, do you have a dog? A little chow or something? <laughs> no, Alan. Is that a raincoat? Yes, it is. In 87, Huey released this. Four, their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip to Be Square. A song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics. But they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of friends. It's also a personal statement about the band itself. Hey, Paul! Yeah, it's American Psycho from the year 2000, and the song Hip to Be Square from 1986 by Huey Lewis. If you haven't seen American Psycho, interesting movie. You should check it out from 15 years ago. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. This is being recorded and broadcast live on October 29th, 2015. Somewhere between 7.30 and 8 p.m. is our starting time, though we will go for a while. I am Todd Dandruff Wattellis, and I have a revolving door of co-hosts who join me. Sometimes they are friends of mine. Sometimes they are people I barely know. Sometimes it's people kind of in between. Some days there's no co-hosts. What will happen tonight? I'm not sure. Brandon Drexel Gerson, who appeared in the second half of the show last week, may or may not show up in the later portion of the show. He actually told me earlier today that if I had told him we're on tonight, that he probably would have been able to make it but that he didn't realize we were on tonight so i can kind of understand that because this has been an erratic schedule recently to say the least but uh, oh i got a text here from somebody who would like to co-host who's been on here before so i'll definitely take this guy up on it definitely take him up on this here just gonna connect him see if he's on skype Anyway, in the meantime, tonight we have a free roll, which will be starting in 15 minutes. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which is part of Poker Fraud Alert. You can find it near the top of the screen. 
It starts at 8.10 Pacific Time, and all $75 from this free roll were surprisingly donated by Bad Guy 23. Bad Guy made a bet with me regarding the Dodgers. Of course, I bet for the Dodgers. He bet against. I lost, and he donated 75 of his winnings back to the free roll, which is very generous of him. So, Bad Guy, who's kind of a comic relief character, one of several we have for this show, came through... For sure, this time, and not even with content, but with money, which surprises a lot of people. So, he's the one who's paid for the free roll tonight. You can thank him if you win. And the rules for the free roll, and whether you qualify for it, are listed on PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. And you have to read the rules and understand if you qualify. You have to follow the instructions there, or otherwise you will not get the free money if you finish in one of the top four places. I don't change the rules very often, so they stay the same pretty much every week, but make sure you're familiar with them, especially if you're new to the site. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. The way the money breaks down tonight, first place will be $35, second place will be $20, third place will be $12, and fourth will be 8 Those are the four places that will be paid. So, let's see if we can get our co-host on here before we do anything further. And then we will go on with the intro to this show, the streamlined intro, which is no longer 45 minutes like it used to be, by popular demand. Ah, here we are. Hey, Draft. Hello, so I'm hearing uh, vehicles in the background. This is Trader Ski or Trader Ruski, depending on what you want to call them. Welcome back to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Thank you. Thank, and thank you for joining me tonight. It's always better when I have a co-host. Always better. And it's easier on me. It's better for the show and it's easier on me. When I do these shows by myself for like four hours, five hours, I, I finish and I just feel like really worn out. And I, my, my throat hurts. And I just kind of feel like, uh, boy, that was kind of tough because it's one thing to have like a phone call for four or five hours where you're talking back and forth and you get some rest. But on this show, when I just talk, 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 talk for four or five hours, it, it's a killer. You can't get used to that. And I, I don't know any other radio host who does that, who talks like four or five hours with zero interruption. So it's always nice to have a co-host here who can interrupt me. So what is the noise in the background? What's the vehicles? Are you in the car? No, I'm just out walking the dog. Okay. I'll be muting when I'm not talking. Okay, it's okay. a little windy here in L.A. Our power was out from 4.30 in the morning to like 1 in the afternoon today, so it's brutal. But. Really? You know, I, I want to mention this, too, because I posted it on my Facebook. I don't post very many status messages on Facebook, but I always feel like I'm intruding on Facebook if I post too many status messages, like it's going to clog up your news feed. So I don't do it very often. But... I posted today just because I was kind of fascinated that L.A. has had the warmest October I remember ever. And basically, it's been like a second summer in Los Angeles. For those of you that don't know, L.A. is not like Miami where it's like hot all year round. So L.A. actually has a winter. It doesn't have a winter like New York or Chicago, but it has a winter where it gets significantly cooler than the summer. Some people don't know this. They come to L.A. in December expecting to go to the beach and it'd be 85 degrees, and then they're disappointed when it's 63 and raining. But uh, this October has been very strange in that the entire month has been summer-like from start to finish. And uh, 
the forecast for the next few days of October, same thing. So October's going to finish in Los Angeles with the average low never having been reached. The average low in Los Angeles is 59 degrees in October. It has never been lower than 61 at any point in the month of October. doesn't matter, 5 in the morning, 4 in the morning. It's never been cooler than 61, and just about every day has been above 80, some over 90, even a few over 100. So this has been, uh, I'm sure you've noticed this too, that uh, this month it's like the summer's still going. Absolutely, and I mean, even in the hot days have been hot. Yeah. I mean, it's been brutal. Yeah, and it's been hot, and then and then there's other side effects like there's uh, there's bugs that usually stay around in the summer that are gone or at least uh, inactive by October, and they're still around the mosquitoes, the ants, and uh, it it really is like the summer's just not ending, and it's going to abruptly fall off next week. Starting next week, we're going to have fall in Los Angeles finally, and I, it probably will stay that way for a few months. So anyway, here is the agenda for this evening. Actually, before we get to that, I'll tell you the other little intro pieces that we always do here. The phone number to call the show is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line at 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. That's an old rotary 1970s telephone I have on top of Mount Charleston. And it forwards to wherever I go. But number, which number you call, whether it's 775-FRAUD-55 or 702-430-1808, make sure to show your caller ID or you won't get through. You can also text me during the show at the main phone number, 775-372-8355. You can text me after the show, during the show, before the show, but I will probably read your texts on the air if you text me unless you ask me not to. As I mentioned last week, I even get some trolls texting me. But I, I decided I'm not going to give the trolls attention anymore. Like, if, if you're going to send me... You can disagree with me if you want. You can, And I've gotten messages before that are very respectful and just say, I don't agree with what you said. And people who have respectful arguments with me back and forth. But, but I just don't like when I get texts people insulting me and stuff like that. That's, a, that's not respectful disagreement. That's just trying to be nasty. So uh, you can still send me those texts if you want. Anybody can text me, but I'm just I'm just not going to respond or reveal them on this show if they're of that variety. Uh, but I will read any other texts that are just critical of me or critical of something I say. I'm not going to cover those up, and I will read those on the air probably. I'm not just trying to whitewash the texts that I get. Uh, you can also go in the chat room during the show. You need a flash-enabled device, meaning no iPhones or iPads. I wish they'd finally get that taken care of, but... Apple and Adobe don't get along, never have. But if you don't have an iPhone or iPad, you can go into, or if you're not using one of those, you can go into the chat room during the live broadcast and chat with the other people during the show. I don't read the chat room very often. I glance at it occasionally, but I don't read it very often. It's more to interact with the other people listening live, and that's by pressing the chat button near the top of the screen. You need an active account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum to get in there. If you do call me during the show and I don't answer, just try back in like 15 minutes. It just means I'm busy and I can't take your call at the moment. But don't hammer me with like 50 calls straight. I just will block your number. You have to remember I do everything here, except for when I have a co-host who helps me speak, which is good. But on the technical side, I do everything during the show. So, And I'm also hosting it, so it's, it's a lot to do for one person, so I... Don't want to be hammered with 50 phone calls during the show. Here's the agenda tonight. 
Valeriu Coca, you may remember that name, he was accused of cheating with some sort of uh, card marking, and he's been in trouble for this before, but he was accused of cheating during the Heads Up event at the World Series of Poker in the summer. Uh, his prize money was held up by the World Series while they investigated. Well, the World Series has come to a conclusion as far as the investigation is concerned. I'll tell you what that conclusion was and what I think of it. The Poker Hall of Fame has elected two new inductees. John Juwanda and Jennifer Harmon are now Poker Hall of Fame members, but I have been long critical of the Poker Hall of Fame of their shady and non-transparent process of elections and their voting system, which is very easy to be gamed by those who wish to kind of cheat for their friends. So I'll explain once again the problem with the Poker Hall of Fame. I'll tell you about how it got even worse, according to reports from Kev Math, a listener to this show. And uh, I'll tell you what I think of the candidates who were elected. Speaking of candidates, the Republican debate was last night. I watched it, and I was surprised to see that daily fantasy sports came up as a topic in the Republican presidential campaign. I was Republican uh, presidential debate, not campaign. I was shocked to hear that, but we didn't get to hear much of an answer on it because Chris Christie, one of the candidates, shut down the topic. I'll play you those clips and tell you what I think of what Governor Christie did. Phil Hellmuth agreed to coach short-stacked November Niner Federico Buteroni and then backed out. (laughs) So we'll tell you a little bit about that and play a little clip of Phil promoting his coaching and then turns out it's not going to be. Terrence Chan, who hosts the 2 Plus 2 poker cast along with Adam Schwartz. I don't think Terrence listens to this show, but I know Adam does. And they do a good job with it. And I've known Terrence for a while. We're not friends, but I've known him. He's known me. He's a pretty soft-spoken guy, but Terrence Chan got in a confrontation, a pretty loud confrontation, with World Series of Poker tournament director Jack Effel. Of all people, of all people to go at it with Jack Effel, loud, During a tournament, it's Terrence Chan, of all people. So I will not describe this. I will let Terrence Chan describe this by pirating a copyrighted broadcast that kind of competes with this show. But nevertheless, I'll let him describe it. And then I'll give you my comments on the situation. For those of you who have played online poker, you may have chosen to use a four-color deck to make it easier to see the suits. This way, if you're multi-tabling, you're kind of tired and just relaxing, you don't have to squint at the screen to tell the difference between spades and clubs or diamonds and hearts. Four different colors. I like a four-color deck. Well, I always wondered, will that ever catch on in real life? Maybe, because a four-color deck is going to be debuting in Malta for the tournament there. And I'll discuss whether I think it's a good idea for the World Series to adopt this four-color deck. There are two major rewards programs for casinos out there. The one I talk about the most and the one I am a more active member of is Total Rewards for Caesars. But 
this is not going to be about total rewards for Caesars. This is about the other one, MGM M Life. Very similar to total rewards, except it's the MGM version of it. I have learned recently that MGM M Life is severely under-rewarding players who play at non-Las Vegas properties. That is, if you gamble at an MGM property that's not located in Las Vegas, they're going to give you a lot less, tier credit-wise, a lot less. You're going to be very disappointed when you hear this if you play in MGM properties outside of Vegas. You may already know this, though, but if you don't, uh, it's important to hear. General topics for tonight, just general discussion of the Republican debate. We'll cover the fantasy sports thing earlier in the show, but the rest of the debate, which doesn't have to do with gambling, we'll talk about in the general topics of the show, and that segment towards the end. Everybody likes a good dandruff customer service nightmare story, and yeah, the stories I typically tell tend to be Current. I tell you about things that I ha- am currently going through or went through fairly recently. You may wonder, what was I like 20 years ago? Was I similar? Was I different? Was I worse? Was I better? If you met me 20 years ago, how different would I be? Well, I'm going to tell you a story that occurred at an amusement park just about exactly 20 years ago. A Halloween-themed version of an amusement park called Knott's Berry Farm that they call Knott's Scary Farm. It's very popular, still is popular to this day. I got in a big standoff there at the log ride of Knott's Scary Farm, and it really was a standoff. I'll tell you what happened there and who was victorious in the great log ride standoff of 1995. <laughs> it's, it's a real story, though. It's a real story, and I'm only telling it to entertain the audience. No other reason other than it's been like just about exactly 20 years. I posted about this on the forum and got some flack. So I'm going to talk about it on the radio show, probably get additional flack. Some of you may have seen the video from South Carolina where a white cop lifts a black female teenager, a high school student, out of her desk at school and uh, kind of throws her to the ground. Because she refused to leave the class. When the teacher asked her to leave the class, she would not leave. She said, I'm staying here. I'm not going anywhere. The police were called. She still wouldn't leave. I mean, the police were called, meaning that uh, there's an officer on campus because it's kind of a rough school. But uh, the cop came in. She still wouldn't leave no matter what the cop said. So he forcibly removed her and it kind of got out of hand. So I will – I'm not going to bother playing the video because all you can hear is sounds. It's not going to mean very much to a radio audience. But I will discuss my opinion on the whole situation, and it might be different than what you think about it. Once again, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Free roll starting right now. You do have 25 minutes of late registration. Let me take a look at the texts we've got before we begin our program. And uh, by the way, don't send me pictures because I can't receive them on this text phone number. I don't know why, but uh, the app I'm using to receive these texts just says MMS received and then won't let me open it. And I 
cannot really figure out why that is. All right, so here is from the 941 area. I just pulled a 40-foot pipe from my ass and then said, please discuss the pros and cons of eating Judonk's ass. And And then he says, if discussed at length, I'll donate $50 next show. And this guy's not even kidding. I know who it is. Uh, It's amazing. We actually have people who want to hear certain things on this show like that and then try to attach money to it. I never know what to do because I, I like money being donated to the free roll, but like I, I can't discuss the pros and cons of eating Judonk's ass. I just like I can't do it. Uh, I also got a $50 offer. If we make the show five hours or more, we'll get $50 for next week. That's more reasonable. I don't know if we're going to make it, but we might. Someone from the 410 saying they can co-host. Actually, I know who it is. Uh, he said he can co-host if I can deal with a cell phone. He doesn't have a mic or headset for Skype. Hmm. I mean, maybe. I, I don't love the cell phone co-hosting thing because the sound quality is not that good, no matter how good your cell phone is. In fact, uh, Newsflash, for those of you unaware of this, cell phones have worse sound quality than home phones do. In fact, my home phone from 1975 probably has better sound quality than your cell phone does. It's true. They've actually degraded sound quality over the years because uh, they can carry more over the uh, over the network if they don't make it as high fidelity. Because basically what your cell phone's doing, it's all digital now. What your cell phone's doing is it's taking your voice, it's trans- translating into a data file, is sending that data file over the airwaves into its network and then uh, receiving it on the other end and translating it back to a voice. And depending on how, on what the bit rate is that they are using for that and, and the compression that they're doing, the quality of the sound of your voice is not going to be as high as it would be on an analog connection like uh, regular landlines have been. And even... Digital landlines right now still sound better than cell phones because they're not uh, trying to conserve data as much. This is from the 805 area code. Been a listener in the archives for a couple of years. I am a proud hat recipient. This is someone I have uh, sent a hat to. Looking to play next free roll to sign up for poker account as Gutito21. Will you approve the account? Yes, I know who you are. Go ahead and play. From the 702, blackjack question. Can you explain what would happen to you if you walked into the Venetian to play blackjack, bet five a hand until you got a good count, and then bet 300 a hand? Um, I'd probably be kicked out of the blackjack game. There's also a lot of variance to doing that. Technically, that's positive expectation to do, but there's a lot of variance. If you're okay with the variance and you're also okay with being kicked, that's fine, but... <laughs> That's never suggested to use such a betting strategy in card counting. From the 347, great. Good to have Trader Ski back on. I like the long intros. Oh, someone who likes the long intros. Interesting. From the 816, I believe this is from Jay Searles. Are you going to discuss the, to discuss the rich man's Royals? It's because the Royals, his favorite team you know, from his area, he's from the Kansas City area, are obviously doing very well in the World Series right now. Up 2-0 on the Mets. I don't know. I lose a good deal of interest 
in the baseball playoffs once the Dodgers are out, or if they don't make it at all. So I, I lose the interest kind of the same way I lose the interest in a tournament after I get knocked out of it. I, I like I want to see who wins, but I, I don't really want to watch it. So it's kind of the same thing. It's just kind of depressing to watch teams playing at the end of the playoffs that could be the Dodgers but are not. And for the 915, just clarifying for me, they have resource officers in most schools, not just rough ones. Okay. You know, it's been a long time since I've been in school. There's no resource officer or any kind of cop in the school I went to. And yes, I went to a public school. But I know it's been a long time. I graduated 25 years ago. So you might be correct. All right, so uh, let's get going here and discuss the first topic. And that is about Villarreal Coca and the investigation into the cheating incident at the World Series coming to a close. Which I I thought it was already over. I thought it was basically done. So this is kind of surprising to me. And I talked to Brandon about this today, and he said the same thing. He's like, can you believe this? I, I thought this was long over. And I said, yeah, I thought it was too. But it's not. Well, it is now, but it wasn't until today. Uh, here's a statement from the World Series of Poker. Once issues were brought to our attention, we immediately commenced an investigation and worked cooperatively with the Nevada Gaming Control Board. The investigation that was performed has now been completed by all parties. At this time, the matter is considered closed. Closed, not closed. (laughs) And the fifth place finisher in event number 10, the 10K Heads Up event, will now have his funds released for payment. So he gets away with it, basically. He gets his fifth place money. And uh, Valerio Coca, this is the story for those of you that remember, uh, he was accused of engaging in some kind of card marking. He was playing really, really strange, almost like he knew what his opponents had, almost like he was a super user, except it was live. This was in the 10K Heads Up event at the World Series of Poker uh, this year. And he got very far. He ended up finishing fifth place. So what happened was his his uh, opponents were getting very suspicious. This occurred in June. I'm going to read again the... Statement made by Connor Dreenan, who played against him, and eventually talked to other players. And then I'll give you my opinion of the World Series of Poker's decision to award this guy his prize money. Connor said, we were trying to keep things quiet until we gave the World Series adequate time to investigate the situation and come up with a solution. But there are lots of rumors circulating, and a lot of people know bits and pieces. I might as well clear things up. Pratyush Bodiga was the first to lose to him. He's my good friend, but he seemed pretty tilted, so I didn't ask details until I found out that Valerie was my next opponent. I asked for reads and whatnot, and he basically told me he was really slow and passive in the beginning and then picked up the pace as the match went on as far as speed of play and aggression. He thought he was stalling at the beginning to give himself a better shot to win at a higher blind level. He said he would stall by rechecking his cards a bunch of different angles when it was clear he made up his mind to fold already. So basically he thought that uh, at first that this Coca character was just 
stalling through the uh, earlier levels because he wasn't as good. And a less skilled player has a higher chance to win against a better player when the blinds are higher because luck becomes much more of a factor. Everybody's less deep. So that's what at first what he thought the guy was doing. Uh, so then Connor said he did the same thing in my match. For the first ten hands or so, he folded to most of my button opens and, even, and either limped or folded the button, doing the same obnoxious card-checking tactics. I was thinking, man, this guy this guy's going to be a breeze. From that point on, I won very few pots the rest of the match. Every time I had a good starting hand, he folded. If I had a bad one, he raised or re-raised. If I whiffed a flop, he attacked my continuation bets. If I whiffed and went for a delayed continuation bet, he blasted into me every time. If I hit and bet, he folded. Hit and checked, he checked, etc., etc. So just like a super user again, like just someone who can see your cards. But this is live. How is that possible? He said, this is, it's probably the most frustrating match of my life, and I've played a ton of heads up. He grinded me down to 80K from 240K starting. At this point, I was playing super passive as his aggression was out of control. I made my first button raise a while in, in a while, which was a shove with pocket threes, and he snapped me with king five offsuit for 20 big blinds. I held and won my only significant pot of the match, but he went back to grinding me down to 60K and then won a flip to end the match. I remember him folding four times total pre-flop once the blinds got big. Number one, he folded to me when I had pocket aces. Just open folded to him. Two, he folded to my min raise when I had ace jack suited. Three, I capped my cards and waited for him to look at his cards for the first time in the match as I was staring to, as starting to get really skeptical. He acted surprised and flustered and waited and walked before I uncovered my hand. Unco- walked meaning he just folded to him. After checking my hold cards, Jack-9 offsuit, I looked behind me to see if there was a chance he had a friend on the rail who could see my cards, but there was no way. He seemed very weirded out that I did that and again walked me. Those are the four times he folded. I stormed out of the Rio as tilted as I've ever been after busting a tournament and immediately messaged Pratt saying I felt something major was off with the match. It didn't make sense that the guy grinding 300 euro MTTs in Eastern Europe who's never played World Series before would come here for a 10K heads up and be such a beast. I ranted to Pratt all the things that were weird, both mannerisms and, played he ma- and plays he made against me. Pratt said he felt the exact same way about the match, but didn't say anything at first because he figured he was just being a sore loser. I then mentioned the other two players he beat, Matt Marafiati of all people and Aaron Memelstein, and they both had a, yeah, I felt totally owned, couldn't win a pot thing. Uh, yeah, he w- the thing he was doing with his cards was really weird, etc. type of responses. I called my other good friend, Byron Caverman, and warned him about everything as they were scheduled to play in the next round of 16 players left in the next morning. We figured we should also tell Jack Ethel so they could be on the lookout. Byron said he knew Jack well, so he would talk to him. I went to bed questioning myself and wondering if I was just being a sore loser. I then woke up in the morning to a message on Facebook from a Czech friend of mine that read, Hey, man, just woke up and found out you were heads up with a guy who made a lot of money in cash games in Prague. He has been banned in Czech poker casinos for cheating. Guy was marking cards. We can talk in person a little bit later. So... And then he wrote, I instantly passed this along to Byron. He said Jack was in on it, and they were actually on it, not in on it. Jack was not in on the cheating, to be clear. And they were monitoring him via cameras and also switching up the decks frequently. My friend also sent me this article where you have to translate to English with your browser. And it was one about basically him being caught cheating in Czechoslovakia. I spoke with Byron after the match. He said he was 100% sure the guy was trying to cheat and watching the cards very closely after the dealer dealt off the deck, but that he did a pretty good job covering his cards, and the decks were switched up, so it was hard for Coca to work his magic. Uh, but then Coca got past him because he won a, a, a 20% chance uh, all-in. 
His next opponent, Keith Lear, also, also was warned about Coca. At this point, Coca probably knew that he'd been exposed based on the attention his matches were receiving for the floor, and he lost in Keith to fifth place. Our speculation that he was using some kind of invisible ink in combination with special sunglasses, we haven't heard much from the World Series, but what little I've heard would I'd rather keep to myself for now. So that's basically it. Here is my problem about the way this was handled by the players. A trader ski, uh, you, you with me here? Uh oh, we've already lost trader ski. We're not to get. Nope, I'm I'm here. Just okay, had to get it off mute. Okay, so I, I know I've discussed this before back in June, but I'll, I'll do it again since we have this uh, new addition to the story. If you and your friends notice this guy that was probably cheating by marking cards with invisible ink or whatever, and then another friend of yours was to play next, what would be the smartest thing to do to catch him? Well, I think you got to make Jack Ethel aware of it, and I think they have to save the cards if they think it's something with invisible ink or something. Right, right. So you got to make Jack Ethel aware, and you've got to act completely natural, like nobody has had this reported yet. Like You, you can't act all funny there. And, and act like you've discovered the guy, like like switching decks a million times and uh, uh, the floor standing around there. Uh, the, the cheater here is not that stupid. He knows if things suddenly look weird after he's been cheating everyone, uh, he knows to back off and not do it anymore. So you, you've got to make the situation look exactly as it did when you suspect he was cheating. And this way he will feel comfortable to continue cheating. So you just you should play, you should tell Jack and then you should tell Jack, hey, don't increase the heat. Let's play it out normally, except um, I'm going to come to you at some point in the match. At that point, please stop the match, grab the deck, and check it. And check his sunglasses. Take him completely by surprise. So the, so the next player should have played him normally. Let him do his passive crap at the beginning, which he has a right to do, of course. You know, anyone can play whatever style they want. But as soon as he turns up the aggression and starts playing weird, put a halt to the match. Have Jack grab the deck immediately and analyze it and, and take a look at his sunglasses, too. And at that point, raise the issue. And if you catch him at that point, great. And if you don't, then you know maybe you were wrong. I don't think you were, given this guy's history and what several players independently noticed and the fact that this guy was playing much higher than he ever had played in, uh, in Europe. But uh, that's the way you catch him. So and, anyway, what the World Series ended up doing is uh, they analyzed... The decks they found, the decks they took from him, but uh, by then it was too late. He obviously knew what was going on. He didn't mark anything. So they did not find any markings on the cards from uh, carefully analyzing them. And after an exhaustive investigation, they found no proof that he was cheating. So I agree. The World Series, if they do not find proof that an accused cheater is cheating, they have to give him the money. They can't just say, well, these, these friends all think you are cheating. We've got to confiscate it from you. They can't do that. Now, I think the World Series should probably tell him he's not welcome back, and they have a right to do that to anyone. They could say that uh, because just based on his being caught cheating in Czechoslovakia is a perfect reason. They don't even need a reason. They can just kick anyone out at any time as long as it's not discrimination. Like They, they can't say we're not allowing you to play in the World Series because you're black or you're female or you're old. They, they can't do that, but they can say we're not allowing you to play just because we don't want you here. And as long as it can't be proven it's discrimination, which this guy could never prove because that's not what it is, uh, you have no legal recourse. So 
I, I'm hoping they at least don't allow him to come back. And if they do, I hope they are watching him carefully. But uh, they have to award him the money he won because they do not have the evidence to confiscate it because they did not prove he was cheating. And uh, in order to confiscate money like that, they have to do it through the Nevada Gaming Control Board. They can't just decide on their own to take the guy's money. I believe he was cheating. I'd be shocked if this was totally on the level. I'd be shocked if all these guys suspected the same thing of a guy who was already caught cheating that they didn't realize was a previous cheater and that he wasn't actually cheating. I mean, that would be like the biggest coincidence ever. But they blew it because that's not how you catch someone. You don't make, when you're like on a little undercover operation, which is what they were doing here, they didn't go to Coca and say, hey, we think you're cheating, so you better be careful. Like they, they tried to play it normally, but they screwed it up. They were changing the decks. They, they had the floor men standing around. Like, what, what the hell are they doing? They have to try to duplicate the exact situation where he was cheating. So he'll do it again. You spook him, he's not going to do it again. It's like if you suspect a guy in the neighborhood is breaking into houses in the area at night, uh, you don't follow him in plain sight. Or he's not going to break in anywhere. I mean, this is so simple. I do, it's amazing how naive poker players are sometimes. And this doesn't hurt me any. I'm not mad about it. I just think they blew it. They could have caught a cheater by just acting natural. And they didn't act natural. Everybody everybody tipped them off in too many different ways. They played differently. They, they had the Jack Heffel and the other guy standing around. They're swapping the decks constantly. Come on. He knows what, he, he knows what happened. So at that point, he thinks, okay, the jig is up. I've got to just play normally and and try to beat these good players. And he got lucky with one of them, and the other one he lost to. So, okay, he still got fifth place in a 10K event. So they blew it. The players blew it. If you ever suspect anyone's cheating, you should report it as it's happening. And if you don't, for whatever reason, because maybe you discover it when you think about it more clearly at home later, if there's a second opportunity to catch the person doing the same thing, always keep it natural. Do not ever have him realize that you're on to him or he's not going to cheat again. That's how you catch someone red-handed. Okay, so let's go to the Poker Hall of Fame topic. The Poker Hall of Fame is very, very flawed. I, I like that it exists. I think it's a nice thing to have to recognize some of the best players in the game. I don't even mind the fact that they're inducting some people who were very important to poker off the felt. Sports do it too. You have broadcasters in the baseball and basketball halls of fame. You, I mean, that's uh, like Vince Scully. He's in the Hall of Fame, but he's never played baseball professionally. And that's fine. But you don't see Vince Scully competing with players to be elected to the Hall of Fame. It's a completely separate process. So that's the first problem with the Poker Hall of Fame is that non-players and players compete in the same election. And they can only elect at most two people out of the ten nominees. There's ten nominees and at most two players are elected. It can be zero, one, or two. That's the first problem, but it's not even close to the biggest problem. 
Second problem is the whole thing's not transparent. It's not transparent how people are nominated. It's not transparent how the voting goes. It's not transparent uh, what the voting results are. Nothing's transparent. No good reason. It's just not transparent. They can try to claim, well, we don't want to embarrass anybody who got very few votes. But I don't like that. And if they're going to claim that, at least claim who just missed it. At least say the top two got this many votes and number three and number four got this many. Because it's not embarrassing to come in third or fourth out of ten. But I think the biggest problem with the Poker Hall of Fame is the fact that it's very easy to manipulate the voting. And people believe that the voting has been manipulated to elect people's friends. That's how Tom McAvoy got in. That's how Jack McClelland got in over very much more worthy candidates. The way they can do this is twofold. First of all, there have been known to be voting blocks where existing Poker Hall of Fame members who are voting, it's, it's a combination of votes from existing Hall of Fame members and the media. Existing Hall of Fame members can get together and decide to vote the same way on people they want to see get in, which is very powerful. But what's even more powerful is the very shady and flawed voting system they have. What you're supposed to do as a voting party for the Poker Hall of Fame is you have a list of 10 names who are nominated, and you rank them from 1 to 10 as far as who you think should get in. So number one is the one you think is most deserving. Number 10 is least deserving. But the catch and the trick is you don't have to put a number in front of everybody's name. So if all those 10 people nominated, if you just think one is deserving of the Hall of Fame, you just put one next to his name and leave the rest blank. So what happens is for every one someone receives, they get 10 points. Every two, they get nine. Every three, they get eight points. All the way down to 10, they get one point. If they're not listed at all, if they don't get any number next to their name, then they get zero. So on a ballot where someone puts one next to the only person they want to see get in and leaves the rest blank, that person gets 10 points and the rest get zero. The reason that's such a big edge is because on another ballot, if all 10 names are filled in, then whoever is put as number one does not gain as many points on the rest of the people. Because remember, it doesn't matter what your point total is. It matters how much you're gaining on each people from each, on each person from each vote. So let's say I'm on the ballot, and let's say, Traderski, you're on the ballot as well. If someone puts me as number one and you as number two, I've only gained one point on you. Because I get 10 points, you get 9 points. However, if I get my buddy to just put me and not you, then I gain 10 points on you, which is very, very strong. If I get four of my buddies in the Hall of Fame to put me down and, never, and leave you off, then I gain 40 points on you. So you can imagine how this is very hard to overcome, especially when most of the other people are, are listing all 10 names, and there's no way to gain 10 points on anyone when all 10 are listed. Especially if a lot of the same people are getting up, uh, you know, putting first and second, then you're only gaining, you know, they're only gaining a few. So just to give you an example, uh, John Juwanda, let's say four people just voted for him and no one else. He gains 40 on, on everybody. Uh, David Chu, if he is put as number two, if he's put as number one on four other ballots, 
but John Juwanda is put as number two on those four ballots. David Chu only gains four points on him. So they both got four first places. But out of those eight ballots, even though they split the first place vote, John Juwanda would have gained on him 36 points, which is crazy. So that's the problem. And this is very, very easy to manipulate. It has been figured out that a very small number of voters by doing this and getting together and deciding who to vote for and voting for only one or two people and leaving the rest blank can pretty much clinch the voting to where it's not mathematically clinched, but where uh, it'd be very, very difficult for anybody to overcome that. So for many years, it was alleged that Doyle was the one behind getting these voting blocks together. Some even said Howard Lederer was doing it too. This year, it seems Daniel Negreanu, who's a recent inductee himself, that he is now engaging in the same thing. But Daniel's not a dumb guy. Daniel's aware of how to game these processes too. So I don't think it's coincidence that John Juwanda and Jennifer Harmon are both close friends of his. And yet guys like David Chu, who are very, very deserving, did not get in. Now, I agree that John Juwanda belongs in, but Jennifer Harmon, she was marginal. She wasn't a horrible inductee like Tom McAvoy or Jack McClelland, but there were more deserving players than her, especially she is. Uh, she really doesn't have much in tournament results, especially recently. And cash-wise, I mean, she's respected, but at the same time, uh, I've heard conflicting stories on how successful she's been cash-wise. Some people have told me she doesn't even win. You may say, well, then how is she not broke? Well, she, she owned part of Full Tilt for quite some time. So if she didn't blow the money, uh, she wouldn't be close to broke. Keep in mind, I'm not saying Jennifer Harmon's a bad player. Uh, the games she plays in are against very, very, very tough players. But if you don't win, you don't win. It doesn't matter. Yeah, if, the, if the competition's really tough and, and you lose to them, you've still lost. There may be some honor in playing a game like that and holding your own, but if you're not winning, you're not winning. I've always said it's uh, better to beat bad competition than lose against good competition, unless you're just playing for ego. So I don't, I don't think she belongs. I mean, I, I can kind of see it, but I, I think there were better people to elect this year. I've mentioned David Chu so many times. This guy is a great tournament player. I've played with him. He's a great tournament player, especially at the limit games. Excellent results, but he's not interesting. He doesn't have a lot of influential friends. He's very quiet. You don't want to watch him on TV. He's boring. But he's very good. He has great results. Uh, He was even left off the ballot last year before being put back on this year. But wait, there's more. The The Poker Hall of Fame, as bad as it was, the stuff I just said really goes back to years of complaints that were all the same. This is not new stuff I'm talking about. But here's what is new, where they've taken a bad situation and made it even worse. Uh, already, as I was saying, they... They had a lot of people on the Poker Hall of Fame uh, who were voting in these blocks. But what's even worse is that the voting panel has been altered this year. And 
they have cut back the number of media votes and they gave the current Hall of Famers more power because there's not as many people in the media who are much more likely to vote fairly can vote anymore. So this was suspected at first. It wasn't verified. And then Kevmath showed up. Kevmath, who always has the information. He's always got the goods. Everybody loves Kevmath, myself included. And Kevmath said this year the voting panel was 23 Poker Hall of Fame members and 16 media members. Due to a variety of reasons, several media members lost their vote. That's terrible. Now, 23 of the 39 are Poker Hall of Fame members voting who create these voting blocks and, and only vote for one or two people. Not all of them, but a number of them do to manipulate the votes. And I bet the media guys voting are, are voting for all 10 like they're supposed to. So last year, by the way, it was 21 Hall of Fame members and 20 media. This year it's 23 Hall of Fame members and 16 media. Now, Kevmath actually had a vote at one point, which I approve of. I think that he's a great guy to be voting for this. But he says, I lost half my vote because the rules state that each media outlet gets one vote. I was grandfathered in because I received my vote before being rehired by Bluff. When I was hired by Pocket Fives, that turned into me and Dan Cipra sharing the 10 points. Lance Bradley lost his vote as he's not currently employed. Andrew Feldman lost his vote as he's no longer doing poker. And Vin Narian of Casino City Times was usually the go-to person who did the voting. Vin no longer works there, and it appears the vote also disappeared. Why other poker media members, especially those outside the U.S., were not given a vote to, to make up the deficit is not unknown to me. So basically, whenever media guys who pr- previously had a vote stopped working poker media, they just lost their vote. And then they didn't replace them with other poker media. So eventually, if, if the current 16 people who are voting... As media, if they eventually quit poker media, I guess there's going to be zero members who vote from the media. And then we will have all Poker Hall of Fame people electing them with none from the media. (laughs) People in Europe and other countries outside the U.S. are very angry about this because it just seems like no one ever gets elected to the Poker Hall of Fame who's not an American. Yeah, they don't. And... They don't because it's pretty much fixed. (laughs) These voting blocks are fixing it. These voting blocks are being done by Americans. And they want to elect other Americans, not so much because they hate Europeans, but just because they know the Americans better. Their friends are Americans. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that they're not bringing in media from Europe because they know those people are not likely to vote for who they want to see elected. So I think that's really bad. I think there should be media from all over the world voting for this. I think that if a media member loses his vote, that they should give it to somebody else who's deserving. And they need to change the voting system to where no one's allowed to leave a candidate blank. And they should say that voting blocks are not allowed. It's hard to enforce that last thing, but at least try. At least say that if you're caught in a voting block, that you'll lose your voting privileges. But at the very least, change the voting process where they can't manipulate this leaving blank thing and make sure the media at least matches the number of Hall of Fame members voting for it. And start being transparent. Release the numbers. Release how you are doing the nomination process. 
if you don't want to say who voted for who, that makes sense because you know maybe feelings will get hurt, but at least release the results. At least, at least release all the ballots without who's associated with them. So we can see how many people are manipulating it this way. You don't have to put names to it. You don't have to say, hey, uh, Negranu, Negranu put uh, Jennifer Harmon number one, John Rwanda number two, and uh, left the other eight blank. You don't have to say that. But at least we can see the ballot that has that without a name on it. So uh, this is really a joke. Now, some people say, who cares? The Ho- Poker Hall of Fame is a joke anyway. Nobody really cares about it. Well, it's that's kind of true, but... If you're going to have a Poker Hall of Fame and you're going to promote it, and I get, I get these press emails from the World Series all the time because I'm signed up on their list for that. And I get a lot of press emails from Seth Polanski about the Poker Hall of Fame. So they're trying to legitimize it. This isn't like a little circle jerk where a few buddies put this together and uh, it's not really getting recognition in poker. It's The World Series is promoting the Poker Hall of Fame and legitimizing it. So... Have it be real. Have it be a real process. Have it be fair. <laughs> the 347 area code, they told me, Czechoslovakia stopped being a country in 1992. Yeah, I forgot about that when I mentioned that. Oops. See, if I had a producer, I wouldn't make these mistakes. Uh, from the 702 asking about the thing with Valerio Coca, he said, if the cards were marked, couldn't they be checked at any time even after the match? Well, no, not if the decks got changed out. They don't save them. That was part of the problem, that people complained about it and the cards were long gone. Now, the day that Jack Effel was told about it, then there they were, uh, you know, they could have caught it. And, I, and presumably when they were changing out the decks, they were examining them. But I, my guess is that uh, they probably were switching out the decks too early and too quickly before this guy started cheating. And then he's like, wait a minute. I see Fleurman around. I see the, uh, yeah, my opponent seems to be acting strangely. Everyone seems to be watching me. They're changing the decks too frequently. Screw this. I'm not going to start cheating because the, the reports about Coco was that it was that he was not cheating right off the bat. He was wait, be waiting until the blinds got bigger and then he'd kick it into gear. So I think they started acting funny before he would normally start cheating and then he decided not to cheat. And if you remember... The match, he, the final match he won was by luck, not by cheating. So I think he didn't cheat on that match or the subsequent one where he lost because he knew the jig was up. And let's see, I think I got one more text. From the 951, or not, sorry, 915. Jack Effel didn't want a cheater discovered during the World Series bad press. I don't know. I can't say that for sure. It is a little strange how it took until late October, but then you could say if they really wanted the bad press to be avoided, why not release this like a little bit later after the November 9 takes place, which is coming up very soon. So I don't think necessarily it was about that. I just think that the World Series, their hands were tied because they didn't have any evidence. For once, I'm not blaming them. I'm blaming the players for being stupid. Did they search him at all, Druff? I mean, I would think no. if it was, was something with him. No, they didn't search him. something in his pocket. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's, that's not a bad idea either. If they have a, a legitimate concern that someone is cheating, yeah, they could say, Let, empty your pockets, please, and show what's in your pockets. That's a good point. And it, did they catch it when they caught him in uh, Europe or, or 
wherever it was. What was what was the uh, conclusion that he was he just like marking the cars with something? Yes, he was doing. Yes, glasses or was he? Yeah, he was some kind of foreign substance he was putting on the cars and then seeing them. So it, it was it was amazing that that was. It turned out what he was accused of in the past when they were suspecting this without even knowing his past. That's that's very very suspicious. And they could have checked him like the Alibaba guy with the toilet flushing. You know, maybe he searched on the internet or he bought something online. You know, they could have maybe done something like that too. Yeah, well, he he didn't live in the U.S., so they couldn't have searched his place or anything. And they, of course, the police would have had to get involved. But but yeah, I, I definitely think the idea of having searching his person and saying we're suspecting you're cheating, yeah, please empty your pockets. We want to see what you have on you. Uh, that might be something they could have done. And. Uh, and he, the, people can say, well, without hard evidence other than players complaining, they can't really justify doing that. But I, I think they could probably justify enough doing that. And I, I don't think there would have been a lot of outrage on his behalf when several players suspect independently he's cheating and that they want the guy to empty his pockets. I mean, it's not, it's not like they're demanding to go through his cell phone or something. It, empty your pockets isn't going to – isn't that much of a violation of rights there. And uh, I but- – that could be something they put in the terms and conditions for next year too. That if there is something that you will have to empty your pockets, or you know, as far as when you sign the release, that would be nice. But they're probably not going to. They're probably just going to dismiss this as they always do with these type of things. But I, I really blame the players for this. Not really the World Series. The players they could have they could have done this better. They could have uh, approached this better. They they didn't think they were. I understand they were emotional about the whole thing and all they were thinking about is this guy cheating in this big event, but you got to stop for a second and think, okay, what's the best play to catch this guy? So, anyway, about the Poker Hall of Fame, back to that. It's a joke, and it's always going to be tainted, even with people inducted like John Juwanda, who deserved to be inducted. It's still tainted because uh, the process is unnecessarily opaque. Why is there so much secrecy? What's the big secret here? Why are they covering so much up? Like It's so obvious to everybody. Like, it's a damn poker hall of fame. This isn't national security. All right. Let's take a look at the chat room. S-double saying in chat, I'm a cheap Jew, but my Catholic fiancé doesn't have a house phone. Go figure. Well, I don't know how old your fiance is, but a lot of younger people don't want a home phone. Do you have a home phone, by the way? I do not. You don't? No, you're not even a younger person. You have uh, no home phone. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't do it. I cannot get ready my home phone. I always have one. I like the sound quality so much better, and I always prefer to talk on that instead of the cell phone. I really use my cell phone as far as talking on it when I'm out. But if I'm in the proximity of the home phone, I'll prefer to use that. Someone asking who's the co-host. This is Traderski. He's here a lot of times. Math wants to call the show. If he wants, he can. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. I have not received any calls, as far as I can see. All quiet on the Western Front. See the next topic. 
Daily Fantasy Sports came up in the Republican debate last night. I was surprised. I was sitting here eating dinner, and I hear them asking the candidates about Daily Fantasy Sports, and I like almost fell out of my chair because uh, I never thought that would be a topic in the Republican debate. Did you watch the debate last night? I watched some of it. Yeah. I actually didn't catch the very beginning of it, but I, I turned it on kind of the middle, early middle, and then watched the rest. And I actually missed the previous ones. I just was never in a place I could watch it. Uh, one of the times I was on a road trip in the middle of nowhere. Uh, another time I forgot where I was. I think I was on a cruise. Yeah, I was on a cruise for the second one. Like I was always just like somewhere I could not watch it. But I watched this one. And I was shocked when the question about the daily fantasy sports came up. Because that's not exactly a major topic as far as uh, U.S. politics is concerned. But I was happy to hear the question because it's about time that this sort of thing gets some mainstream media coverage. That's the only way that these issues will be addressed. And I'm talking about the problems in daily fantasy sports. I'm talking about getting online poker regulated and legalized. These things won't happen unless it's kind of brought to the public's attention. So any attention to that is good attention. And anyone who is in this industry and anyone who wants to see this stuff legalized and legitimized, who thinks it's a bad thing they brought it up last night during the debate, is self-defeating. You want to see these things brought up. I'm sure these are not large issues for the country compared to the economy and ISIS and uh, other major issues that the president will have to deal with. But for us, it's a big issue. So if it gets brought up, we should be thrilled. But unfortunately, the topic didn't really get fleshed out because it got shut down. And uh, you'll get to hear first this clip where they ask the question and then Jeb Bush answers. And then you'll get to hear what Chris Christie does right afterwards. Daily fantasy sports has become a phenomenon in this country. We'll award billions of dollars in prize money this year. But to play, you have to assess your odds, put money at risk, wait for an outcome that's out of your control. Isn't that the definition of gambling, and should the federal government treat it as such? Well, first of all, um, I'm 7-0 and in my fantasy football league. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to brag about Gronkowski that. is still going strong. I have Ryan Tannehill, Marco, as my quarterback. He was 18 for 19 last week. So I'm doing great, but we're not gambling. And I think this has become something that needs to be looked at in terms of regulation. Effectively, it's day trading without any regulation at all. And when you have insider information, which apparently has been the case, where people use that information, use big data to try to take advantage of it, uh, there has to be some regulation. If they can't regulate themselves, then the NFL needs to look at this, you know, moving away from them a little bit. And there, there should be some regulation. I have no clue whether the federal government's the proper place. My instinct is to say, hell no, just about everything about the federal government. Okay. All right, so that was Jeb Bush's answer, which up until the end was a pretty good answer. He clearly knew about the whole scandal. He was well-informed. Uh, he's correct that uh, there does ha- have to be something done about this. But then at the end, he's like, well, but I don't know what we should do. I I don't want to get the federal government involved. Well, well, which one is it, Jeb? Should we get the federal government involved and regulate this, or should we just let this run amok? Like, I liked what he said all the way until the end, and then he kind of realized, "Uh uh-oh, I'm talking about more government. Uh Uh-oh, I can't say that as a Republican. So he he backtracked a little bit, which 
some people referred to the whole thing as a rambling answer, and a lot of people also gave him flack about the 7-0 and in my fantasy football league thing, which he must have – it's funny. He must have known in some way this question was coming. Uh, I don't know how much they're given before the debates. Do you know how much they're told about uh, what the questions are going to be? I I'm not sure. I I I, I wouldn't think they were giving. They would be given any questions. Yeah, I wouldn't think so either. It was almost like he had this. Like, there's no way he could have expected this question otherwise. But it was almost like he had that right away. I'm seven and zero in my fantasy football league. Almost like he thought that'd be like a cute thing to say, uh, make him relatable to the average man. He actually got criticized for that answer. People didn't like that. But I thought the rest of his answer, other than the very end, was pretty good. And at least he was very aware of the situation. Which I thought was nice. I'm like, oh, good. A presidential candidate is actually really uh, up on this whole thing, on something that is not a major issue to the rest of the country. But before this could go any further, before we could hear from any other candidates about their position on whether daily fantasy football and, by extension, online gambling should be regulated by the government, because the Notice that this wasn't framed as a general online gambling question, but they did say that it has the elements of gambling and what should be done. So this could have then morphed into an online gambling regulation discussion, which then could have affected online poker. But here is what Chris Christie did when he immediately interrupted Jeb Bush and everyone else to give his take on this question. We have, wait a second, we have $19 trillion in debt, we have people out of work, we have ISIS and Al-Qaeda attacking us, and we're talking about fantasy football? we get the government to do what they're supposed to be doing secure our borders protect our people and support american values and american families enough on fantasy football let people play who cares sharon i want to i want to go back yeah so i i didn't like that at all it was a great soundbite got big applause a lot of people said wow look at him he wants to focus on the important things let's focus on national security let's focus on the debt let's focus on the economy let him play. If you want to play fantasy football, who cares? I'm not going to care about that as president. I'm going to care about the important stuff. Sounds good on the surface. But what's he really saying? When he says let them play, he's saying let them cheat. That's what he's really saying. This wasn't a question of should people be allowed to play fantasy football online for money. This was the question of should this be regulated so cheating can't happen. Now, Jeb Bush mentioned that right away. That there was insider cheating, apparently. And that something has to be done about that. Chrissy said, oh, let him play. Let him play. Get it out of my hair. I don't want to hear about this. So we never got to hear the discussion on this. He shut down the question. That was the end of it. They moved on. None of the other candidates even wanted to challenge it because, honestly, they don't care about it too much. And nobody wants to say, oh, no, 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 we're going to discuss this. Forget the economy. Forget Al-Qaeda. Forget uh, ISIS. Forget the debt. So that was the end of the question. That was the end of the online gambling fantasy football discussion. Now, first of all, Christie should not get to dictate what questions are acceptable for the debate. I think the one exception is if there's loaded questions that are meant for the candidates to insult one another, which there were. There were a lot of loaded questions in this debate which we'll get to later. 
So if they say, you know, hey, such and such, what do you think of Donald Trump saying this? What do you think of Trump with that? Like, yeah, that's trying to get the two to go at it. And I can understand where they don't want to dignify that with an answer. But an issues question, it doesn't matter if you think it's important or unimportant. You can say that while answering. You can say, I don't see why this is a question during the debate, but okay, here's my answer. But you shouldn't refuse to answer it because it's unimportant for you. And in fact, that gives a cop out to any candidate who wants to say, well, I don't want to answer this. What about the economy? That's the important thing. Yay! And everybody cheers. So the truth is here, either Christie didn't understand it or he was pretending not to understand it. Someone suggested on the forum that the reason Christie shut this down so quickly was because he has a friend who is a big investor in DraftKings and he was doing the guy a favor. He didn't want this to be a big discussion topic during the debate, so he shut it down to where people just didn't care and said, let them play. So I guess if your your buddy owns a large part of DraftKings, you do want them to just play and not worry about cheating. Maybe that was why he said it. Maybe it was because he found an opportunity to get a good sound bite out. Maybe both. Maybe he didn't understand it. Maybe he'd never heard of the scandal or didn't know enough about it to not sound like an idiot if he attempts to answer the question. So uh, one debate tactic that was definitely being used is if you don't want to talk about something, uh, either talk about something else or complain about the question. Turn it back around on the person asking the question that they are stupid for asking you the question in the first place. What? You want me to answer this? What the hell? Why are we talking about this? Well, you were asked it. When you accept a spot on the floor for that debate... You are agreeing to let them ask you questions, and you are agreeing to answer those questions. You don't get to decide, as one of the candidates debating, what you will and won't answer. Or especially, you don't get to decide what everybody else can and cannot answer. Again, unless it's something really loaded to cause the candidates to attack one another for entertainment purposes. If if you don't want to have that going on, and you refuse to do it, and you want to encourage everybody else not to do it, that's fine. But any issue brought up, big or small, you should answer even if you want to preface it with, I don't think this is very important, but. Or I don't think this is the federal government's business, but. Even if, that, even if you want to give the answer, I don't think the federal government should get involved in this. Fine. But he just shut down the whole thing. I'll tell you something else I don't like about Governor Christie. I never liked the guy. Uh, I hate really, really shady candidates. And people say, oh, all politicians are shady. Well, maybe to some degree, but some are much worse than others. Hillary Clinton, I believe, is very, very shady. She's constantly followed by scandal her entire career. Chris Christie is another one I think is very, very shady. If you don't know about it, Google Bridgegate, the words bridge and the word gate put together, and read about it. And it's a very disturbing story about the George Washington Bridge and an intentional traffic jam that was created in Fort Lee, New Jersey, in order to punish the mayor of Fort Lee. And this was created by people who had either been appointed by Chris Christie or were currently working for him. When I say or, I mean both. Three people were involved. There's no question that this occurred, and there's no question that this was aimed at the Fort Lee mayor. In fact, one of the people pled guilty when they were charged with doing this. 
So two of them were Christie appointees to the Port Authority. And one of them was working directly for Christie. The one who was working directly for Christie sent a message to one of the two at the Port Authority saying, it's time for some traffic problems in Fort Lee. They created these traffic problems by closing two of the three toll booths on the bridge there. And it created major, major traffic problems for five days until the Port Authority finally stepped in and overruled this and said, this can't continue. We're going to reopen these these booths. There is no reason to close the booths. The booths were... This was never done with any warning. It just They just abruptly closed two of the three toll booths, which just created havoc for five days just to punish the mayor. Now, why were they trying to punish the mayor of Fort Lee, New Jersey? Because he didn't endorse... Chris Christie for governor in the previous election. (laughs) This occurred in September 2013. This wasn't a story from 20 years ago. This was very recent. So because the mayor of Fort Lee, New Jersey, which is not a large city, as you might guess, did not endorse Chris Christie for governor of New Jersey, They created a huge traffic jam in the area just to punish the residents. And somehow that would also punish the mayor. I I don't know how, but somehow anybody who lived in the city that uh, was under the rule of this mayor was now going to be facing Chris Christie's wrath and deal with horrendous traffic as punishment for living there. This really happened. Look it up. Now, you might wonder, why is Chris Christie not in jail for this? Well, the three people involved in doing this, and as I said, there is a lot of proof that they did this intentionally. They didn't roll over on Christie. Everybody stuck to the story that he didn't know about it. So they couldn't prove it. You might say, why would anyone plead guilty to a crime like this and not just make a deal and say, hey, Christie was behind it or, hey, Christie knew about it. Why wouldn't they make a deal to get the bigger fish? Get out of jail time, get out of a conviction. Because that's the way political operatives work. Political operatives are supposed to fall on the sword for their bosses. If you don't fall on the sword for your boss when bad things happen, then no one will ever hire you again to be a political operative. Nobody will ever appoint you again. You need to demonstrate to big politicians that if they are going to appoint you or hire you, that if anything shady is being done, that you are going to take responsibility for it and they are going to be able to skate away free. That's part of being a political operative. And if you can't demonstrate that you can do that, or if you've demonstrated that you won't do that, nobody will hire you. Because nobody will trust you. They'll be afraid that the second something goes wrong, or if you do anything outside the lines and, and, uh, the media finds out that you'll just roll over on your boss. So, so no one's going to want to hire you. They only want to hire operatives that they can both trust and will fall on the sword for them. Now, if somebody got 30 years in prison for this, I'm sure they, would fall, I'm sure they wouldn't fall on the sword, but nobody's getting super stiff prison sentences for this type of thing. So that's part of the job description. You do not roll over on your big political boss. Or otherwise, nobody will ever hire you for that type of job again. 
That's been the unspoken rule in politics for a long time. So that's why these people involved did not roll over on Christie. That's why Christie could go into the media and blame them for it. That's part of their job description. Not their official job description, but their job description is that they are supposed to take the blame. They are supposed to take the convictions. Christie's supposed to come away clean. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it did work. But given that these people did this, it would make zero sense that Christie wouldn't have known about it. So what, they're going to create a horrible traffic jam for five days? That would have been more than five days if it wasn't stopped. To punish a mayor who didn't endorse Christie, and they're not going to tell Christie they did this for him? Otherwise, what's the point? If they're just if they're doing this on behalf of their boss to obviously help him in some way or impress him or show that they are loyal to him and he never knows about it, what's the point? So obviously he knew about it. You don't want someone like that for president. You don't want someone for president who, because a mayor wouldn't endorse him, created a major traffic jam to inconvenience many, many thousands of people who happen to live in that area where you don't, who he didn't like that mayor. You don't want a vindictive person like that as president who will punish many, many thousands of innocent people just to get back at one guy they don't like. And that's Chris Christie. And if you don't believe me, look it up. There's tons of articles about this all over the web and you can draw your own conclusions. So I've never liked him. Fortunately, he's way behind in the polls and even though there were some people who liked his performance in the debate last night, I don't think it's going to be enough. So it's fitting that Chris Christie also was the one to give this answer about daily fantasy sports that pissed me off. I don't want a president who's going to say, I don't want to hear about the small issues. I want a president to care about all issues. Now, I want the president to care more about the bigger issues than the smaller ones, but I don't want him to ignore the smaller ones unless they're tiny and totally inconsequential. But I want a president who's up on all the issues and then divides his time accordingly to their importance or delegates people to deal with the ones that are less important, but not just to shut them out like they don't exist. That's not a good president. So I'm definitely not endorsing Chris Christie. He also strikes me, and I know I'm going to piss off some of the East Coast people who are already probably angry at me because I start the show so late for them. But he strikes me as like the stereotypical fat, obnoxious New Yorker type. Like that, that's the way he he's one of these guys that is loud, is kind of in your face, kind of looks at you and, and speaks right at you and makes it look like he's a straight shooter and then really isn't. And that's what he did there in that speech about fantasy football. What fantasy football? Why are we talking about this? What about the economy? What about the debt? What about Al-Qaeda and ISIS? What about that fantasy football? You've got to be kidding me. A lot of bluster and not a lot behind it. I don't like that. So... I don't want to see Chris Christie as the Republican nominee. Also, I just think he's also kind of politically dishonest because uh, he identifies as a Republican, but he really is not with his policies. 
And that's fine if you're not someone who agrees with most Republican policies, then don't be a Republican. That's fine. But he's someone who really deviates a lot from the Republican platform and uh, doesn't really make that clear to people, hoping Republicans will vote for him not understanding that. People should always understand who they're voting for and what they stand for and then let that stand on its own. But Christie doesn't do that. Let's take a look at the chat room, see if I've pissed off some East Coast people. Not really, not so far. Except except for Tilted Stone. He said he's like Udruff. I got that on the forum, too. Uh, someone in the forum said, hey, you know, he's the fat East Coast guy, you're the fat West Coast guy. <laughs> And I said, actually, I didn't say anything on the forum, but it's different. First of all, I'm not running for any office. All I have here is this uh, radio show listened to by a thousand people. And second, it's different. When I say something, I really mean it. I always am exactly as I represent myself. I'm never, you may not like me, you may not like my viewpoints, you may not agree with me, but at least you know where I stand, and at least I know I'm not BSing you, or trying to appear I'm something I'm not, trying to come off as a straight shooter when I'm really not. I have a 15-year track record in the community of being exactly what I appear to be. So at least you know what you're getting. You don't have many unpleasant surprises with me where I do something that you totally don't expect in a negative way. And I'd like to think that's a lot of the reason some of you listen to this show is because you know what to expect and you know I'm giving it to you the way I really see it and not with any kind of agenda. And I know as, as you get into politics, it's hard not to have an agenda. It's hard not to owe favors to people or have to do things to get elected that you wish you didn't have to do. But if I were a politician, I would not feel comfortable doing that. But fortunately, I'm not one, and I won't be one. I actually wouldn't mind being a politician if it didn't involve all the BS to get elected. Like, I would like the job itself. But the whole election process is so brutal. The X Factor in chat saying Druff is a closet Trump supporter. <laughs> That's my response to you. I'm not a Trump supporter at all. I promise you. See, Willie McFML said something nice in chat. He said, what Druff is saying is exactly why I consider him a friend. You always know what you're going to get with Druff. For better, for worse, no surprises. It's true. Okay, so let's move on here. A little bit of a, a lighter topic here. Phil Helmuth has agreed to coach Federico Buteroni, who's the short stack at the November 9 World Series of Poker final table. I believe that he is guaranteed a minimum of 
One million dollars. And uh, he'll have to get lucky to get beyond that because he, I think he's down to 16 big blinds. But Phil Hellmuth agreed to coach him and said he would spend five days doing so. So rather than tell you what Phil Helmuth said, I will let Phil say it himself. Go ahead, Phil. I'm really excited to announce today that I'll be coaching Federico Bavaroni at the final table, the November Niner. And uh, he's going to meet me in Manhattan November 1st. We're going to coach for five days in Manhattan. And then he's going to play in my charity poker tournament. And uh, we'll have him ready to go. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I think uh, Federico, 16 big blinds, doesn't have a lot of chips, but he thinks a lot like I do. He has a great story. And uh, and let's see what happens. I need Federico to run it up. November 9 are coaching. Let's do this. When you heard this, that was him rubbing his hands together. <laughs> so uh, it's unclear how he was going to get paid, if he would at all, or if he'd be getting some kind of percentage of uh, Federico's win, or if he's just doing this for publicity. It wasn't very clear. If I made the November 9, I mean, I wouldn't mind getting coached by Phil Hellmuth. He definitely has shown his ability to win in the World Series, especially in No Limit Hold'em. So Phil's skill at uh, World Series events is not in question. But uh, people were kind of wondering... Is Phil really going to spend five days coaching Federico Buteroni in Manhattan? Is he really going to do that? Like, Phil is so self-centered, it's hard to imagine him spending five days on anyone but himself. Well, the answer is no, he's not. This is what Phil tweeted three days ago on October 26th. Federico Buteroni has a great story, and I was looking forward to coaching him for the November 9, but I owe him 100%. And I have a previous commitment to live World Series of Poker coverage on ESPN. It became obvious I couldn't coach Federico and do ESPN. Thus, I will not be coaching Federico in the World Series. But it will be fun to root for this nice guy with such a great story. I expect Federico to buy me an amazing expensive dinner after he wins the World Series. Good luck, Federico. (laughs) So somehow Phil, when he made this statement, forgot that he was doing live commentary on ESPN. (laughs) Now, this is what I I don't understand. Um, Okay, so if he's doing live coverage, that's during the event. So how can he... Like, how is it interfering? Wouldn't he be coaching him beforehand? Like, why can't you coach him and then do the live commentary? Even if you want to state on ESPN, hey, I coached this guy. That would make even a better story. You have you have Phil as a commentator who also coached one of the guys that's playing. I think that would be interesting to watch, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, I was wondering why that would make any difference. but Yeah, it's so weird. It's like he was fishing for an excuse. It was like... It's like he said it, and he's like, "Ah, uh, I don't really want to do this. Why did I say five days? Oh my god! Like, what am I? What did I get into? Let's see. I want an excuse. I want an excuse. I want an excuse. Ah, there we are. I, I'm uh, I'm doing the commentary on the World Series, and I just realized it. Uh, I, I I just had no idea. All this. T- it's just a, a few weeks before. 
but I have no idea that I had promised to be on ESPN uh, a few weeks beforehand. <laughs> but a typical Phil. I mean, he, the, the guy, all he does is think of himself, and that's why when he said he's going to do this coaching, uh, people were skeptical that he would spend five days doing this and go all the way to New York to do it. Why would it be in New York to begin with? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I was wondering that myself. Maybe that's where Federico is right now. It's it's so strange. <laughs> but I think he just wanted the sound bite and then, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's just one of these things, like, in theory, he thought it will sound cool for him to be coaching. And then he's like, what did I just promise? Five days? Oh, I don't want to do this. Why? What, what am I getting out of this? Crap. All right, I got to make an excuse. And then they made an excuse, and that was that. Had to be something like that. So it's not a huge scandal here or anything. It's just typical Phil Hellmuth. At least I can go to bed every night knowing that Phil Hellmuth cares if I like him or not. I mean, how many people can say that in poker, that Phil Hellmuth actually cares if they like them? Then I know this because Phil stopped me in the World Series of Poker Hallway and told me that he wants me to like him and it, it bothers him that he thinks that I may not like him. <laughs> it was the, one of the weirder conversations I've had. Okay, so let's see what else we got. Now, something about a charity event, too. Um, the charity event at the same time. That's right. That's why they're in New York. I guess that's where the charity event is. I don't know for sure, but that's what people in the chat room are suggesting. That's probably a good assumption. All right. Uh, now, this is something I forgot to queue up the sound clip. So you guys are have to get to be... Uh, you're going to have to tolerate a little bit of fail but I can introduce it before I uh, bring up the sound clip you know I'm sure you've all had this where you've forgotten to do something and you know there's something you forgot to do and then you can't figure out what it is so when I started this radio show late as usual I thought hmm I'm late but I'm not as late as I thought I would be and I thought I had more to do but it seems like I've done everything like I, I, I looked at everything and I said I've done everything here so let's start the show and right when I started this show, I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot the Terrence Chan soundbite. So I'll have to bring that up during the show, produce the show during the show, as I always do. Have you ever had this? I know you travel a lot. Have you had this when you travel often where you, you're you sure you packed everything, but then you also think you didn't pack something you're going to really need and you can't figure it out and you just leave and then you know, realize later that you forgot it? I, I've, I've bought some extra things where I have multiples now because I did that yeah it, it pisses me off so much when that is and like there's some kind of threshold provided there's not not like a time constraint like let's say time's not an issue like you're just driving rather than flying like how far would you have to drive from where you live to where you're willing to turn around what's the maximum you would drive that you would turn around and go back something you for, get something you forgot 10 minutes probably yeah see I I, I would go back more unless it's something really trivial and something I can buy for a few bucks, then I'll, I'll, I won't go back, but yeah, it just depends. What it yeah. Is. It depends what it is. But the worst thing I've ever done with that was, and this did have to do with a flight and we needed passports and I forgot to bring the passports and I got like 20 miles away and realized it and had to go back 20 miles, get the passports go the 20 miles I went in the first place, meaning I wasted 40 miles and then get to the airport and that uh, somehow made the flight. I was shocked. I thought I was going to miss the flight because of that. But I had no choice. I couldn't go without the passports. 
That yeah, was my, the passports, that, I think, is one thing. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. You have to go back. Yeah, that was the worst. I couldn't believe it. I was just in the middle of, like, you know, 25 minutes into the drive. I go, oh, shit. Do I not have these? And I stopped the car, and I looked, and like, nope, we're not there. So that was not good. All right, so let me introduce the Terrence Chan situation, though, and then I'll go through the arduous task of getting the sound clip. Terrence Chan played at the World Series of Poker Europe uh, in October, you know, this month. And uh, he was very unhappy about something. And uh, I'll read this from his blog. I think this is taking place in Germany, this event. And before I begin here, I want to tell you about Terrence Chan a bit if you don't know him. Terrence Chan is a former Poker Stars employee who then transitioned to being a player. At first, he was a Limit Hold'em player. Uh, now he plays a lot of things. Uh, he's also very into MMA. And when I say MMA, he's actually someone who fights MMA. He doesn't just watch it. But uh, Terrence is a very soft spoken guy. He's not someone you would picture getting in arguments with people, causing a ruckus, being confrontational. This this isn't really part of Terrence Chan's personality. You see him as like the quiet, easygoing guy who may get annoyed sometimes, but doesn't outwardly show it. And uh, I want to preface this also that I'm not friends with Terrence Chan. I never have been. I, he's never been my enemy. Uh, I think we're kind of neutral on each other. Like, I, I don't think he likes me or dislikes me, if I had to guess. And... Uh, you know, I know him. He knows me. Uh, I have agreed with some things that uh, he's taken a position on. Uh, the first time I actually ever saw him in controversy was several years ago when Joy Miller screwed him out of a World Series of Poker seat at the Playboy Mansion in a tournament they had there, and he was totally in the right. And uh, he wrote a blog about that. But he's usually not in very much controversy, even though he does have a blog and will state his opinion. And... He's one of the two hosts of the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast, along with Adam Schwartz. And Adam listens to this show. I don't think Terrence does, but uh, they've they've mentioned me occasionally on that show, partially because Adam listens to this show. So they talked about this situation that I'm about to get into on their show, on the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast. And rather than just describe it, I will describe the beginning of it, but then the rest of it I will have Terrence explain, again by just uh, taking the content from 2 Plus 2 from their poker cast and playing it on this radio show right here. I'm sure Mason Malmuth may very well sue me for doing this, for uh, taking their copyrighted content and uh, playing it on this show without permission, and I really didn't get permission, but I'm going to do it anyway, because uh, I want to give you guys the best show possible, and I will put my... uh, my bankroll and my uh, possibility of being sued up for, uh, I don't even know what to say, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to be taking the risk. So that's what I do for you guys. But I don't think they'll mind, really. And uh, if you want to hear the 2 Plus 2 poker cast, it's on every week. I think it's available online Wednesday. I don't think you can listen live. Maybe you can. I think they do it like with Periscope or something, but uh, uh, it's mostly a podcast, and I think you can get it every Wednesday on 2plus2.com, which I definitely 
I'm not a fan of 2plus2.com itself because me and Mason don't get along, but I, I like the poker cast and uh, I like Adam. And I think uh, he and Terrence do a good job. So I'll preface that here. I did I did take them to task recently for going too easy on Prahlad Friedman when they had him on the show. But this time I'm going to agree with them, especially Terrence, with what happened here. So Terrence wrote a blog on October 17th entitled The WSOP Didn't Earn My Business Today. Terrence wrote, Today is day 1B of the World Series of Poker Europe Event 8, the 1,000 plus 100 euro turbo event, which was scheduled for weeks to start at noon local time. This tweet showed up at 11.58 a.m., which means uh, two minutes before the event. From Jack Effel, tournament director. Receiving lots of inquiries from players unaware of start time. New start time, now 4 p.m. for event number eight, Turbo No Limit Hold'em. Apologies for the confusion. (laughs) So Terrence wasn't very happy about that, that two minutes before the event, they're changing the event time. And then Jack writes, go take a nap, guys, and see you at 4 p.m. He's he's actually telling people to go take a nap, not even like, I'm sorry. Not even like, uh, we really apologize, this is why. Just, hey, go take a nap. We're We're not doing this for four more hours. So... Then Terrence responded that he was already en route. He says, when I was already en route and asked when this change happened, Jack responded, go back. We had, we had to move time. It appeared everyone fell asleep. Sorry, Terrence. So I don't know what he means by it appeared everyone fell asleep. So then uh, Terrence went on to write, I want to express my disappointment in Jack's decision to change a noon start time and announce it at 11.58 a.m., two minutes before cards were supposed to be in the air. According to Jack, only 50 players were registered at noon, leading him and other management to believe that they must have thought it was a 4 p.m. start, which is kind of weird. Like, So they didn't get much as far as registration there, 50 people. So they just assumed somehow people thought it was starting four hours later. That's really weird. Like, may- Maybe they have other events starting at four, but that's that's a weird thing to assume. Terrence goes on to write, I think making a last-minute change to the start time based on a guess that players simply misread the schedule is a terrible idea. Here are just a few reasons why. Number one, many pros and regulars tend to buy in late for a 1K event. I was literally getting in a cab when I saw the announcement and was planning to show up around 1220. Two, many recreational infrequent players don't necessarily follow Jack on Twitter and would not know of the change. They would only see the website and or the print material distributed in the uh, casino, which is true. Number three, the change was announced so late, again, 11.58 a.m., that even if you do follow Jack, you likely couldn't do anything about it. Number four, Jack himself sent out a reminder tweet, now deleted, at about 11.15 a.m., reminding people that the start time was noon and that late reg closes at 3.45. (laughs) So Jack tweeted at 11.15 that it's starting at noon, and then at 11.58, oh, no, it's not starting at noon. Number five, even if there are a great number of people who thought it was the, the actual start time was four, and I doubt this is the case, those people would still have until 3.45 p.m. to register anyway. Number six, 50 players is actually an awful lot to go tell, sorry, go take a hike for four hours, as I also suspect a very high percentage of these 50 players are recreational players as opposed to influential circuit regulars. In general, I think recreational players get screwed over a lot by pandering to vocal pros, and it's one of the things I like least about poker. I agree with them there, too. I always complain about that myself, that the, there's a lot of favoritism. I think it would be hypocritical of me to be this critical and still patronize the event, so I'm choosing to skip the event. 
I both enjoy playing in turbo events and I feel I have a good EV in them. So my decision is certainly harming me more than them. I do feel like it's all this complaining and then handing over my 1100 euros anyway is like an obedient sheep. I love the World Series, but not more than appearing to be a hypocrite. Today, I simply don't feel like the World Series of Poker has earned my business, so instead of playing, I'm choosing to skip the event and instead take my girlfriend, who patiently puts up with my bitching about poker tournaments, among my various other character flaws, to a much-deserved dinner and night out. See you guys tomorrow in the main. So, that set this up. And obviously, Jack was not happy about this. Jack Effel does not take criticism well. Uh, What Jack Effel used to do and remember, he's the tournament director of the World Series of Poker. What he used to do is uh, whenever you would criticize anything about the World Series or the way he was, you know, some decision he made, no matter how respectfully or nicely you did it, his often response was to block you. He would block you from his Twitter. That would be his response. If uh, you criticized him or the World Series So uh, This was a common practice of his And of course I got blocked, Brandon got blocked Various members of this forum got blocked And it's not like we were tweeting him like Hey Jack Effel, you asshole, we hate you, you're a piece of shit Like we never did anything like that Like Nobody here as far as I know Used any profanity uh, Said nasty things about him Insulted him personally Said he's bad at his job Like no one said any of these things like, everybody just said, we disagree with this. We don't think this is a good idea. Just constructive criticism. At least I know that's what I did. That's what Brandon did. That's what other people I know did and got blocked. Finally, this really made kind of the uh, mainstream or semi-mainstream poker media when Matt Glantz got blocked when complaining about some things this year at the World Series. And Matt Glantz, who's uh, got a pretty good following and is well-respected in poker and is not known as someone who creates a lot of drama – uh, that really got the attention of a lot of people and it made Jack look very bad. So uh, Jack unblocked everyone, including me, including Brandon. Inclu- like I think just about everyone's unblocked now and if he apologized to everyone for blocking them in the past. And I thought it was ridiculous that people were blocked because at the World Series, they have all these signs all over the place with who you can tweet to with certain questions. And one of the addresses you're supposed to tweet to with problems is at WSOPTD, which is his account. So it's an official account you're supposed to tweet to about Mariners in the World Series, and yet uh, the director's blocking you from that if you say the slightest thing that bothers him. So you can't do that. It's not like he's blocking you from his personal account. That he has every right to do, but he shouldn't be doing it from the World Series Twitter account, the tournament director Twitter account. That should be something that unless someone's harassing him or you know, making it difficult for him to do his job, people should never be blocked there, no matter whether he likes them or dislikes them. So... The drama was set up here when Terrence showed up to play the main event and uh, ended up in close proximity to Jack. And the fireworks ensued. And this is where I have to load it, so if you uh, have to give me a second here. Uh, while I'm doing this, uh, Traderski, were you ever blocked by Jack Ethel for any reason? I don't think I ever followed him to begin with. Okay. <laughs> but I think the way he handles this stuff is, you know, the position he's in and who he represents is just is outrageous. And to be so flippant with, you know, somebody like Terrence travels all the way to Germany. Oh, we're moving it to four o'clock when he tweeted and then he deletes the tweet is 
is is it's ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, and you know, he has a point here. Like, you can't just be so cavalier about everybody else's time. You can't say, "Oh, your time doesn't matter." It, it doesn't matter that we've moved it four hours. Go take a nap. Go take a hike. Go. Uh, yeah, go it's t- an insult. He yeah, planned his whole day, his whole trip around it. Yeah. And if something happened, if the tables were taken, if we apologize, we have to move it. That's one thing. But just go take a nap. It's just like a slap in the face to everybody. Like you're there just following them. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I've seen it happen at the regular World Series before where they – Delay events for up to six hours because uh, they just don't have the room. Usually not major events, but like satellites and stuff or uh, or deep stack events. And I think that's often a function of poor planning, but at least they're not doing it intentionally. They're not doing it out of greed. They're just doing it because they screwed up and now they just don't have the room. So I, I try to cut them a little slack in those cases other than to say they shouldn't have allowed it in the first place to happen. But at least it wasn't intentional. But here it sounds like it was intentional. They just weren't happy with the number of people who signed up and they just – Decided to tell the 50 people who did sign up and were showing up to play it at the time that they were supposed to be there, that two minutes before the event's going to start, no, no, we're starting four hours later. It's a joke. They get, if it gets a bad response, if it gets 50 people, then too bad. Then you run the tournament and you don't make very much money from it, and next year you don't run that event. But you don't, you don't delay it for four hours waiting for people to sign up. So I think yeah, they should have apologized. They should have given everybody a $100 voucher for lunch or something. Yeah, that's a good point. You know. Yeah, and, Something like that rather than, you know, your time doesn't matter. Yeah, and I I, I agree with you about that too, that, uh, that they should have given something. And also, if they wanted to delay a little bit, half an hour or something to let more people show up, fine. Like, people can wait half an hour. But four hours? Four hours is a terrible delay. It's one of the worst delays you can have because it's not long enough to where you can go do something else with your day. And it's not short enough where you can just sit there and wait. It's an I hate four-hour type delays. Like Yeah, and just with zone and you've planned your sleep and if you start at noon you're probably out of there by midnight and now you're talking about I mean it's yeah it's all sorts of domino effects on a lot of things yeah okay so here's I think I've got this up here is the uh, the part where Terrence is talking about it and uh, how he showed up to the main event and and what happened on time so I, I show up on time because I think you know it's a deep structure uh, you know I think you know, if there's if there's some dead money, I want to. If somebody's going to just punt off his stack with with aces in the first level, I want to be there for that. Um, so uh, so I get there, and you know, obviously, I uh, they've they've they. I, I don't know this, but I've got my seat card. You know, it says whatever three hundred five seat four or whatever, and I go over and, and table three hundred five is completely empty. So I have to go over to the tournament director there and get a new seat card uh, because I guess they. Funny enough, didn't have enough tables because I guess what happens is if, if everybody shows up late, there might only be two or three players at each table, right? And then they don't want a bunch of like three-handed tables in what's supposed to be a nine-handed tournament, so they reshuffle the tables. So I got I got a new seat card, ended up getting seated at the table right next to Jack and the other tournament directors, and uh, I, I feel like like Jack's a little bit frosty at me, but I'm like, okay, I I, I can sort of understand that. I, I took our our thing public, you know, but you know. So before we continue here. What, ha- what happened was Terrence got sat down, and then they had to combine some tables because they they spread everyone out, and then there weren't enough people showing up early enough, so they didn't want the player the tables to go shorthanded. So they moved Terrence to another table, and right where they move him happens to be next to the place where just the tournament director, Jack Effel, and other tournament directors with him were sitting, just kind of where they were hanging out. So he's like, oh, boy, <laughs> look, look who I'm right next to here now. Look who's like – 
right by me after we just went off on each other on social media. So he knew that this was potentially a bad situation, but it got worse. Maybe he'll get over it or whatever. Um, so I'm playing at this table, you know, you know, just playing hands, but I can still hear them talking because they're literally at the next table. And I can tell that they're frustrated because there aren't nearly there there aren't enough there aren't nearly as many players as they're expecting right now. I think there's really only about fifty ish people in the actually in the room. Okay. Uh, most of the tables are seven handed, so it's it's looking like a pretty empty room. And you know, Jack says something. Uh, you know, to the to the I can't remember exactly what he said, but I I sort of make him say I gave him a needle and said, well, maybe everybody thought it was four. Oh, uh, and uh, he he blows he blows his top. So yeah, he blows his top. I'm not sure you heard that over the sound effect. He said, "So Terrence, uh, he's overhearing them talking about. Oh yeah, well, we wish we had more people here. It's it's so strange that so far we don't have that many people showing up. So Terrence kind of makes a joke back to him, referring now to this other event, this main event, saying, well." Maybe the fact that we don't have everyone here at 12 is because everyone thought it was four. <laughs> so because that was the excuse for why they delayed the other one. So then Jack got really pissed. On that one. He, <laughs> what he said? Well, actually, I said maybe you should have started at, uh, you know, and he's like, did you know I had to? Did you know I had to fucking you know redraw the whole tournament? Maybe I should have started at four. I should, you know, did you know I had to redraw the whole fucking tournament? Did you know that, buddy? And I'm like, whoa, whoa! I was just, I was just making a joke. Maybe, maybe the joke was in bad taste, but I thought I was, I, you know, me, I'm a dumbass. I, I just thought I was trying to break the ice a little bit. Well, I think people that don't know you, T, would take that. Not so that Jack doesn't know you, but uh, maybe doesn't have a lot of interaction with you. Like your, your. <laughs> Your dry sort of way you say things might be taken the wrong way. I know that you you're joking Certainly. because we yeah. know each other, but maybe somebody doesn't. Now I can understand that. It's a good point. That uh, to me, it did sound like a needle. It didn't sound like a joke, especially when they've been going back and forth on social media about it. And then Jack's not even talking to him. Jack's talking to the other tournament directors and and going, ah, it sucks that we you know we have this kind of turnout so far. I don't know where everybody is. And then Terrence goes, ah, that probably they thought he was starting at four. And he knew exactly what Terrence was referring to. And he's like, oh my god, now he's now he's trolling me in person too. So I, I understand why that pissed off Jack. Now I I think Jack made the wrong decision before that to have uh, delayed out of the tournament. But I I think this is where you have to be a professional. This is where Jack needs to, even if he's mad at Terrence for this, even if he thinks Terrence is out of line, is needling him, which it really sounded like he was. Terrence claims he was, and Terrence claims he was just joking, trying to break the ice, which he might have been. But I can understand why Jack saw this as a needle and as a nasty comment. But this is why, as a professional, you need to let it roll off your back. Understand that's part of the job. Understand you're going to have people criticizing you and making nasty comments to you. And as a professional, you just either ignore it or say, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I know you're still unhappy about the other day, but you know, we didn't have a choice or something like that and end it there. But you you don't get in a, a shouting match with a person who says that if you're the manager. The manager has to keep composure. This isn't just a, a personal situation at a poker table where nobody's working for anybody. If, if you're working for the World Series, if you're the tournament director, you've got to just take it in stride and not let it get out of hand. So this is what happened after. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and that's totally fair. But uh, but he he blew up. He lost the. He he was. Did he get he, your he face? Was not happy. Did he? I, but, you know. But I was like, uh, I, I can't. Did you just say that? Like, did, <laughs> are you are you just saying I'm responsible for this? Like, this is my fault. Yeah. I'm sorry, dude. Like, the tournament starts at noon. It's been printed at noon on the website for a while. Anyway, he was he was not. I mean, I said I said like, listen, it's it, it's not personal. But uh, and then we. we we got into it quite a bit, and uh, oh, really? The, the pardon me. You got into it, like you're yelling at each other. Yeah, we were. I'll tell. I'll put. I'll put it to you this way. I mean, I'm sitting in in the three seat, and so he's also sitting in what would be like the three seat at like the next table over, right? So yeah. we're pretty, we're pretty physically close to each other. So we're not. There's there's no real need to yell. Yeah. But on my table, I'm not watching the hand, obviously, at this point. But there there's two guys that are involved in a big 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 pot. Three guys from our table have to like chastise me and Jack because like, hey guys, there's a big pot going on here. Can you be quiet for a sec? Oh wow. <laughs> so people like and I I'm I'm generally like pretty quiet. respectful yeah. when somebody else when when a guy next to me is like playing a big pot, not to, to be a jack, but but he's the tournament director and so we're we're both sniping at each other while these two other guys are trying to play a huge pot in the first level. Uh, yeah, so by the way, I didn't mean to put that current affair sound. I'm not trying to ruin this with sound effects in case you thought I was. But anyway, uh they are yelling at each other, the two of them. Terrence, which is very unlike him. He doesn't ever create a scene like that from what I've seen. And Jack going back and forth, raising their voices. <laughs> where People at the table three times are going, hey, guys, keep it down. We're trying to play a pot here. I guess some big hand was going on at the same time at the table. That's how loud it was getting. And Wow. So here's the aftermath. Well, uh so we we were probably both a little out of line. Uh, I think we both recognized it later. Like so, I mean, I busted uh, the tournament just before dinner. So I came up to him and said, "Like, listen, it's, it's not personal." We, you know, he he was he he was he was upset at at you know a bunch of stuff. Like you know, he he was okay, you know, with me expressing this in public or whatever. You know, he was ex- okay with the, the direct messages. The needle, he said, just just kind of just kind of set him off. It's exactly like you said. It was just sort of like a. A misunderstanding about my uh, my my awkward sense of humor. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the event. So uh, I did not win. The, uh, <laughs> that would have been awkward throw. if you would have won. Well, so so I'm thinking the whole time the the whole time between, um, you know, him yelling at me, and I ended up getting redrawn to a different table. I, I sort of made a joke like, you know, I wonder if I was redrawn like randomly, quote unquote, because uh, like, I got, to, I got moved to like the complete other end of the room, like shortly after, like one of the other, uh, like the assistant tournament directors was like, uh, Terrence. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, he's like, are you the big blind? I'm like, yep. Okay. You're going over with me. I'm like, did you just wait until I would be in the big blind? <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I was, I wouldn't be surprised if that's true. If they, Jack's like, get this guy to my face, get this guy to my face. <laughs> so they actually waited till he was the big blind and moved him. I'm not saying that's for sure what happened, but it's a little suspicious that uh, they they moved him because Jack didn't want to see him anymore. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But uh, I don't blame Terrence for thinking that's the way it goes. For those of you that don't know, in live tournaments, uh, if they need to move someone from one table to another, like let's say one table only has seven people and the other one has nine, uh, they just pick the next person to be the big blind to move them over. And... Terrence is saying maybe they actually intentionally waited till he was the big blind before coming up and saying, okay, we need the next big blind person. So it was on the total other side of the room. Assume it was random. And of it's, course. But, it was yeah. but this whole time I'm thinking, man, this is going to be so good when I win this event and he has to put the bracelet on me. 
just <laughs> oh please what I'm gonna one use time. my one time for this one right now. So what uh, happened? You guys made up? Uh... Yeah, but by the way, I thought I had the same thought when Jack had me blocked on Twitter. I had it all ready to say if I won a bracelet at the World Series during the bracelet ceremony. I was going to get on the mic and say, uh, so, Jack, have I won the opportunity now to be unblocked from your Twitter? Can I have that as part of the prize of winning this event? So uh, I had the same thought. Like, it's kind of weird having a guy award me a bracelet who has me blocked on Twitter. Like, I was picturing him like, this guy here, Todd Wattellis, has won a previous bracelet in 2005, and now in 2015 he has... Ten years later, won his second bracelet. And congratulations, Todd. Very happy to have you as a multi-bracelet winner at the World Series of Poker. And then I'd say, yeah, yeah and now you can unblock me from your Twitter. <laughs> like, I, I was really thinking of saying that. Now I can't say it anymore because I'm not blocked. But I always, I was thinking, like, wouldn't it be so weird to have him awarding me the bracelet and me knowing he has me blocked on Twitter for no good reason? What happened? Yeah, think? I mean, we talked about we, you know, we with this. It's sort of like I said, uh, you know, I, I was I was surprised it got so personal. You know, he admitted fault for for taking it so personal, but he also thought he thought I was bullying him basically by by kind of sending him direct messages on Twitter and going after it on the blog and needling him in person. He thought he thought that I was he thought that I was being a bully, and and he was also offended because uh, of what he'd said because because of, you know he's been helpful to me in the past. You know, I've I've you know he says like you know I've been. I've you know you've been playing the World Series for a long time as I've been charged. I've always tried to I've always tried to be very helpful to you and, and answer all your questions. And you know I went to the World Series in Con back you know whatever five years ago. He's like I, you know I was helpful. You know help get you a ride from the airport but and all this stuff. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on. Hang on. He does. He doesn't. He's the tournament director of the World Series. He owes it to everybody to be helpful and answer their questions. Like, how is that doing you a favor? That's that's what he's supposed to do. It's his job. Um, Anyways, yeah. I, I, that I mean, tilts me all to hell because I mean that's there's that, a level. I mean, I, I agree. Like, I, and I think that's why I, I still feel like he has a greater sense of responsibility as wearing the suit. Like, yeah, like I lost, like I was out of line and he was out of line. But I think it's different when I'm aligned. Like, I don't want to be that jerk that says, "Well, I'm the customer, and therefore, you know, I like you know, right, like yeah. these people who walk into a restaurant and they think that they can abuse the waiter because yeah. that." Because you know they're they're paying customers. Like I don't want to be that guy, but I also feel like I I wasn't. I, I was just airing my expression of of being unhappy with this. But uh. yeah, I mostly agree with him. I Jack does have a greater responsibility to not make the situation worse, not respond to snarky comments, not get into loud arguments with people, to just uh, ignore it, let it roll off his back. And if you can't take it, then you shouldn't be the highly visible manager of the World Series of Poker, which is a very visible poker tournament. In fact, it's the most visible poker tournament in the world. So Terrence, he wasn't just expressing disappointment. I mean, the, the comment he made was was obnoxious. I'm, I'm not saying that he didn't have the right to feel this way. I would have been pissed, too, if I were Terrence. I would have brought all this up on social media, too. I wouldn't call it bullying. It's not bullying to express your dissatisfaction. I didn't see Terrence uh, writing bad things about Jack personally. I just saw Terrence complaining about them delaying the tournament for four hours because they wanted more people and inconveniencing the 50 who had registered and shown up at the right time. And Terrence has a right to do that as someone who registered for that tournament. 
So that's not bullying. Uh, maybe you can say the comment was because Terrence wasn't even part of the conversation. He interrupted a conversation that Jack was having with other employees there to make a snarky comment. So yeah, that was that was kind of obnoxious. I'll I'll give Jack that. That uh, you know, Terrence can't say he's just breaking the ice. I mean, that was that was in bad taste to say when you've just had a you just had it out with a tournament director on there. If you uh, on social media, you don't want to interrupt their conversation with other employees and make a reference to that. Criticizing them again, even if you think you're joking, and I, I think Terrence realizes that. So, he's admitting that, and I give him credit for that for admitting that he was out of line too. And yeah, it is Jack's responsibility much more than Terrence's to not let this escalate because Jack is the manager there. Nobody's paying Terrence to be there. Terrence is a customer, and he made one comment. It was, it's not like he said, "Hey, Jack." Thanks for being such an asshole on Twitter. Like, I, I can understand if there's something, like, really, really offensive that Jack will react. You know, he's not a robot. He has to, he's human. If uh, he's personally attacked like that, I can see him responding if he is the manager. In general, the managers of the World Series, they, they, they all need to lighten up a bit with getting angry about criticism. All of them do. Ty Stewart does, Jack Effel does, Seth Polanski does, all of them do. All of them need to calm down a bit and not get so emotional when their work is criticized. They're, they're in a very public industry with a lot of public discussion of their decisions. Uh, look at the general manager of a baseball team or even the on-field manager of a baseball team. Do you, do you know how often uh, Don Mattingly gets bashed? Or got bashed. He's not the manager of the Dodgers anymore. He moved over to the Marlins now. But uh, he got bashed all the time in the media and in social media. Uh, the general managers of the team have gotten bashed plenty. They took a public job. Their decisions get scrutinized by a lot of people. A lot of people write nasty things about their decisions even sometimes about them personally, but they understood that when they took the job and they don't respond to it. They don't create confrontation over it. If you're at Dodger Stadium and you yell something out of the stands to the manager and he hears you, he's not supposed to respond. He's not supposed to get in a shouting match with you. In fact, uh, the general manager of the Dodgers, former general manager, Kevin Malone, got fired for that reason because in San Diego, someone heckled him from the stands and he's, he got in a shouting match with the guy. So he got fired. So you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to get in a shouting match with the customer if he's criticizing you with the work you've been doing. If, if he's criticizing your decision, just let it roll off. And if, if that's not part of your personality, if that's something you can't do, then you shouldn't be the manager then you should work behind the scenes where you don't have to take this. But uh, all three of the managers involved with the World Series, I feel they they just need to lighten up a bit. They need to uh, understand there will be criticism, understand there will be people who will criticize them rudely, and they should just always respond politely and professionally even if the person criticizing them is wrong or out of line. That's what they all need to learn to do. And out of a pool of tens of thousands of players, you're going to have some that will approach you or tweet at you in a rude fashion. 
and also some who are criticizing you unfairly when you've actually done a good job and they don't give you credit for it and just pick everything apart you're doing and find the slightest fault. You'll have that too. You've just got to let it roll off. So they, they all need to work on this, to be honest. But, um, I mean, he took it personally. He take he does take stuff personally. And uh, In, in know, fairness think- to him, I honestly think I understand how he took it personally. When you did yeah. give him the needle, like, right there in front of people... Um, and I, again, I get that you're joking, but I don't think it probably came off as a joke and he didn't get it, see it that way. I, I get that. Yep. I agree. Right. And I think, and I think further to that, I think he, he is passionate about his job. Like he's very fiery about his job. He like, he likes being the tournament director of the world series book. He doesn't just think of it as a job. Sure. And he takes a lot of personal pride in that. And I think almost more than he should, he doesn't have like professional distance, I guess is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, That's a good point, Terrence. That's a good point. I, I think that too. I think that uh, that could be the problem with all of them. That uh, if your job becomes too important and you attach too much of your personal happiness to uh, success at work or appreciation of your work, then you can get really angry at people if they criticize your work. Uh, and I mean that's that's fair, but uh, yeah, I mean it's it'll be okay. I mean I'm sure it'll still, you know, you know, relationship whatever. But yeah, I, I had a lot of tweets at me going, or a lot of people saying in person like, "Geez, I hope you don't need a ruling today." <laughs> it sounds like he treats tournament directing like parenting, a little bit. Pro- I think that's probably true. Uh, one of my favorite tweets was Lance Bradley, who said, "Hey guys, I'm having a barbecue at oh, four. So Unless nobody shows up, then it's at eight. <laughs> just said nothing like didn't reference anything yeah, yeah. like that's like he just woke up in the morning and that's what he tweeted it was great uh winner <laughs> so, so yeah so that's the end of the clip i'm gonna play dumb situation it shouldn't have come to this and the only thing i'll say in jack's defense and i know that uh, adam said it too and even terrence kind of said it is that uh, this was a needle and this was Something that shouldn't have been said by Terrence. I wouldn't if if I went through the exact same thing as Terrence. There's no way I would have made that comment. I would have kept my mouth shut. And you guys know I'll speak up if I don't like something. But there's no way I would have done that to Jack there. In fact, I've had times before where I've been really frustrated about something at the World Series, and I'll see Jack walk by or, or sitting by me or something. I'm I'm never going to make a comment, an offhanded comment, just to piss him off. Never. Never. And uh, it's asking for trouble especially knowing the way Jack is. Like, there's no way I would do it. Um, one time I, I did have a direct argument with Jack back in 2007 when they did that dumb poker tent thing and I played in 100-degree weather. Inside, you know, inside it was 100 degrees. So I had a, a direct argument with him about that. But uh, I, I would never, like, needle him with comments and I wouldn't do that to Seth or Ty or anybody there. I just, you know, I... I I want to try to show some respect to the management as well, even if I don't agree with them. So I'm not going to make comments like that. And I know Terrence is saying he was just trying to lighten the situation, and maybe he was, and it just came off wrong. So I understand why Jack got mad, but Jack should, should have like, ended it right there. And Terrence was right about what he was frustrated about. He just took it a bit too far with the needling. Seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five is the phone number seven zero two four three zero eighteen zero eight. You can also text us on the seven seven five number. Uh, someone asking, is it too late to put a bounty on 
the Tommy Bad Girl. I don't know if he's trying to say that's uh, Bad Guy 23. His name is Tom. But yeah, you can't put a bounty on at this point. The tournament's probably about over by now, if it, if it isn't already. Let me take a look at any texts I received besides that one before we move on to our next topic. And while you're looking, Drop, it does just seem like they, they need like another layer in between the players and and you know what what uh what whoever I forget the guy's name already. What they're dealing with is the tournament directors and stuff. Because it just seems like they're not they're not able they're just understaffed, it seems yeah, like. I've said this before too. I've said they need yeah. someone in the middle who is empowered but also very thick skinned and who is the one in between the managers and the players who can take criticism, who can filter out what is legitimate criticism and what is bullshit and then bring anything legitimate or semi-legitimate to the managers, get their attention, get a response, and then bring it back to the players. And then if, if that guy, you know, if, if eventually you have to go above his head, fine, but someone who handles most of these type of things and is empowered to make some decisions and is also someone who understands player standpoints, not just a a person there to say things that sound good, but in reality are just excuses. Like someone who's really going to get things done. Someone who really sees things from the player point of view and then makes it happen or gives advice to the, uh, to the managers there. And I think uh, yeah. that that's who they need there rather than uh, having to, having the people deal directly with the managers who don't always have the best temperament when things aren't going well. Because I, I had thought that too, that, Maybe this even interferes with the manager's ability to do their job well if uh, they're all stressed with something that's difficult with planning the World Series or the World Series Europe or whatever they're doing at the moment, and then they're bombarded with comments that are critical of them, and and they're already in a bad mood about the way everything else is going, and they they let things slip out, which they shouldn't. So I think they really do. I've said this before. They really need someone in the middle there. And, and someone saying in chat, you mean Kev Math. Kev Math would be a great person for that. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like Kev Math, even like Lance Bradley, they should hire just people that know. You know, and then it's like with the things like the restaurants staying open late, and, yeah. you know, over the World Series. Right. Then that stuff will get handled. They're getting sucked into so much stuff, and they got a big job to do, and they've certainly executed a lot of great things, and they've had a lot of issues too. But they're getting – there's just – they should not be dealing with that level yeah, there's there's too much they're dealing with on on a yeah on a low level, and they shouldn't. They should be at the higher level, at the things they deal with, and then uh, they should have someone in the middle who can deal with these things and and is good at that type of job, and and also will not get mad if they get criticized or if the World Series gets criticized. Someone who just can ignore all that stuff and get to the issues. So uh, someone in chat said, Druff, you are definitely getting sued by 2 plus 2. <laughs> you know, with Mason, I wouldn't put it past him. I, w- I would hope that Mason would hear this and go, wow, this is good publicity for our poker cast. That, uh, it, it's not like I'm playing the whole poker cast. I'm playing like a seven-minute clip here. So, yeah, I didn't get permission or anything. And, of course, if Mason were to demand I stop this, I would stop it. I wouldn't be a Dutch boy and just say F you. Like, I, w- I would stop it if Mason asked me to stop. But I would think, like, I don't care if people want to play little clips of my show. Uh, it would give me publicity. Like, I, I would think it's getting them publicity here. And uh, especially because I agree with them in this case. 
So uh, Aaron Mykunt is advising me, time to start typing that apology letter. (laughs) (laughs) Dutch Boyd was forced to have an apology letter up on 2 Plus 2, which is both sad and hilarious at the same time. So, yeah, you know, on this show, I I just play whatever. If there's something I want to talk about and have a sound clip of it, I'll play it. I'll play the Republican National Debate. I'll play the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast for a few minutes. I'll, I'll play whatever to so you guys can hear the thing I heard that I'm about to discuss. It's better than me describing what was said. All right, so uh, let's move on to the four-color deck thing. So when you play online poker... Do you prefer a two-color deck or a four-color deck? You know, I've played with a four-color deck a couple of times, if that. You know, I'm just used to a two-color. Four-color certainly seems to make sense. Yeah, that, that's what I... Especially with some of the issues. I, I was using a four-color. Once I realized it was there, I was using it online all the time. It really makes it much easier to see what's going on, especially if you're multi-tabling. But even if you're not, when you're playing online poker, you kind of go into a little bit of a trance, especially if you're doing things in the background. You may be browsing the web. You may be looking at porn. uh, You may be uh, texting with someone. There's a lot of things you might be doing in the background, watching TV. And uh, you can say in a perfect world you're paying 100% attention the whole time, but sometimes you can't. Sometimes, in fact, if you do, you'll get a feeling of burnout. And you never want to make that mistake where you think you have hearts and you actually have diamonds and you're chasing a flush that you really can't make. So I I don't see any downside to the four-color deck. I'm not a purist who feels like, oh, my God, no, decks have to be two colors, red and black, that's it, or it bothers me. No, I, I like the ability online to see the four suits very clearly by knowing that each one's a different color. So I, I always have the four-color deck on in any kind of poker software where that exists. I have said for years, I would love to see poker cards made that have four colors because that would make it uh, easier the same way playing live. I've had it before where I get paranoid that the flush I'm chasing in a tournament is not really what I think it is because I, I've seen the wrong suit. I think I've seen hearts, but I really have diamonds or vice versa. I think I see spades, but it's really clubs. So in Malta at the EPT, they are going to try a four-color deck. They've introduced four-color decks into some of the events, and they're going to be on trial to see how much people like them. And the black clubs have been replaced with green clubs, and the red diamonds are now blue diamonds. The card player, the card maker, Copag produced a thousand of these decks for the EPT, which of course is owned by PokerStars, and they will be tried out in upcoming events at the EPT in Prague, and at the uh, PokerStars live room in Italy, and half of them will be sent to the PokerStars live room in Macau. But uh, in the meantime, they're being tried out at the current stop in Malta for the EPT. However, the feedback has not been completely positive. There are some people who say it is hard to see what colors you have because of the lighting. 
that the uh, there is kind of like a greenish light on the table there in Malta, and this made it hard to see the difference between green and black cards. Now, you can say, well, you had cards that were already the same color before in the two-color deck, that uh, two suits are the same color and the other two suits are the same color, so you still had to look at the design of the suit rather than just the color. But uh, people were complaining that the green and the black cards looked the same. And then they someone complained and they changed to a white light over the table. But I guess that still was a problem because uh, this caused a bigger reflection. So one particular person named Kenny Hallert said, there's no need for a four-color deck. You're only one tabling a live tournament. How hard is it? Uh, so... Jake Cody, who is a Team Poker Stars pro, said that maybe if they made the colors brighter on these cards, that'll help combat the problem of the bad lighting in the room, making it hard to see the colors. However, some other people, like uh, Mike McDonald, also known as Timex, said that he's in favor of the four-color decks. He said that uh, he just played a pot in an event where the decks are not four colors, and he didn't know the suit of one of his cards, and uh, presumably he was afraid to look again to give off a tell. So it's much better if uh, you have a four-color deck, according to him. He tweeted, hashtag four-color for all events. I would like to see the four-color decks everywhere in poker. I think they can't hurt. Maybe they have to tweak them a bit to where the colors are brighter and easier to see, but I think this doesn't have any downside, aside from pissing off the purists who want to see both suits the same color. You have to understand that uh, playing cards have existed for a very long time, longer than any of us have been alive. So, in fact, longer than any people on Earth have been alive. So the needs of today are not necessarily the needs of... I think it was the 1800s when the uh, modern current deck that's still being used was invented. Do you know? Is that when it was, the 1800s? That sounds about right. I'm not sure, though. I'm assuming it's late 1800s. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Maybe, maybe the chat can help us out. I, I think it's late 1800s, too, when uh, the deck we see today was was made. Uh, in the chat, also, uh, JSTAT is saying easier to hold card an opponent with four colors, especially with flush draws. So he's saying that uh, by hold card, he means being able to quickly see someone looking at their uh, their cards that uh, from a distance you might be able to see quickly what co- color is their card and figure out they have a flesh draw. So he doesn't sound like he's for it. Lost in Poker says, I don't like it, but I think it's just something new and I don't like change. I see why Omaha players, uh, as for broadcasting, EPT uses all RFID, so the graphic shows what's red. Uh, deck 2 or 4 doesn't matter, right? Yeah, this isn't about broadcasting. This is just about uh, players seeing it. Uh, at this past World Series, there was a lot of issues with the cards, and one of them is it was difficult to tell the spades from the clubs the way they're designed. So this would have solved that problem, too. China Maniac says four-color deck is God, so he's very much for the four-color deck. From the 410 saying, I'm playing four-color deck heads up for the free roll. Can I call in? Wow. He's... All right. Scott from the East Coast wants to call in. He can. <laughs> Even while he's playing heads up. And our poker room has four colors. That shows you how much I know about our own poker room. I didn't know that. 
I did not know the poker room on my own site has four colors, but I've learned. But yeah, Does she, it on Bovada, Jeff? Uh, yes. Oh. Yeah. I guess I should look for that button. Yeah, I, I turned that on. So, okay. Uh, here's some comments from the text messages. Then we'll put on Scott from the East Coast as he's calling in right now. Uh, this is from the 805. If they don't know which deck is which, certainly all the decks that hadn't been disposed of prior to being told of the cheating. This is referring to the Valerio Coca situation. At least they could have checked all the decks to know where there had been cheating by anyone, if not who. At least there had been someone cheating. What? I don't understand that at all. I'm sorry. That's from Gutito21. Uh, from the 915, he tried to send me a picture message. Did not come through. I don't get those on this number. You can email it to me at uh, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Uh, let's see here. The 617, you would think a guy like Chris Christie, who always rails against the ex- against excess, would maybe want to lay off the extra food at the buffet. Yeah, I mean, it may actually hurt him in the election that he's fat. People have said that for years. Uh, KevMath is telling me to check something, which I will do. He said... Can I talk about the Poker Hall of Fame stuff with you? Yes. He just left the chat. Like, right right when I mention him, he leaves the chat. All right, Scott, what would you like to talk about? Um, playing the guy heads up, and um, I tell him to call in, but he mumbles badly. Okay. You're playing mumbles badly heads up? Well, who, who's the leader? Yeah. Right? Who, who's who's winning, you or him? He's winning because he's got all the cards. I keep showing 3-9, do 6. I see do 6, and I think of them going, you need to fold that pretty bad. Uh, do six is what uh, bubbled me at the 10 at the five K limit Hold'em event in uh, 2012. I, I bubbled with ace King against six deuce. I was the, the bubble boy. It was brutal. Yeah, I got turned on the, on the turn. He hit a straight with it. So anyway, uh, what else did you hey, want to talk I about? Give a thank, can I give a thank you to those master children of Tommy? Since they're not getting anything for this, and he's taking their money and giving it to us. That's a good point. You know, uh, Bad Guy 23 donating $75 to this free roll, it also means that he cannot give $75 for child support. That's probably much needed. So I bet I bet Bad Guy's children are going to go hungry tonight with the money that you are going to be collecting as either the winner or second place finisher in this free roll. That's a point I didn't even think of. But, I'm going to take second place the way these cards are falling. Like, I'm not, I got 5-9 right here. Just raise me. Listen, you, you've got to. I'll tell you what you've got to do. You've got to. You've got to take the. You got to take a cue from someone else from the East Coast, Rep Porter, who was heads up with me in 2006 to uh, make the final table of the Limit Hold'em Shootout, and he was down to very few chips, and he rivered me, and then won every hand, and then he made the final table, not me. So you got You got to do that. Except just win the event. Yeah, what I need to do, like just. Bring it, bring it in one time. Hey, uh, Trey Dursky, is he still awake? Yeah. Absolutely. He's here. He falls asleep a lot. I don't know what's up with that guy. But he's awake now. you got to bring that up when he actually falls asleep. He's He's been awake the whole time. And you can keep me on falling asleep if we need to get past the five hours for the uh, 50 bucks. Yeah. It's, we're, we're... You know, that that could count as the radio show even if you sign off if I'm sleeping. <laughs> That's right. I can just I can just leave and let you snore for the final whatever time, exactly. final hour. Wow. Oh, wait. Todd? Todd? Yeah. yeah. Todd? Yes. It might be all over. Oh, he folded. Oh. 
Oh and, my. And, and Scott, you're getting married soon, right? I am. You should you should definitely come out and party that the week before. You know, I told I, you I was trying to come to Vegas, but it's just not working out. Yeah, I, you're just so far away. Like I, I just I don't go to the East Coast very often. I I, I mean I was there in uh, the Canadian East Coast not too long ago, but I just I don't make that many trips out to New York, New Jersey, especially Baltimore where you are. I just I just don't make it out there that often. You say I'm in Baltimore. I'm actually in Maryland, but I'm nowhere close to Baltimore. Well, Maryland's so small, though. How far can it be? Uh, it'd be four hours from Baltimore and still really? in Maryland. You can drive four hours, and that shows you. I I always think of Maryland as smaller. I guess because California is so it huge. Can take you, it can take you six hours to drive across the state. Really? See, I, I, I picture Maryland yeah. as being so small. Like, I, I think of uh, the West... Western states as being so large, it just takes a long time to get across any of those. But uh, the eastern states, aside from New York, which I know is pretty large, uh, they all seem so tiny to me. You can just get across them so quickly. I guess Pennsylvania, too. That's pretty big. It's funny. I can actually get four states away and drive the same distance time-wise and still be in the state. So it's not that small. You know what is deceptively large? And it'll sound strange when I say this is Rhode Island because the one time I was there, I thought I'd just like breeze right through really quickly, and it actually took me a substantial amount of time to get through Rhode Island without even much traffic. Really? Yeah, I don't know how. It just where were you going? I I, I just kind of went through it, and it just took forever. And it wasn't even like the traffic was bad. It just I, I couldn't believe how long I was still driving in Rhode Island. I, I kind of just pictured I'd be there for like twenty minutes and out of it. No, it's definitely not twenty. It's good 50 minutes it's a boring drive once you pass Providence yeah that's what it seemed like it was like it took a it lot depends. longer I mean I'm sorry I'm assuming you're going north at that point when I don't remember anymore it was, it was a while ago boring. it was a while ago probably nine years or so but okay well thank you for calling in Scott and uh good luck with the free roll all right I'll call in and make this five hours long if you need me to okay Later. thank you all right so got from the east coast called in and uh in the free roll currently And let's see here. What am I doing? I see. I hate the new Skype. It full screened it. I don't want it to full screen it. What a mess. I mean, these. I you know, I started to look up the history of playing cards, and it went into the 1400s. There was the Chinese cards, and these cards, and that cards. I can't even get a straight answer from Wikipedia. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's that's what we need to find out of when was the first instance of the identical playing cards to what we have today. Not not some right. form of it. The fifty two card deck. Yeah, fifty two card right. deck with yeah. the, in the exact configuration we have with with uh, ace through ten and then jack through king. And right. eight. it looks like those were from France. But it doesn't. It's not a date on here. But okay, I won't stop the show. Whatever, whatever it is, I'm sure. Whatever it is, I'm 100 percent sure that it uh, predates everybody currently living on planet Earth. In fact, we're almost to the point where every single person born before 1900 will be dead. There's got to be just about nobody left who was born in 1899 or before. In fact, no males have ever lived to 117. So anyone born in 1899 is going to be at least 116. 
There was a female who made it past 120. A French woman who made it to, I think, 121 or 122. But we have mostly dudes listening to this show. So no matter how lucky you are, you're probably not going to live past 116. Because nobody has yet. And that's one area that we haven't really progressed, despite all the advances in modern medicine. We just cannot extend the very, very upper bound of age limit as far as uh, how, how long you can live. The average age that people are living to is getting longer and longer, but uh, not the top age. So for the lucky few that make it past 110, it's about the same number of people that used to. And even if the number is a little higher, no one's making it past 120, except for that one woman. Of all the uh, billions of people who have lived on Earth, only one person, a woman, has made it past 120. So, another depressing thought, and I've said it before, in about 50 years, I think just about everybody who's listening to the show will be dead. Including me. Actually, if I live another 50 years, I'll have done well. Like, if, if someone told me I was going to live to 93, I'd be fine with that. Yep. 90, late 80s. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. It, it, what would just suck is, like, you just get hit with a heart attack and die at some young age, you know, 52 or late 40s. That's, that's really awful. Yeah. So, uh, talk about uh, MGM M-Life and how players outside of Vegas are getting screwed, and I hope they realize it. Now, there are two large rewards programs for casinos in the United States. There's Total Rewards associated with Caesars, and there's M-Life for MGM properties. And these are useful because you earn status at whatever property you play at most, and then you can use that status to have perks at other properties they own in other parts of the country, which is great. And that's the reason... I make the effort to earn seven stars every year is because I like the perks that come with seven stars. And I like that I have them at these other properties I go to in New Orleans and uh, Atlantic City and uh, in Lake Tahoe and, uh, of course, in Vegas, in the Rincon San Diego. There's so many different ones I can go to. And even I've never set foot in the property before. I have a bunch of perks there, which normally you would never get. So that's what's great about Total Rewards. MGM has something similar called M-Life, where just like Total Rewards, you're earning status through something called tier credits. And you start at the bottom level and you work your way up by earning tier credits through your play. Now, I'm not going to compare and contrast the two programs. I've done that before. You can go to the casino and Las Vegas section of the Poker Fraud Alert forum if you want to see a thread I created about that. But I learned something very recently which kind of bothers me, even though it doesn't affect me because I don't really play in MGM properties outside of Vegas. But it still bothers me because there's not really a good reason for it and it's not very fair and I think a lot of people are taken by surprise by it and not in a good way. That is that MGM M-Life 
severely under-rewards players who are not in Las Vegas properties. Oops, I was supposed to do the current affair there, but it's just at the end of it. So here's the credits you'll earn. Of course, the tier credits, you cannot spend tier credits. These are not comps. They don't have a dollar value. Tier credits are to increase your status. So you move up your status from the bottom tier all the way to the top tier, which is uh, Noir is the top tier. That's actually invitation only. Platinum is the second highest tier that you can earn without invitation. And uh, you earn these by earning tier credits. 200,000 tier credits will earn you Platinum, which is the second highest level at MGM M-Life. So in Las Vegas at MGM Properties, and these include Bellagio, New York, New York, Mirage, MGM Grand, uh, several others that are all part of the MGM M-Life program. Monte Carlo is another one. At any of the Vegas properties on M-Life, if you play $10 of slots, you earn 33.3333 tier credits. Meaning if you play $30 worth of slots, you earn 100 tier credits. So basically it's 3.3 tier credits per dollar rolled through in slots. So every time you, it doesn't matter what you win, just if you bet that amount. You bet $10 in slots, you get 33 and a third tier credits right there. Video poker, you get a little bit less. You, uh, If you bet $10 in video poker, you get 10 tier credits. So you basically get a tier credit per dollar you play in video poker. That's because you don't lose as much playing video poker on average as you do in slots, so they don't give you as much. Makes sense. And you can earn tier credits spending money on property. This is where you can especially rack it up quickly. If you spend $10 on property at an MGM M-Life casino, this includes the hotel, spa, dining, entertainment, you will earn 250 tier credits for every $10 spent. So again, the numbers are 33 and a third for $10 slot play, 10 for $10 video play, video poker play, and $10 spent on property, 250. But what if you play, this is for Vegas, what if you play at the Beau Rivage or Gold Strike Tunica, which are also MGM properties? There, you earn... 6.66 6.66 tier credits for $10 slot play. Now that's compared to 33 and a third. That's a huge difference. That's a difference of five times. You earn t- five times fewer tier credits for the exact same slot play on the exact same machine with the exact same odds at Beau Rivage and Gold Strike Tunica than you would at Vegas. $10 video poker play, same thing. Difference of five times. It goes from... Uh, 10 tier credits for $10 video poker play to 2 tier credits for $10 video poker Oof. play. And then if you spend $10 on property at Beau Rivage or Gold Strike Tunica, you get only 80 tier credits as opposed to the 250 you would be getting at MGM Las Vegas and any of their properties there. If you think that's bad, Detroit's even worse. If you play at the MGM Grand Detroit, you get half as much as that. You get one-tenth of what you would get in Vegas, meaning... 3.33 tier credits for every $10 slot you play instead of 33.3. One tier credit for $10 video poker play instead of 10 that you get in Vegas. And if you spend $10 on property, you get 80 tier credits instead of 250. So that's not a factor of 10, but still much less. So that's really brutal. And it means it takes a lot longer, especially if you're doing it through play, to earn tier status at MGM Detroit 
and at Boat Revive and Gold Strike Tunica than it does at Las Vegas. And I think they're only doing that because of lacking competition. If they had a lot more competition, they would make it equal, but they, they're screwing people in those locations because they don't really have much else choice of where to go. Caller, you're on the air. Yeah, this is Mumbles Badly. <laughs> okay. I just uh, finished the um, the tournament, and I, I just lost, and I want to say thanks to Bad Girl. Is this really a Mumbles Badly, know. or is it somebody else? What? Are you really Mumbles Badly? You sounds like you're putting on a weird voice. No, I am Mumbles Badly. I just have a problem with my... Sometimes I get congestion. I mean, I'd understand if it was congested badly, but you're supposed to be Mumbles Badly. So I'm hearing no mumbling, and I'm hearing a lot of congestion. Well, I'm, I'm making an effort not to mumble because I'm on the radio, so... Okay. You know, out of respect. Out of respect. So you're saying... You, now, did you win the tournament, or did you finish second? No, I finished second, and I was, uh, the deal was I was supposed to call it and say, thanks to Bad Girl for a good game. It was, it was tough at the end. Uh, I was ahead, double double chips at one point, and uh, the player turned it around. Wow, so he turned it around despite, you know, he was said he was very pessimistic when he was on here before, saying that uh, he thought he was going to lose and finish second. And here he came back. He channeled Rep Porter like I was telling him to. And and came back to beat you, so okay. I, I, people are needling bad guy here for being so generous. No, no, to, it's bad girl, not bad guy. That's the problem. The people here are being so mean to him. He donates seventy five dollars of his hard won money from me, and then uh, people are so mean to him about it. This is uh, he's good in my book. All right, here's here's Scott. Scott, do you have anything to say? Yeah, yeah, mumbles. Thanks, man. You played well. Um, I appreciate you calling in and thanking Tommy. Tommy Girl, too. I appreciate Tommy Girl's money. Um, <laughs> Mumbles played good. I just had some shitty cards, and I outplayed him. Good player. You know, you got to watch Tommy out here. Like... You've got to watch out here, both of you, that uh, bad guy next time can exclude you from the prize. He's allowed to do that. He's a, Anyone who donates to the free roll is allowed to exclude anyone that he doesn't want to see win. I allow yeah, that. I tell, you what, right, I tell you what right now, Todd. Forget Steve Money. I appreciate everything he's done. I'll donate every week with a bounty on me every week I play. Okay. So if bad girl wants to exclude me, feel free. All right. People are going to miss out on a on a bounty every single week. Well, he's probably not listening now. He's probably at Grandma Rosa's, so you're probably okay. Uh, he's probably in the back of a police car because hopefully they caught him. He wouldn't respond to anything on the on the fort on the uh, chat. Yeah, so, he kind of appears and disappears. You never know what's going on with him, but he always comes back. That's Our- fine. All right. Well, thank- every week that bad guy plays, I'll put a bounty on myself. All right. Very good. All right. Thank- ten dollars. Ten dollars. Whoever wants it, come and get it. All right. Thank you, Scott. And, uh, and love you, Todd. All right. I, I got to get off the phone. I'm running out of minutes here. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Okay, Bob. <laughs> I don't know what to make of this. I don't, I'm not even sure if that was really mumbles badly. I I will give him credit that it was him, but I'm not totally sure. You, you never know. I've had I've had this pulled on me before where people pretend to be another user and I totally buy it and then later I feel like a fool because it's not them. Yeah, Aaron Mike saying it sounds like Phil Delante from the old uh, prank calls from the Neverwind Poker Show. It did. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. Wouldn't it be funny if Mumbles Badly was actually Mike on this whole time and was just like screwing with me? This guy kind of appeared out of nowhere and became very active on the forum even though people were trolling him and I'd, I'd never heard him before. Until now, unless that wasn't really him. I guess we'll see. I guess he'll post if that was really him or not. 
that's not what I expected him to sound like. I didn't expect the gravelly voice, and I expected, like, more mumbling. In fact, I, I presume that's why he wasn't calling in, because he mumbles so much. This kind of ruins it. I, re- I really thought that was a serious name. All right, let's see. Uh, let's go to the general topics. That's the end of the poker and gambling topics. That's all I got for tonight. Someone wanted me to talk about MGM spinning off, kind of like the way Caesars did, and splitting their assets. But I don't feel like it. I just, I just don't feel like it. I could talk about, it, but I don't feel like it. So it's not going to be done. Though, if I want to make the show five hours, then I, I probably could manage that with that topic. But. Let's talk about the uh, the Republican debate minus the Chris Christie thing, which I already talked about. Uh, people were very critical of CNBC for the way the debate was moderated, both that it felt like the moderators lost control of the whole thing and that there were too many loaded questions which were attempting to get either the candidate they were asking the question pissed off or to get the candidate to talk trash about another candidate. And uh, they weren't having it. None of the candidates were going for this. In fact, they were actually defending each other, like, oh, don't ask him that. Like, they were they were all trying to say, basically, we're not dignifying this with a response. So I, I give the candidates credit for that because uh, that's not really what the debate should be about. The debate shouldn't be ask the candidate an uncomfortable question about himself or find where he's vulnerable and, and get him to answer to it. It should be more about the issues and how each of them will, uh, you know, what their take on each of these issues are, their positions on the issues. It, should, it shouldn't be about exploiting their vulnerabilities and seeing how they can defend themselves. And that's what uh, it looked like CNBC was going for. And I, and I could tell, like, there was a lot of talk about, oh, this is a liberal station. They're trying to, uh, they're trying to attack the Republicans. They're trying to make the Republicans look bad. Uh, the debate with the Democrats wasn't like this. But I, I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way. I see it that they thought they were making good television. They thought they were so clever coming up with these controversial questions or coming up with these loaded questions that will lead the candidates to insulting one another. They thought they were creating an epic debate that would have a lot of great sound bites and, and a lot of conflict and a lot of controversy that everyone would be talking about for years. That's, that's what CNBC thought they were doing. That's what these moderators thought they were doing. That was their plan. And it turned out that this backfired, that people didn't like it. People, in fact, applauded the candidates for not falling for it and for refusing to answer those type of questions. And CNBC ended up looking stupid. And I've even seen a lot of liberals criticizing CNBC, saying that this was stupid, that they shouldn't have done this. So it's not even just Republicans who are mad about this. The uh, Democrats, a lot of people on the other side, think this was bad as well. So I, I think most people believe that the CNBC moderators did a pretty poor job. And I agree with that. Regarding the candidates, uh, I have to say that Jeb Bush 
didn't do a good job. He came off as too soft. Even in that one clip I played of him answering about fantasy sports, first he gave a good answer. Then at the end, he seemed noncommittal and didn't know what the right plan was. It's like he, he comes at sort of forceful at first about something needs to be done. There was insider trading there, blah, blah, blah. Good, good, good. Then he says, but I don't know if the federal government should get involved. I don't know if that's the answer. I don't think we should get the federal government involved in anything new, whatever he said. It's a, it was one of these things like, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, we need to do something. But I don't really know what that is. I don't know what we should do, which is not a good thing to hear from a presidential candidate, even about a small issue like fantasy sports. So he has been struggling in the polls. At one point, he was expected to be the candidate against Hillary Clinton before Donald, Donald Trump entered the picture. And uh, he's never really taken off. He's, in fact, declining in the polls. And this debate clearly did not help him. And this could really be the final point before he circles the drain and disappears. I don't think he's disappearing just yet, but this... He really needs to define himself soon and come off as stronger and more decisive. Because whenever he speaks, it just seems like he doesn't have a lot of conviction. And it seems like he just doesn't want it that much. It seems like he's not even excited about the prospect of being president. And... People are not going to vote for him. He's already got to overcome the handicap of a lot of people not liking his brother, who already was president, of others not liking his father, who also was president, of people not wanting to elect the third Bush into office in the past 28 years. So he has to overcome all these things. But even without all that, even without the family history, which is working against him, now he's got to overcome the perception that he's too soft. So... I think he really hurt himself there. Donald Trump was toned down. He wasn't as outrageous as before. Uh, other than that, Donald Trump was Donald Trump. He, he really gets a lot of screen time. He even stuck around afterwards and they interviewed him for a long time. I don't know why the other candidates don't do this. Like uh, For some reason, the other ones seem to leave while, while Trump is right there to do a long interview. Trump claims he has spent $2 million total on his campaign, which if true is crazy. I think he's probably spent more than that, but he's trying to show that he spent almost nothing and his high poll numbers are just because they've been giving him attention. And it's interesting, and I wonder if uh, that's going to eventually become the new model, that candidates use the media to get attention rather than spending money on ads. I always wondered how effective campaign ads are once you get past a certain point. Is it worth spending all this money for television ads and print ads and flyers and everything else if everyone already knows who you are and what your positions are? How much is it really affecting people when you're already appearing on the news a whole lot because you're one of the candidates? Is, is the free publicity you're already getting from the media worth much more to you than any ads you run? Can you run a cheap campaign provided that you have enough influence to be someone who the media would cover, like Donald Trump. So he might be proving that you don't need a whole lot of money to win if you have the right connections and the right notoriety and the media is going to want to cover you. Uh, I still don't support Donald Trump. I won't. Uh, When I talked about people being shady, now this is not a huge deal, but it's something that always bothered me. Donald Trump got involved kind of indirectly, but he was still involved 
in a scam that took place in Mexico. And you never hear about this, but you can Google it and read about it. It's definitely true. This occurred in Baja, California, uh, where Donald Trump leased his name out to be put on a condominium hotel resort that was going to be built there, supposedly, in Playas de Tijuana in Baja, California, only uh, about half an hour south of San Diego. So it was aimed at Americans who want to go there for vacation. Before I, I do that, I'll put on this caller. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, Drop? It's the Spartan. The Spartan, hello. I, I know you I know I, you, you like Trump, right? Oh, well, that's why I wanted to call. I hope I'm not interrupting because I wasn't listening to the show yet. But I just wanted to ask you if you've changed your opinion about him at well, all. No, I, I haven't. So listen, listen to this here. I was about to go on to the thing that happened in, in uh, Baja, California. This is the type of stuff that bothers me. Okay, so, so there was – so – Donald Trump, he sold his name to this resort that was supposed to be built in Mexico, just a tiny bit south of the border. And uh, his daughter, Ivanka, stated that Donald was, quote, involved in every capacity. And then they brought they they brought a lot of people in, a lot of middle class people who couldn't really afford to buy in in the first place or just could barely scratch to afford. So these weren't like rich investors who, who could afford to take this chance. And they were convinced that this was a, a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful investment that is only going to go up in value, blah, blah, blah. And people put on put deposits down on these condos that they were buying for 200000 to 300000 per person, often, okay. often their life savings. This, this complex was never built. It never broke ground. It never came to exist. All the money got blown in unknown fashion. Never existed. And the people got a letter, sorry, we're broke. This is never going to happen. Your money's gone. Goodbye. So people obviously were pissed and said, hey, we placed our trust in Donald Trump. We believe that we were investing in a Trump project, not to some shady-ass people who bought the Trump name. And, and Ivanka's writing us letters that Donald's involved in every way, which he did. So... Uh, What's going on here? So they sued Trump over this, and at, for, before suing him, they wanted Trump to make good on it. And this wasn't gigantic money. There was substantial money, but for him, for Donald Trump, he could have easily been able to afford to reimburse or partially reimburse these people. Now, he didn't directly cheat them. He didn't directly steal this money, but he licensed his name out to a shady company, didn't vet them well enough, allowed his daughter to run around saying that he's involved and lie about it, and then he didn't want responsibility. He washed his hands of it, and they had to sue him, and then finally, uh, I, I think a settlement uh, occurred and, and after a lawsuit was filed and, and people got some money back. People lost a whole lot of money with the whole thing. If you Google uh, Trump Ocean Resort, Baja, Mexico, you can read about this, and this isn't the biggest issue in Trump's life. This isn't... Uh, uh, okay, okay, but so I, I will research that. Okay, and, and that's granted. Nobody's a hundred percent clean, and, and and this is my this is my uh, this is what bothers me also about even so-called conservative pundits is that they're nitpicking Trump that he paid to play that he was hanging out with Democrats. Well, you know, uh, you have to do that in order to survive at that level. At that level. You have to bribe politicians in order in order to build a, a shed in their backyard. So I mean, okay, he's not the cleanest guy in the world, and and, and I live in New York, and I'm telling you, he's not. But but you can't you you can go back in somebody's life and nitpick anything over anybody. 
But as far as running the country, if he only does two out of the ten things that he says he's going to do, don't you think we would actually be better off for it? Well, see, I'm, I'm, I'm still not seeing a concrete plan for anything. I'm still not seeing details, and and I'm also afraid that that he's not going to take the whole job seriously. And he's he's trying to look a little more serious, but I'm afraid that even at this point, where where people are taking him seriously, and where uh, he's probably the front runner to win the nomination, he still is seeing this like a game, like like he's still seeing this almost like he's on a TV show, like like well, The Apprentice. I, in the beginning, in the beginning. It was all about the marketing and getting his name out there and maybe getting another TV show out of the deal. I agree with that. And then when he saw his poll numbers really being substantial and solid, he started then taking it seriously. I'm just, I'm just afraid that this, that this is still kind of a gimmick. Oh, well, this, like, yeah, of course, now he wants to be president now that it's looking like he's got a chance to really be and it's not just a, a joke candidacy anymore. But, but now it's like I, I think still – in a way, this is wanting to be president for attention rather than really wanting to help the country. I just, I'm not sure he has the, uh, the the proper personality to take the job as seriously as it needs to be taken. I think he's more of a showman, and he's he's more of a person who likes to say outrageous things and get attention. And having that person as president concerns me. And also, just from some of his personal dealings, there's a lot of history with him. I just named this one thing in in Mexico. For some reason, this thing has always fascinated me, but. There's been many other times uh, the bankruptcies have been filed. A lot of history he has where people have been screwed. They really picked on Jeremy and Sorry, but they, they they really got him on those bankruptcies. They out them and make honest, serious deals, and at the very least, make deals that benefit us. I mean, anybody else, most anybody else on that platform, they could tell us everything they want to hear in all the political correct fashion and all their educated ways, and they can say whatever they want. Just like when we just won the Congress. And they all tell us we're going to repeal Obamacare, we're going to do this. But then once they get in office, they already have it in their mind. They're not going to do anything. They're going to sell us out more. They're going to uh, open the border more. They're going to, uh, uh, you know, care about the global interest and not about the, the American working class. So on that stage, uh, I mean, who do you think would, I mean, who, who would you pick on that stage? You know, I'm not it's sure. Not so I was going to get. To, I'm not sure yet who I'm going to go for. But I was going to say with Trump, I'm just think when he gets there, rather than being uh, uh, tied to special interests or the things you're accusing of here, I think his problem is going to be uh, he's not going to be prepared for the seriousness of the job and and how much work it's going to be and uh, and that a lot of the fun he can have was with Obama? A, a lot was of the, Obama. Obama was, and he was, was he a one-term senator that didn't even do much when he was in the Senate? No, but I, 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 you know, I have my problems with Obama too. You know, I've never been an Obama supporter, but what I've what I've seen at least though is Obama. I, I never thought he wouldn't take the job seriously or didn't really understand what it would entail. He did. I don't think he's. I think Obama. One, I don't agree with a lot of his ideas, and two, I think I don't think he's a good manager. I don't think he's someone who manages his people well, and we've seen it time and time again. That's why uh, we saw the five hundred million dollar uh, website for Obamacare that was a complete failure that he didn't even know it that was. I don't think that would happen under Trump. And if it did, heads would roll. And he, you know, would you not, would you not, do you not agree with that? If, I, if I think, I think of... Trump will have a different problem. I think he's just not, uh, I, I think Obama wasn't a good manager. I think Trump just isn't, uh, he doesn't fully understand what the job is going to be about and, and may not even want to do the job the way it needs to be done when it's not going to get him the, Attention! Right now, the campaigning is more fun because you can get attention and say outrageous things. And and you know, when I heard him at the end of the debate talking about the 
negotiation with CNBC about the length of the debate. And he was saying, we've got to keep it under two hours. And they were asking for three and a half. And that he and Ben Carson got together and said, absolutely not. We're only doing two hours and too bad. And I don't care if you're selling these expensive commercials for $250,000 per 30 seconds. And so everyone shared about this because it, it looked like that not only did he stand up to CNBC and keep the debate shorter to what people wanted to see and, and cost CNBC right. money that they'd be getting in ads, but that he came out, he had the balls to come out and reveal these negotiations at the end and make CNBC look foolish. And then they tried to backpedal at CNBC and say this conversation didn't really occur. I think Trump was telling the truth there, or most of the truth, that it probably did occur, and they were probably pissed he was mentioning this. So he likes to do things like that, and, and you know the common person gets impressed when he says things like this, but you know that's fun for a cam- from a campaign standpoint. It can be interesting for the person watching, but you can't do these type of things when you're president. This is the type of behavior you can't have. So that's what I'm okay, afraid. No, I agree with you. But I also read I read I read somewhere and I forgot that he's actually is transforming himself to be I don't know quote unquote more sophisticated in that environment. You know, you can't be a street dog like you can around New York. You know. Um, so he is making a transformation slowly but surely to a more sophisticated, uh, quote unquote, politically correct, uh, type of presentation of himself. Um, but he, he's like, do you remember the answer he said about the gun free zones in the last debate? Yeah. Where he said gun free zones are pretty much, you know, it's a killing field. So you need, at least he's bringing that to the forefront because that is true. That all these gun free zones, you know, it, 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 you have less crime. When people are allowed to carry, as opposed as opposed to these gun-free zones, so he's bringing a lot of important issues to the forefront. And I'll even I'll give you just one more thing. I mean, Giuliani came into New York. He wouldn't have won. Uh, he wouldn't have become mayor any other time. At that time, New York was so unmanageable, so much corruption, you couldn't get anything done. Taxes were high. That that was the right time and the right place for somebody like Giuliani who really wasn't a politician, even though he was a prosecutor, to come in and clean up New York. I think, I think if this was before, Trump wouldn't be successful, and I think after he won't be successful. But I think right here, right now, I think it's the right time for a Trump presidency just to get things somewhat in order, because Jeb is not going to do it, Hillary's not going to do it, Casey's is not going to do it, and Christie might do a little bit of it, but he's an open borders guy. And, and we really do have too much immigration. It's not a racist thing. But just because you want border security doesn't mean you hate Mexicans, you know? So I think this is the right time and place for Trump presidency, just like it was the right time and place for Giuliani to come into New York at well, that time. I think this is the right time for Trump to attempt it. I think that, the yes, he, okay. this is the best environment for him to attempt it as far as uh, having a chance because people are, are frustrated with the establishment. And that's why Trump is doing as well as he is right now. That's why he's doing way better than I expected. I thought people after the would get sick of the gimmick quickly and he would fade out, and that hasn't happened. And also the fact that there hasn't been a strong second option uh, is really helping him, that there's no really strong candidate to compete against. He's against a lot of people who uh, so far are mediocre or are flawed in some way. So, oh, yeah, they're weak. I mean, I thought Walker was good, but he was just so weak. He had no presence on, on yeah, any he, stage. Yeah, really. he fell apart super fast. So, so that's also helping him a lot, that he may win by default in that way, similar to how McCain won in 2008, just because everybody else wasn't any good. So... Uh, one last point, if you don't mind, Jeff. Uh, at the very least, can we at least agree on this? And I actually agree with with, with a lot of what you say, even though I give you a hard time sometimes, because you are rational in the way you think. Um, and, you know, I, I do like to play devil's advocate at times. You know, it passes my time. Um, 
that at the very least what CNBC did to themselves in this last debate, I mean, we all know the media bias, uh, but, what, but it was just so blatant at this time, and it was so amateurish and how, I mean, so adolescent, that at least with Trump pushing back and Trump being completely incorrect, from this point on, even if Trump wins or loses or if Hillary wins, but nonetheless, at this point on, I think the media will have less or display less of a bias towards Republicans, well, yeah, I, and I think all Republicans will have more bravado against uh, against journalists and not and not be so scared of them well, in, maybe, in the future. For maybe, maybe they will have more bravado. I don't see that the media bias changes, though. I don't. I actually don't believe this one was a media bias. I think this one was a, a stupid attempt by CNBC to get attention by by asking what they thought would be uh, loaded questions and and get some fiery answers and some fighting back and forth and it backfired. That's why I don't even think it was a liberal versus conservative thing here, but I will agree that uh, th- there is a big media bias and, and there's also a big bias even in, uh, in, in film and TV, which you watch a, a, a non-political uh, movie or TV show and they will sneak in some kind of jab against Republicans. I've seen this for, for decades and it's... Oh, no, no. Agree with you on that point. Remember the last Captain America was actually very pro traditional America. America, the last Captain America. Did you watch that one? No. Oh, okay. You should watch it. It's very pro traditional uh, America. Actually, a couple of studios didn't want to produce it that way because they because they just thought it was it would be offensive <laughs> because it's traditional American values. It displays a lot of traditional American values uh, using Captain America. So, just to agree on your point. Yeah, there was actually – I remember I was reading a review by uh, Roger Ebert of a movie, and he mentioned – and keep in mind, Roger Ebert was not a Republican. Uh, Roger Ebert mentioned that in a particular movie that a Republican was shown as a positive character, and he said he was shocked to see that because he never sees that. He said it's it's so cliche that in every movie that any Republican is evil that to see a Republican who was a good guy was refreshing. And this is from a guy who was not a Republican himself. He was just so sick of, sick of it as a movie critic to see this uh, this bias in there. So I, I thought that was very telling that uh, a non-Republican would even express frustration of how Republicans are depicted in the movies. And, and I'll also tell you on TV. So you know I've seen that for many years. And in fact, that sort of bias is a lot what fueled Rush Limbaugh and other right-wing talk, talk radio hosts to the popularity they gained because people who were on the right were desperate to hear anything uh, yeah, yeah, from from the media or on TV or on the radio that would uh, be in line with their point of view. So that that's what gave rise to a lot of that. So anyway, uh, thanks for your call. We're going to move on yeah, here. Thanks, but, I love you, man. You have a good day, Okay, bro. thank you. That was the Spartan who... I'll say the Spartan makes a lot more sense on the radio than he does on the forum. We, we, it's funny we have that. We have people who make more sense when they are on the radio than their posts, and we have other ones that are very eloquent in their postings, and then they get on the radio and they sound like blithering idiots. So I, I don't want to discourage anyone from calling who does sound like a blithering idiot. I, I like receiving phone calls. It's just I, I never know what to expect. Like I expect some people to call in – and based upon what I know of them on the forum and think they're going to sound awful and then they don't. And then I have ones that I expect would sound great on the radio and they don't. So I, I guess just everybody has the their strengths and weaknesses. And I, I know some people get nervous calling a show like this or any show. And... I can tell you there's nothing to be nervous about. The The live listenership isn't that high. Most of the people hearing you will hear you on delay like the next day listening to it in the archives. And you're only reaching about a thousand people anyway. 
you're not being heard by a million people or something. So, and people probably won't know you, especially if you're not a forum member. So even if you do make a fool of yourself, nobody will know. Nobody can attach it to your real life. So I, I just like to hear from a variety of people on the show. I like hearing from the regular callers and I like hearing from the irregular callers and even the new callers. Even sometimes the prank callers, if it's interesting or done creatively. Okay, I'm going to tell a, a story now. Uh, looking at the chat room here. Aaron Mike Hunt saying Biff Tannen, that's Biff from Back to the Future, is clearly a Republican. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, he seems kind of apolitical to me. I guess the guy who plays Biff was known to be a nice guy, though. Like The actor is nothing like the character. You know who else is supposed to, supposed to be a nice guy in real life who was a jerk or played a jerk in the movies was uh, the guy who played Kreese, Sensei Kreese on The Karate Kid. In fact, he was actually kind of bothered that his character was the way it was. Like, he did it, but he didn't feel good about playing that type of guy. So he's said to be a, a nice, honorable guy in real life, Sensei Kreese. At least the actor behind it. It's kind of weird when you watch a movie and you get an idea of someone just from their character and then you expect that character to be some, you expect the actor to be similar to that character in real life and it's like so different. Like sometimes a really likable and nice guy on the screen is a complete asshole in real life and then a terrible villain is a nice guy in real life. I mean, look at Bill Cosby. Pretty extreme example, but still. So let's... Oh, so I'm going to continue. Before I go on to the next thing, just continue about the Republican debate. Uh, if I had to pick who I'm going to vote for, I can't pick one right now, but... Uh, I, I I was saying it would probably be between Jeb Bush, Carly Fiorino, or Marco Rubio, and I think if I had to lean right now, I'd, I'd probably go with Marco Rubio. I think Carly Fiorina is going to have trouble with her record at HP, which wasn't very good. And uh, Jeb Bush, I mentioned the problems with him already. I think he's got too many hurdles to clear to win the general election. Even though I... I like him in general as a politician, I just don't think he's going to win. And Carly Fiorina, I think, could be a decent president also. I just think that uh, she could also lose. Though, against Hillary, she might be the right choice. Because Hillary will lose the advantage she has of trying to become the first female president. If it's female versus female, then she loses that advantage with women. It's completely gone. Some people say Carly Fiorina kind of comes off as a bitch. Well, she does, but so does Hillary. So that'll be neutralized, too. That won't be a problem either. So she will neutralize Hillary's advantage with women. And one weakness she has that she kind of comes off as a bitch won't really hurt her against Hillary, who also comes off as a bitch. So she was saying everyone wants to see a Carly Fiorina versus Hillary debate. I kind of do. That's kind of true. But Marco Rubio, Rubio, he seems to have the least as far as uh, negatives that would harm him in an election. I don't know if he has enough positives to win, but 
he doesn't have that many negatives. But he's still way behind. Right now, uh, Trump and Carson are the leaders. Ben Carson, he, he came off as just kind of weird. Even his final statement was weird. And I think he's plateaued. I think he's got the support of the religious right, but the non-religious right doesn't really like him very much. And I don't think he's going to get those people, and I don't think when he speaks, he comes off very well. And he's also got things dogging him, like the fact that he supported a, a scam multi-level marketing company for quite some time. I don't think he realized what he was doing, but he was endorsing them, and that's a pretty bad mistake to make if you want to be president to be endorsing a scam, even unwittingly. It's not like he was endorsing a legitimate company that ended up being a scam. He was endorsing a company that was a scam. But even that aside, he's just, you know, he's just like the religious guy. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a Christian conservative. I'm not Christian. I, I don't like typically Christian conservative candidates, if that's what their identity is. I don't mind if a candidate is Christian, even if they're religious. But like, like Mitt Romney, even though he was Mormon. Uh, he didn't make Mormonism or even Christianity a centerpiece of his candidacy. He had other problems. He couldn't really be relatable to the average man, but uh, he wasn't seen as like a religious right candidate. So I liked him in that way. Uh, but Ben Carson, he's the, uh, he's the church candidate. But the problem is he's not going to get support beyond that. I don't think he has much general appeal beyond the fact that he appeals to the religious side of the party. And I think he's got, he's got all kinds of problems, and he's just kind of weird. So I think he's got as much as he's going to get. So if another Republican can rise up and take those other votes, the undecided votes right now, including mine, maybe they can beat Trump. It'll be interesting. But Trump is the uh, leader at the moment. Seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. You can text that number too. Seven three four area code saying Druff, explain to Lost in Poker what the Samson option is. I wish I could. I don't know what the option. <laughs> what is the Samson option? Trader Ski, do you know what that is? Uh oh, he's not even here. Well, we have a sleeping co-host. I think. I don't hear the snoring, but I think we have a uh, I think we have a sleeping co-host. That's what I get for not asking him to answer me. I've been talking too long, and I've been ignoring him too long, and now he fell asleep. Well, it's not like I'm not used to it. How many other radio hosts do you think have their hosts fall asleep? Like how many how many other radio shows does one of the co-hosts fall asleep? Have you ever heard one before except this show? Because I haven't. It's like only on this show this happens. I think I have like the only radio show out there where one of the hosts regularly falls asleep. Jeez. I mean, yes, we're broadcasting live and fairly late at night, but still. All right, time for an entertaining story from my past. I hope it's entertaining at least. And I tell these stories, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of flack for this one. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of people texting me angrily about... uh, being a pain in the ass and and being entitled and uh, all kinds of nasty things. But too bad. 
I'm telling you the story anyway. This is from 1995, right around this time of year, right around Halloween, 20 years ago. I was 23 years old. And I heard about something called Not Scary Farm. Not Scary Farm is the Halloween version of Knott's Berry Farm, which is an amusement park in Orange County, California. There are two big amusement parks in Orange County. They're both pretty close to each other, too. Of course, the big one, you all know, is Disneyland. The lesser-known one, but still a sizable park, is Knott's Berry Farm. And Knott's Berry Farm is a full amusement park. It's not like a carnival or anything. It's a full amusement park with large roller coasters and everything else. So they developed something called Knott's Scary Farm, I think in the 90s. At least that's when I heard of it, which was like a Halloween version of it. And I know Disneyland has been doing this for a long time. I remember as like a six-year-old seeing a Halloween theme they were doing at Disneyland. But this took it one step further where they actually had like haunted houses there that they would set up in addition to the rides. And you'd go in the haunted houses and you'd have these guys running at you with, with chainsaws and and other monsters that are appearing like they're attacking you. But in reality, they're just scaring you and looking menacing. And I don't know, it didn't really appeal that much to me because... I don't find it to be that fun to go into a haunted house where I know nobody's actually going to hurt me. Not that I want to go in a haunted house where they are going to hurt me. But like if I know they're not going to, it's not that scary. If I know I'm going to something that's still a show, yeah, they'll startle me when they jump out from behind a uh, table or something and, and scream. Yeah, I'll jump. But I'm not going to jump because I'm scared. I'm going to jump because it's just startling. Uh, I, I just can't get into it. I can't really be afraid that the guy running at me with a chainsaw is going to kill me with a chainsaw I just I just can't get into it so it wasn't something like really appealing to me but everyone talked about how wonderful it was and I had to check it out and because there's just so much talk about it and how great it was and some of my friends wanted to go so I said what the hell and I went my biggest concern about Not Scary Farm was that the lines were going to be horrendous. And I, I hate lines at amusement parks. I always try to do what I can to avoid them by going on off days. I don't take it as far as some people. I don't go in the rain or some other terrible weather time. That just is a crappy time in my opinion. But I'll go on a weekday and you know not in the summer. And I, I try to pick times to go to an amusement park that others typically will not go. But not Scary Farm, you can't do that. It's always going to be crowded. More crowded on like a Friday or Saturday, but even during the week, because it's a limited engagement sort of thing, it's always going to be crowded. So I went along with it and was kind of pessimistic about the crowds, but it was worse than I could have imagined. It was wall-to-wall people. Every ride had a line. Even the mediocre rides had a line. The one that had the biggest line was the log ride. And you might wonder, why the log ride? Why would the log ride? have the biggest line when, you know, there's big roller coasters and other things that are more fun than the log ride. Well, it was because the log ride was the one that was most transformed to a theme of Halloween. There's only so much they can do with a roller coaster, and whatever they do with it, it's going so fast, you don't even get to see things very well. And still, you know, how much they can do? Most of it's on a track, so you can't have, uh, you can't set up a lot of stuff on the side of a track. But the log ride, you know, floats down pretty slowly, 
and there's a lot to see, and there's a lot of uh, characters they can put on the side and a lot they can do with it. So the log ride was the big attraction there for Not Scary Farm, and it had, would you believe, a three-hour line. And I didn't know it would be three hours when I stood in it, but it was one of those things you get to the point of no return. Uh, I stood in it for an hour and a half, and we're like halfway through it. And I'm like, oh, my God, well, at this point, you can't give up. At this point, you've already invested an hour and a half in it. You're not going to give up. So by the time I realized how long the line was, I had stayed in it too long. And I'm like, okay, I'm stuck. And you know, I'm sitting here bitching to my friends about it, that this is awful. Look how long the line is. We've been standing in line all night and hardly going on anything. But I was also trying hard not to be the killjoy there. I didn't want to be the downer, but... It was hard not to be to some degree because of how long the lines were. And I could tell my friends were frustrated about it, too. They weren't loving it either because there's, you know, even when you're with your friends, you know, what do you do? You're standing for hours and hours and hours in a line. It's just not pleasant. There's nothing fun you could do there. So I toughed it out, got to the end of the line, and finally... It's time for me to get on the log ride. And they tell me, okay, get in the back half of the log. There's, there's, The log has two halves to it, a front half and a back half. The back half is a little bit longer than the front half. But it's not very large. The back half is, uh, yeah, on any other day, even a crowded day, that isn't not Scary Farm. And any other day, they would have just put me in the back by myself because I'm tall. So... I really wouldn't fit with a second person unless it's a kid. There's no way me and another adult could fit in the back there, or especially not the front. So they tell me to get in the back half, and then they tell another guy who I was with, another adult who was about 200 pounds, to also get in that same back half along with me. I said, "Uh uh-uh, no way, because it wasn't just a matter of being cramped. It was a matter of we physically did not fit. I was tall. I was lighter then than I am today. I was kind of tall and thin at the time. And this guy was was shorter than me, but was kind of heavy and wide. And uh, so I had to sit first there because I was the taller one. And he was supposed to sit on top of me, literally. Literally on top of me. He was supposed to almost like lie on top of me. That was the way we were supposed to do it. And they would never do this during the regular year, no matter how crowded. It was only because it was this not-scary farm already with a three-hour line for this thing that they decided to just literally pack everyone in like sardines into the log ride. So I said, absolutely not. Not only is this unpleasant, like I'm not going to have any fun on this thing with a 200-pound guy sitting on me the whole time, but it's also unsafe. I refuse to ride this way, I told them. So I got in a standoff with the teenager running this line who told me, this is the way we're doing it tonight. The line is really, really long, as you've seen. This is the only way we can get through everybody. So you're going to have to tough it out and do it. And I said, no way. I did not stand on this line for three hours to have a 200-pound dude sitting on me on this log ride. That's not why I stood here for three hours. I'm not going to accept it. I just do not fit. I, I do not fit with this guy here. I do not fit in this with any adult. I'm just too big 
to fit in this space with another adult. Well, everybody else has done it. I don't care what everybody else did. It does not fit. I don't care if you convince everybody else to have a miserable time there and to basically be crushed by another adult the entire ride. I'm not doing it. I don't even think it's safe. So the guy said, okay, well, then leave. Then you can go out the exit. Goodbye. And I said, (laughs) right. I've been here for three hours. I'm not leaving. And he said, well, you're going to have to because unless you get in that ride with somebody else, I'm not letting you on. So you need to leave otherwise. In fact, if you don't leave, I'm going to have you kicked out of the park. At which point I said... I said, no, you're not. You're not going to kick me out of the park. You cannot force me to ride this way. This is not this way. This is not the way this ride has ever operated. It's not like I just don't like the way the ride is, and I'm being a jerk. You guys have run this ride for decades, and you've never run it this way because it's not even safe, and people can't enjoy it this way. You don't put two adults on top of one another because you're crowded. You just can't do it. And I'm not going to do it. I don't care what others have agreed to do. I'm not going to do it. I didn't stand on three hours to have another 200-pound adult sitting on top of me. So the guy said, all right. Well, um, I want you to leave. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. He said, I'm going to call my boss. I'm going to have you taken out. I'm going to call security. I said, okay. You call security, then I'm going to sue you guys. If you kick me out of the park because I will not ride on an unsafe ride, an unsafe configuration that deviates from the way you've done it for decades without warning me before I got on this line, I'm going to sue you. So go ahead. So he didn't know what to do because he saw I wasn't going to give up on this easily. So that at this point, he just ignored me and started loading the log with other people. So... Um, The friend that was supposed to ride with me was standing with me there on the side. The other two friends had already, they were already in the front. They were smaller. They, they were able to fit. But uh, um, they, they uh, basically put the smaller two people in the front, which also is very uncomfortable, and the bigger two people in the back. But the, the back is still not big enough to hold the two people. And even if they put a, one of the smaller adults with me in the back, it still wouldn't have fit. I just, I just was too big. So anyway, it was a standoff. And I was just standing there at the front of the log rides line, kind of on the side, with no resolution. And I could tell the guy was very uncomfortable about this because he he told me to leave, and I said, I'm absolutely not going. You're going to have to throw me out, and then I'm going to sue you guys. Or you can just let me go on without another person sitting on top of me. And again, I wasn't being a prima donna. I wasn't being intentionally difficult. I wasn't being entitled. I didn't feel it was safe, and it definitely would have been very unpleasant. I would have stood on a three-hour line to be miserable with a 200-pound dude sitting on me the entire time. And he literally would be sitting on me. It was not made for two large adults. So about five to ten minutes passed, and I'm sitting here thinking, how far do I take this? Like, I I wasn't going to get physical with anyone. If security came over and forced me to leave, I wasn't going to fight them or make them physically drag me out. If security, I would have argued, and then once they ended the argument and said, no, we're we're kicking you, I would have walked with them. I wasn't going to create a fight. 
but I was going to create a scene. And my plan was I decided what I was going to do in those five to 10 minutes I'm waiting there is that if it came to that, if security came or management came and told me I'm going to have to leave, I was going to just make everybody in line know why I was being kicked out and how unsafe this is and how it's probably against the law, what they're doing here, and it's probably against the OSHA regulations. And I was going to like really incite the line to get pissed off. So everybody else thinks of this because you know, people tend to act like sheep in situations like this. Like they get there, they're unhappy about it, but they go, well, everyone else is doing it, so I'll do it too. But once, once you wake the sheep up and make them realize that they're being treated unfairly, a lot of people will, will revolt. And I've been in situations like this before, not at amusement parks, but situations before where uh, there's a crowd of people were being treated unfairly in some way, and no one really wants to be that guy who says something but then once you say something, everyone gets angry. And everyone's like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. So I was going to be that. I was going to really make a big deal if they were going to kick me. I wasn't doing it yet. I was sitting there for like five to ten minutes saying not a word. I was my mouth closed. I was, I was hoping the guy is just going to come to his senses and let me just go on myself. But uh, And of course my friend let him go on himself too. But... If they were going to kick me, I was going to let everyone in line know why I was being kicked. I was not going to make anyone physically drag me. I was not going to fight anyone. But I was going to make sure the entire line knew what they were in for after they stood for three hours. That was my plan. Well, fortunately, it never came to that. The teenager who was running the line just kind of got sick of seeing me there and also didn't want the whole hassle of having a whole scene there about this. And he thought to himself, what's the easier way out of this to create a whole scene and call security and management and maybe people get in trouble because we're not supposed to be doing this or just let this guy and his friend go on their own log? Well, he chose the latter. So after about five to ten minutes of thinking about it, he came up to me. He's like, all right, just go. Just you, you and your friend. He can get in front. You get in back. Just go. So we did. What did my friend think of this? Was he mad? Was he thinking I was embarrassing him? No. After we got off, he said, I'm so glad you did that. He said, I did not want to sit on you. <laughs> I did not want to ride this way, but I, was, I wasn't going to say it. He said he was going to go along with it, but when I objected, he wasn't sure where it was going to go, but he was thrilled to wait another five to ten minutes and watch me argue and then have us each be in our own spot. Because he waited the same three hours I did. So he was thrilled that we got a, a nice experience once we got on the log with a, you know, where we rode without anyone sitting on us. After three hours of waiting another five to ten minutes to have a much better experience was definitely worth it to him. So he wasn't, he wasn't pissed or embarrassed or anything. He actually thanked me for saying something. And then we told our other two friends who were forced to ride together what happened and they were kind of jealous. They said, they said, oh, we wonder what happened to you guys. And we should have done that too. And they, they complained about how uncomfortable it was in the front that way. And I, I still believe that this wasn't even legal what they were doing. It just wasn't safe. But they, you know, and the people making these decisions, it's like teenagers. Like it's, it's not, this wasn't carefully researched. This, uh, this was a Snap decision they probably made when the line is three hours long and they're like, well, we've, we've got to do something here. It's going to be four hours long or five hours long. But you know what you do then? You close the line at some point. When the line gets too long, you, you say, sorry, we're not taking anyone new. We've got to wait till the line gets shorter. 
and the people can go elsewhere in the park. That's what you do. You don't make the ride unsafe by cramming uh, more people in. So at, at best, it was like super unpleasant and not fun for anyone. And at worst, it was unsafe. And I think it was unsafe. So anyone who's critical of that, uh, you shouldn't be. Because it was right. I was right. And if you think I was wrong, then you're probably one of those sheep who just does what you're told, regardless of uh, whether you're being treated fairly or not. I told this story uh, on a Facebook group I'm part of, not not in a set of detail. I just wrote a short paragraph about it, and someone wrote back, why didn't you spend a few extra bucks and buy a VIP ticket? And I would have, and I said, well, 20 years ago they didn't have that. I totally would have. Apparently a VIP ticket allows you to jump a lot of the line, which I totally would have bought because I hate standing in line. But they didn't have that back then. Of course, the person talking about the VIP ticket was talking about like Universal Studios. So I don't know why he brought that up instead of the Knott's Berry Farm. So I don't know if Knott's Scary Farm has a VIP ticket. But definitely if I ever went to one of these things again, I would really want a VIP ticket. Or otherwise, I probably wouldn't want to go. Like I, I, I'd be dreading if Benjamin, when he gets older, asked me to take him there. Though he probably wouldn't want to go with me. He'd probably want to go with his, uh, his friends when he's a teenager rather than with his old, old dad who will be in his mid-50s. But I would not want to go to one of these things and stand on those type of lines. I mean, can you imagine three hours for a log ride? And it's not even like it was just a log ride. Like everything was over an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, sometimes an hour 45, and that log ride was three hours, which is brutal. It's, it's not fun. You know, it's not fun to stand on that long of a line and then just be on there for like three minutes and it's over. I mean, I, I wouldn't stand on a three-hour line to... To have sex with a really hot chick, let alone go on a log ride. But I did it. So. That was my experience at Not Scary Farm 20 years ago at the log ride standoff. And I I wonder if anyone else did this. (laughs) It was only me. I wonder if anyone else fought this. It's hard to believe nobody else did because it was that tight. It was that small. And I'm I'm not like, it's not like I'm Shaquille O'Neal. I'm not seven feet tall. I'm six foot two. There's plenty of dudes who are as tall as me or taller than me at Not Scary Farm. Now, this was 20 years ago. It's possible they just don't do it this way anymore. It's possible that they don't cram everyone in. Maybe they even got in trouble for it. Maybe someone in management came to their senses and stopped it. I mean, a lot changes in 20 years. So that's my little story from uh, Not Scary Farm. There's there's certain people who will be like critical of any story I tell like this, like any kind of dandruff customer service story. Like they they instantly go to you're wrong. Like they they just find anything they can say to criticize it. Where like if anyone else told the story, they would think differently. But like some are just like instantly conditioned to snap at me. Oh, you're wrong here. Grenada Rogers saying, got any more homophobic stories? I don't know what you're talking about there. I, this wasn't homophobic at all. I don't, you know, honestly, uh, this wasn't about a dude 
sitting on me. Like I, I wasn't afraid of a man sitting on top of me. I wasn't going to get aroused by it or anything. I just did. I, it's just going to be uncomfortable. I don't want to like replace the guy with like a, a, a dummy that weighs 200 pounds. I, I wouldn't want that either. Real Talk saying they should have called the cops on you for not leaving when you were told you should have been removed forcefully. Okay, so I'll tell you why he's saying that. He doesn't really believe this. Real Talk is referring to the next topic we're going to talk about, which this is the segue into the topic. I, I knew someone would make the connection. I'm glad Real Talk played ball here and made the connection to a modern story not involving me that just happened where someone was removed when they didn't want to leave and the cops were called on them. And they were forcefully removed. And uh, this is a news story. This isn't anything involving me or anyone I know personally. This is a story in the news from South Carolina. Where a 16-year-old girl, 16-year-old black girl, and you'll hear why I'm mentioning that she's black shortly, was using her phone in math class. Now, I don't have experience with this because when I went to high school in the 80s, Other than Zach from head of the class, nobody had a cell phone. Nobody. There wasn't a single person in my high school class that had a cell phone. They existed in the the 80s. In fact, they even existed in the 70s. But almost nobody had them, especially no kids had them. That's why Zach was so ahead of his time. Zach walking around Bayside High with his cell phone in like 88 and 89. I was always kind of jealous of Zach for that reason. Not not so much that he was with uh, with Kelly or or that he was the really popular cool guy in school. No, I, I was jealous of Zach because of his cell phone. Way ahead of his time. But n- there were no Zachs in my high school. And nobody had a cell phone. So I'm not familiar with the rule of you can't use your phone while in class, but it makes sense. I'm sure the teachers have a hell of a time with that that students are constantly texting and doing other bullshit on their phone during class. I'm kind of glad that didn't exist back when I was in high school or I probably would have not paid very much attention. So I guess this, this girl was using her phone in class, which I'm sure is a chronic problem in high school these days. And uh, the math teacher told her, put away your phone. And she wouldn't do it. And he said, again, put away your phone. You, know, you can't use that in class. And she just basically said, F you, I'm not putting away my phone. Which is really obnoxious to begin with. So he said, all right, I want you to leave my class. I want you out of here. You didn't listen about putting away your phone. You need to get out of the class. Presumably to the principal's office or whatever. Well, at that point, instead of getting up and leaving and going to the principal's office, she said, no, I'm not leaving class. Yeah, no idea why. No idea why she thought it was wise to stay in class at that time. Like, why does she even want to be there? <laughs> the teacher wants her out. Why does she still want to be there? It's not like it's fun to be there. If the teacher's telling you leave, or you're going to be in trouble. At that point, you leave. I, I don't get that. It's not like leaving an amusement park. It's not like leaving the log ride you've stayed on line for three hours. It's math class. The teacher's, teacher's kicking you out of math class. You better leave. It's not like she wanted to get an education, apparently. She's just using her phone and won't put it away. 
But she, I, I guess out of defiance, says, uh, I'm not leaving. I'm staying right here. I'm not moving. He threatens all these consequences of uh, you know, getting in trouble, detention, whatever. She won't move. She won't budge. Won't stop using her phone, won't budge. So he calls someone, I don't know if it's school administrator or the cop who works on campus who's known as a resource officer. Now, I had said earlier in the show that I believe that the resource officer was working on campus because they have a, a crime problem. The school isn't a bad neighborhood and it does have uh, problems with students there. So it's not your average uh, easygoing high school. But someone corrected me saying that resource officers are in a lot of public school these days, which may be possible, especially with the school shootings and stuff that take place nowadays. Having not been in high school since the 80s, maybe that's possible that it's a common thing now. But uh, this school had a resource officer and uh, he was called over there. And this resource officer, who is a police officer, again reiterated to the girl that she needs to leave. Needs to leave class. If the teacher tells her to leave class, she has to leave class. She told the police officer, no, I'm not leaving. I'm staying right here. That's what she told him. Again, why? The police are telling you to leave class, and you're still saying no. And this is disrupting the class, obviously. There's nothing that can be done. They can't continue teaching the class when it's like this. So at this point, it was a standoff. I guess you can say similar in a way to my Knott's Berry Farm standoff, but in my Knott's Berry Farm standoff, I was right. In this standoff, she wasn't right. You're not supposed to use your phone in class. If the teacher tells you to put it away, you put it away. And if the teacher wants you out, you need to leave. That's very simple. We've all known that. We've all been in school. I don't think anyone listening to this broadcast would have ever told the teacher, I'm not leaving, when the teacher said, get out of class. Even the biggest troublemaker of us listening to this broadcast. I don't even think Bad Guy 23 ever said that to his teachers, I'm not leaving. I think all of us, when we've been told to leave class, would leave class. And yes, I once was told to leave class. I once was kicked out of class in high school. And I left. What was kind of weird in that one was I wasn't told where to go. (laughs) I was told to leave class, and then... I was just out. I was like wandering around because I wasn't told to go to the principal, the assistant principal. I was just told to leave. So I just left. (laughs) And uh, I wandered around. And then uh, the next day I came back and I was told I still have to be out of class. So I'm still just wandering around. And finally someone found me there and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, the teacher told me to leave class. And they go, this is strange. This shouldn't be happening. And so then they took me to the assistant principal. And they were kind of pissed at the teacher for not – Sending me to the principal, and it's not, I wasn't stupid. I just like I wasn't told where to go, and I wasn't dying to go to the assistant principal and get detention. So I said I'd rather just wander around and do nothing than uh, go there. I thought just let this blow over. So that's kind of a weird situation. But anyway, I never even thought for a second I was going to refuse to leave class. And if if I had, and the police came in and said I need to leave, then for sure I would have left. I mean. To tell the police I'm not leaving class is crazy. But that's what this girl did. This girl told the police officer that she's not leaving. She's staying right there in class, not budging. So, at this point, something has to be done. She can't just sit there for eternity. In fact, 
if she sits there for much longer, it'll affect the next class after this one's over. So if someone's disruptive, if they will not leave the class when they're told to leave there, and if when they get the campus police officer to come in and remove them, they will not leave, then they have to be removed by force. Otherwise, they just won't go. Like, you don't come in there and just grab someone and drag them out. But if they, if they say, I'm not leaving, hell no, I won't go, then you've got to get them out. And if you have to by force, you have to. Now, some people have asked, why use a police officer for this? Why not use a school administrator like the assistant principal? Well, the best person to do this is a police officer. Because the police officer is given the authority by law to get physical when necessary, to physically move someone if they will not move, to physically put hands on someone to arrest them or to stop them from doing something they shouldn't be doing. Whereas the average citizen does not have that right necessarily. So if the assistant principal, who also doesn't have the training to remove unruly students, if he tried to do it, and then something happened to the girl, the school could be sued for millions of dollars. But here, calling the police is is the smartest option. I mean, think about an equivalent. Think if I go into a restaurant. Think if I go into a subway and say I want the tomatoes on the side and the owner won't let me have the tomatoes on the side. He says, you can only have it on the sandwich. We're not going to put it on the side for you. And I get in a big standoff with him. And he says, you know what? I just want you out of here. Don't don't be in my restaurant anymore. I, I don't want you in the subway. Leave. And if I were to tell him, no, I'm not leaving and I'm staying, and I continue arguing and arguing and arguing and will not leave when he tells me to get out of his establishment, what do you think is smarter for him to do? Call the police or try to pick me up himself and throw me out, even if he's a big guy who can do it? What do you think is smarter for him to do? It's call the police. The police are supposed to handle things like that. So they had a police officer who already works on campus. He didn't have to come across town. He's already there on campus. He's the best one to call, for sure, at the point where the student will not leave and will plant themselves there for as long as they want. So the police officer asked her five times to leave, and she would not leave. So this is where the real controversy starts, that the police officer, who already had some controversy in the past with uh, use of excessive force, and was a very uh, muscular, kind of steroid-looking guy. A white guy, by the way. Went up to this girl, uh, tried to lift her out of the desk physically, but she held on so tightly that the desk toppled over. At first it looked like he just threw her and, and, the de- and toppled the whole desk over, but I saw a clearer version of the video, a more close-up version of the video, which shows that he's trying to lift her, but she's kind of like stiffening her body so you can't get her out of the desk, and the desk just toppled over. So that didn't appear to be on purpose. Uh, But then after that, once it toppled over, she started kicking at him, and at that point he had had enough, and he grabbed her and tossed her across the room, and uh, then she was in the corner of the room, and then he got on top of her and cuffed her. And she was arrested, by the way. She was arrested for, quote, disturbing school. Now, people were very critical. They are saying that he body slammed her, which I didn't see in the video. It didn't look like he body slammed her at all. Uh, nothing even close to body slamming. Uh, he also never lifted her above desk level. Like, he didn't lift her six feet in the air and drop her. 
He uh, he tried to lift her out of the desk. The desk toppled over because she was stiffening her body and wouldn't allow herself to be lifted out. And uh, then when she was kind of kicking at him, then he grabbed her and threw her across the room. And that that's the part which I think is the most controversial, is, is the grabbing her when she's kicking at him and just tossing her across the room. Now, again, he didn't toss her way up in the air. He kind of tossed her like a foot in the air. But yeah, she could have gotten hurt during that. And I don't think the officer handled it properly. I think the officer was too rough. I think he, because he's so much bigger and stronger than she is, he could have just pulled her out of the desk by her arm, just grab her arm, pull her until she comes out of the desk. He definitely had the size and strength to do it, force her to the wall and put her in handcuffs and arrest her. I, I agree with the arrest. I think she should have been arrested there uh, for what she was doing. You know, you can't just plant yourself somewhere and disrupt the whole class and not leave even when the police ask you to leave. I think the disrupting school charge is appropriate. And she's not going to get five years in prison or something. You know, she's going she's gonna to be a juvenile charged and, you know, get something short. But, uh, you know, yeah, there, there should be some consequence for this. But uh, I think she should have been pulled out of the desk by her arm. Uh, he definitely had the strength to pull her out and put her against the wall, which is right there, and, and cuff her and take her out. No, throwing her across the room or um, trying to lift her out. I, I think he was overdoing the force there, but it wasn't, in my opinion, outrageously over the top. Like, he didn't run up and clock her in the face. He didn't come over and you know, punch her in the face because she wasn't doing this or shoot her or, or hit her with with his baton or or pick her up six feet in the air and, and body slam her. He didn't do these things. He didn't do these things. He tried to pick her up out of the desk and the desk fell over while he was trying because she was, she was stiffening her body. She didn't want to let him do it. Then she was trying to kick him after the desk toppled over. So then he got pissed and threw her across. The, well, he shouldn't have done that, but but he was trying to, it was clear he was trying to like move her over to the corner away from all the other desks and the students. So he didn't do it right. It was too forceful. This guy does seem to have a history of complaints against him for excessive force. So he was fired, and I I think that was probably a good firing. I don't feel sorry for him, but you know who I also don't feel sorry for is this student. I don't think anybody listening to this show would have ever attempted something like this back when we went to high school in the 70s and 80s, or even some of you younger people in the 90s. I don't think any of us would have ever done that. When the teacher says, leave class, you leave class. If a police officer comes in and says, leave class, you definitely leave class. If you tell a police officer, I'm not leaving class, I'm sitting right here, and I don't care about everybody else here, I'm sitting right here, and I'm not moving too bad on you, of course you're going to be forcefully taken out. Of course, of course you're going to be physically removed by the police officer. He should have done a better and less forceful job of removing her given her size versus his. But as I've said before on the forum when I was defending this, this isn't a matter of removing an eight-year-old who you can just easily pick up and take out. This is still someone who is the size of an adult woman. The average 16-year-old girl is the size of an adult woman. Most females are full-grown by the age of 16, if not very close to it. So it's not a little kid they're taking out here. This is someone who is still the size of an adult woman and can cause some harm if they're resisting. She's not going to cause him major injuries, but it's still something you have to watch out for. 
It's not like removing an eight-year-old from class. So, also, this is not a little child. A 16-year-old knows the difference between right and wrong. A 16-year-old knows that when you're asked to leave class, you leave. When a police officer asks you to do something, you do it. This isn't a little kid who's throwing a tantrum. This is a 16-year-old who's almost an adult. 16 is so close to adulthood that even though this has no sexual element to it, but 16 is old enough in several states to consent to sex with any age. There are some states in the nation where a 16-year-old can have sex with a 50-year-old legally. I don't agree with that, but in some states you can because a 16-year-old is considered old enough to make their own decisions. So definitely a 16-year-old is close enough to adulthood to where they should be treated like an adult and they should be expected to behave mostly like an adult. And she did not at all. And also what she was doing was disrespectful and disruptive to everybody else in the class. It was to the teacher. It was to the rest of the students who were trying to get an education there. And if she's having a bad day, she's having issues. And people are saying, oh, you know, her, her mom just died. Oh, she's in foster care. Oh, she's had such a hard life. This may all be true, but this does not give her the right to do this in class. And if she does, she has to expect the consequence that she's going to be physically removed. And if she's getting physically removed and happens to run into a cop who does it more roughly than he probably should, as long as it's not completely over the top, I don't feel bad for her. I'm not saying that the cop shouldn't be disciplined for doing it wrong and doing it too forcefully, but it wasn't so over the top and so harmful that I feel bad for her. Whereas, you know, if the, if the cop came over and hit her or hit her with his baton or shot her or anything like that, caused serious injury, then I'd feel bad for her even given what she was doing. But I think some of these punks, some of these teenage punks in high school these days, I think they need to be taught lessons like this, that there are consequences for your actions. If you say, I'm planting myself right here and I'm even telling the police I'm not moving, well, if you end up with a rough police officer who moves you, a lot of that is your fault because it shouldn't have been happening in the first place. It's your fault it happened in the first place. It's not the math teacher's fault that she would not leave. It's not the principal's fault she would not leave. It is not the police officer's fault that she would not leave. She chose not to leave and had no good reason not to leave other than being selfish and stubborn and wanting to cause trouble. Some people are saying, well, she was mentally ill. What? There's, there's no proof of that. And if she is mentally ill, she shouldn't be in that class. Then the blame should lie on the school administration for allowing a mentally ill student to enroll in class there. But still, it's not the fault of the police officer. So the police officer has a little fault for the over-rough takedown. But uh, I don't feel bad for the girl at all. She got what was coming to her. And you don't say, oh, you don't do this to a child. She's not a child. She's 16. That's not a child. And I don't know if you guys have seen what some of these, quote, children, teenagers are capable of who have committed crimes. And she wasn't committing a heinous crime there or anything, but a 16-year-old is not a child. And when they're causing this type of trouble, they should not be treated like a child because they should know better. If you don't think so, think of yourself when you were 16. You would have never done this. You would have never thought of doing this. You would have never considered doing this.
And what about her injuries? What about her injuries? Uh, now she has a lawyer parading around that says she has a fractured arm and uh, uh, she has a rug burn on her forehead, but and she has to wear a cast. I don't believe it. The, the police reported there were no injuries, which would be unusual. The police usually will report every injury that happened during an arrest because they want to cover themselves. So uh, this looks like to me that the lawyers found some quack doctor to claim there's a fracture and put a cast on. And let me tell you, I've had both a real break in my arm and a fracture, and I didn't have a cast for the fracture. Uh, I, I had a little thing, uh, sling on there that was uh, restricting some movement. I didn't have a full cast for the fracture, for a small fracture. Uh, usually don't do that, and uh, and I did have a cast, of course, for the the full break, but this looks like it's being trumped up. And the fact that a lawyer's talking about a rug burn on her forehead shows that this couldn't be very serious. Uh, Caller, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, a rug burn. Uh, so this this looks like they're trying to exploit this now for money. She'll probably get a big payout from the school district or the police department. Caller, you on the air? Yes, uh, this is Mumbles again. Hey, listen, I want to make a comment about your statement that uh, this violent incident with the police would have uh, given her a lesson. Um, I don't think you, I don't think you really understand or can remember, or maybe you were just kind of, you know, sheeplefish back and so much authority driven back when you were a teenager. Rebellious teenagers, even at sixteen, don't learn those lessons. They will react negatively uh, to it, and that's just, you know, that's the, their brains have not yet developed. Well, it's pretty well known that by you, you need to be at least like tw- in your early 20s before you get a good, uh, your brain develops to be able to assess risk and reward. Well, somewhat, but not, not it's true that people are less responsible at that age, but... Uh, people at 16 know what's right and wrong, and they also understand consequences. And I, I know I did, and everybody else did, that fully understand consequences. If I do this, and then I know something bad is going to happen, uh, maybe I shouldn't do it because I'm afraid of this bad consequence. And the bad consequence could be getting in trouble at school. It could be from your uh, a consequence your parents give to you. It could even be trouble with the law. But you, you know at 16 you don't want these things to happen, and for that reason you don't do them. Even if you don't – even if you'd like to do them and don't see them as morally improper, uh, you're afraid of the consequence. And I, I think – with a lot of teenagers today, they, they don't have enough consequences, and they believe that they can do things without consequence, and that's where you get this type of behavior. Okay, I, I'm going to respond to your statement that, you know, uh, kids of 16, that they would respond, you know, more, be more behaviorally correct because of fear of the consequences. And I would say that's true for 90 to 95% of the kids because they have already been socially conditioned to fear the consequences. But this girl, she isn't somebody who was, you know, you know, she's already, she's rebelling. She's not afraid of the consequences. And all that does, separate from the fact that it leads to a possible, you know, litigious situation, is it pushes that person farther away. It's, that's, I, I had a brother who was one of those troubled teens. And... Confrontation with authority made him even more rebellious. Okay, he did not learn the consequences. Now, I, as his youngest younger brother, saw him get punished, and I learned not to break the rules because I was afraid that I would get punished. But he became more and more rebellious in response to the discipline. Well, I, I believe that. I believe your your story, and I believe this does happen with with some people. Everybody reacts differently. 
to, to situations, but I think that it's, I mean, it could be a lesson for the kids around her. I, I think right? I think well, you, when you say ninety to ninety five percent, if you, if you think there's a ninety ninety five percent chance that uh, this will induce the person to think about doing it in the future, just no, no, fearing no. the consequences. I'm saying it's a ninety ninety five percent chance for that individual. I'm saying all the people around, like the people who are in the classroom, right, taking the video, sitting there placidly, you know, watching the situation. They're the ones who are going to like. They're going to watch and see the lesson. Oh, I better not, you know, I don't want to get Officer Slam on my case. Okay? But the person, like that girl, who was already rebelling, she was already disobeying the teacher and defiant. There's no, she's not going to learn any lessons. I, I, I think a lot of people would not, after going through that once, are not going to do it again. You, you'll have some that's, that are going to be so not, defiant. Actually not, You're going to have some that are so defiant. I, I believe there are some maybe like your brother, that are so defiant that this gets them even angrier and where they want to cause even more trouble. But I think you have a lot more people than you're giving credit for that they they think that they that, that they can thumb their nose with authority and then the first time something bad happens that's really unpleasant, they go, oh, wow, this wasn't so fun after all. Never, I don't want to go through this again. And then they, they don't do it. Even if they don't uh, directly reason that out, it, it's just kind of where they end up going. That's not the way the teenage mind works. And there is... I listened to an episode of, I listened to This American Life. It's a great podcast series. And they talked about how they try to manage these troubled kids and teach them to not react, you know, badly to authority figures. And there's, there are some, most kids are, you know, they respect the authority, but you've got these kids who are like, they're confrontational with authority and these, these events don't help them. I think that's something you need to really understand about those particular types of individuals. I think there's a small percentage that this this will be, but you can't let that dictate uh, how you deal with them or, or how you let them, you can't let them run over you in class. You have to if someone is is refusing to leave, they have to be removed. Period. I don't think they should be removed as as violently as as this occurred here, but I think I'm they have to be removed. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be removed. I'm saying I'm arguing against your point that this is going to teach them a lesson. And the reason why I bring that up is because I used to think that way about law and order. I used to think that, you know, you know, give the tough, give them the tough treatment and then people, will, you know, be given the lesson. And that's just not the way it works. And I, unfortunately, I also think that's kind of a, a philosophy of a lot of, uh, I would say, conservative legal, you know, uh, conservatives regarding you know, how to how to treat criminals. And one particular area, for example, is drug users. You got to treat those drug users tough. I had a I had a, a woman neighbor who was a born again Christian saying that you got to deal with drug deal with drug drug users by putting them in prison to teach them a lesson. I'm thinking they're drug users. Well, that's a different story. That's because that has a, a you know, physical addiction element, even a, even a psychological addiction element, which is right. Not... But, but my point is my point is that. This is the kind of mentality that I hear a lot of conservatives say, and I used to be a conservative, and I used to think the same thing. <laughs> well, I, I I still think that uh, to a lot of people, and you can't tell which kids are going to react uh, from it, which one, which are going to be affected positively by an experience that uh, is a negative consequence for their actions, or which ones won't. And also, this isn't a counseling session when you when you're bringing in someone, uh, you, you've got to take the action first. And uh, I, I still think a lot of people will gain from this. And, you know, I heard about this girl, by the way, that she hadn't had trouble there before. 
So it's I, I don't know what made her do this, but sometimes when someone acts up for the first time and then they get something like this, it really can stop it for the future. Where they just go, wow, I'm not going to do that again. I, if, if people on the flip side of what you're saying, when people get to believe that there's no consequence for their actions, they act up. Even people who aren't inherently bad and ones who otherwise wouldn't be troublemakers. I've even seen it in a workplace environment where everybody acts normally and, and does their job pretty well. Then one or two people in the workplace start acting badly and start uh, being difficult and being defiant and, and uh, becoming nasty. And I've watched – I saw it happen in one of the places I worked. I watched people start to change, and I watched a lot of other people start to get influenced and act that way too. And I also watched when they got rid of the two troublemakers, everybody fell back into line. And uh, the reason I'm bringing this up here is that uh, when people are seeing no consequence, the, the reason people were, were – at that workplace getting worse and worse is they were seeing the other two acting up and they were seeing no consequence for it. And then people started to act up as well because they felt they could do it and get away with it at their jobs and, uh, and there'd be no problem. And then when they saw these two people get fired, uh, then, then they fell back in the line. Now I know you were saying that the other students will probably get affected by this. So I guess in a way you agree, but what I'm trying to say here is that a lot of times people are not acting right because they believe it's right. They're acting right because they're afraid of the consequences for not doing so. So I think when you give a consequence to someone who is not uh, acting properly or who's causing trouble and they get a consequence, especially like a first-time consequence, uh, then yes, somebody who's been constantly in trouble and constantly having consequences and not learning, I agree that another bad experience is not going to affect them. In fact, it could just make it worse. So on, the, on that I agree, but – I think that the fewer run-ins they've had, uh, if they have one that's very unpleasant, uh, they're not going to want to do it again. Uh, so that's that, that's my opinion of the situation. And, and I also think that at the time this is all happening, the, the police officer or whoever is dealing with it can't even bother considering this or what, the, what gain the young person's going to get from it. They've just got to end the situation. And uh, I, I just don't – I never feel bad in any of these stories when uh, – Someone who is either a criminal or who is causing a disruption on purpose, which is the case in this girl. I don't consider her a criminal, but uh, when when they get some kind of unpleasant result, unless it's something way over the top from where it should be, but uh, uh, otherwise, like I, I keep hearing about all these police brutality cases, but never am I hearing about one where someone has completely done nothing wrong and and uh, the police abuse them anyway. Which I believe these really exist too. I believe that there are some. Uh, very egregious police brutality cases uh, where we should really be focusing rather than ones like this where there's criminals or other troublemakers that uh, just end up getting an an over-the-top or uh, too rough response from the police and everyone gets up in arms. And I think, you know, if if you can't look at the victim sympathetically, it's hard to get, uh, get too excited about this, especially... I being a police officer is a tough job and people sometimes forget that too in a perfect world a police officer would not be affected by what they have to go through every day and the type of people they have to deal with and the type of trouble they have to deal with but it's hard it's hard and uh, um, there's so many unpredictable things that can happen you're you're putting yourself at at risk you're dealing with some of the worst people in society and it's it's tough so I, I, I have some sympathy for the police just in that now there are some who are who become police officers just because they like being in authority. They they like abusing people. They like telling people what to do. They like uh, showing off their power. And those people I'd like to see out of the police force. 
and I know there are some of them. And then this guy may very well be one of them, and uh, that's why I'm not sad to hear he got fired. And anyone who has a track record of that sort of thing should be gone. But at, at the same time, I think the police in general are getting too difficult of a rap right now because they, they have a tougher job than people realize. And, uh, and a lot of the high-profile cases we keep hearing about involve, uh, quote, victims who aren't very good people. Well, I'm glad that you at least admit that there are some, you know, there are some people who are going to react badly and not learn the lesson. And I, I think that that just has the notion of using a punishment uh, as a way to teach a lesson is really not as effective. It's effective for very small children, but it's not, once you get to a certain age, it doesn't really teach a lesson. It, it may. And they guide the behaviors. People will avoid doing the bad things. Like you said, the people, once you get fired, the bad people, the other people fell into line. But you're already self-selecting people who are going to be, tend to be following the rules to begin with. Okay. Um, and I, I think just, just be aware that that, you know, the lesson, I'm just saying with those people, the le- using punishments to teach lessons it doesn't really work I, I, for for people who are, you know, I would say defiant. And most people that get involved with the police are, most people are defiant in some way. So I'm just glad you recognize that, and uh, I'll get off the air. Okay. All right. Thank you for the call. That was uh, Mumbles Badly again, who uh, called him for the second time tonight. It's a big night for him. He just... Uh... Called in twice now. After I don't think he's called the show before. If he has, he hasn't identified himself as. I don't. I don't recognize that voice from before, though. He also texted me that uh, the number of school police officers rose to nineteen thousand nine hundred in two thousand three, from approximately twelve thousand three hundred in nineteen ninety seven. Wow. I had no idea about the school police officers. I, I know they exist on college campuses, but I, I never knew about the high school school police officers being existent in that. Uh, being that common. Hmm. By the way, anybody registering for the forum and it asks you what uh, kind of an awkwardly worded question to get past the registration, the answer is steep, all lowercase, S-T-E-E-P. The reason I have that there is to prevent spam, and it's been very effective. And I don't mind saying it on the radio show because I don't think spammers are listening to this. But I... I have the question phrased that way because what spammers do to register on the forum is they use Google. First, they, you know, if you just say, hey, type this word, if you you type the word sun, it'll it'll read that and type sun back to you. Like like the spammers have programs that can do that. They also have programs that can Google questions. So if you say, type the answer of uh, what color is the sky. So what it'll do is automatically Google what color is the sky and it'll type back blue. So that's why you need to have a, a question up there for the forum for registering that cannot be Googled and also preferably is tough on people who don't speak good English. And that's not because I'm trying to be racist or uh, have anything against non-English speakers on the forum, but uh, most spammers tend to be from countries where people don't speak English very well, you know, from Russia, from China, from uh, some African countries. So, also, can you think of anyone from Russia or China or, or Africa 
that's currently living there, that has always lived there, that barely speaks English, that posts on this forum? You can't because they don't want to participate. They don't come to an English-speaking poker forum to converse with all of us. They, that's just not what they do. I know there's some Russian players who post on sites like 2 Plus 2, but this is kind of a, a niche site, this one. And we're just not going to get that type of crowd here. I'm, I'm happy to have them if they want to post, but that's just not who we get here. So almost all of those registrations in those countries are spam. So what happens is with this kind of awkwardly worded question, which most people get, the answer is steep. People can't Google it, and people who don't speak English well can't get it. And I just thought of the question myself. And it's very effective in keeping out spammers. And the few that get through, uh, then I look at the country they registered from. And uh, if something looks fishy, then I Google the email address they use and see if it's associated with spam. And if it is, I, I delete them. And then I'll also get messages from them when they try to get the question and they can't get it right. So what I always ask someone who asks me what the answer is to that question in email, especially if they are writing to me in broken English, is I say, hello, thank you for registering on Poker Fraud Alert. Uh, we're trying to prevent spam here, so can you please let me know where you heard of this forum and why you want to register here? And that is very effective at also weeding out the spammers because uh, I will tell you in all the years that I've had this up and asked that question of people who want to know the answer to the secret question and when I respond back with where do you hear of the form and why do you want to register this is how many responses I got back from them zero point zero that's how many I got zero not a single one of them answered because they knew that I was on to them wasn't even worth writing back to me because they didn't know what this forum was about. They didn't know where they heard of it. And they were just wanting to spam. And they're like, screw it. I'll move on to the next spam target. Because they're not just logging on here to spam. They're like logging on a ton of different places. So I, I've stopped all the bots. And the few people who are trying to register manually to spam, they usually get trapped on that question too. And I don't let them through. And that's why you almost see no spam on PokerFraudAlert.com. So the word is steep, though, if you have trouble getting the answer. Almost at the end of the show, and we're not going to make our five hours. Hmm. Well, it's sad. Kind of close. I think we're at about four hours and fifteen minutes, but I'm just I'm not going to go another forty-five minutes. Just don't have enough to say. Let's see what the chat room is saying right now. We're right about at midnight. Pacific time as I'm broadcasting this. Sousa55 in chat is saying, I actually had a moment today where I couldn't take the stupidity I was reading on Facebook about the police officer and the student, so I posted this. And then, <laughs> that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't say anything more, leaving me in suspense. Seriously Serious is saying, really? Every school I went to since fourth grade had cops. And then someone is reminding Seriously Serious, uh, Druff is like 60 years old. Simmer it down. So he thinks I'm 60. (laughs) Well, I'm actually uh, 43. I know Seriously Serious knows that. But I can tell you in the 80s, 
no school I knew of in my area had cops. My school didn't have cops and no school in the area had cops. And again, I went to a public school. So maybe this came around in the 90s. I don't know. Seriously, serious. I think he's about, uh, I think I'm guessing around 13 years younger than me. So that would have put him in fourth grade in the 90s. So yeah, that's probably why. Probably started in the 90s. Uh, let's see here. I'm looking at the chat room again. Someone's saying, I'm 28 years old. This is Stay Cold. I'm one of the youngest listeners. Yes, you are. My demographic here for this show is mostly 35 to 55 male. I'll even go further and say... Uh, Mostly white male, 35 to 55, though we do have some non-white males that listen here. We even have a few females that listen, but that's mainly the demographic. We do have some who are older than 55 who listen. We have some younger than 35 who listen, but we have very few under 25 who listen. PLOL listens sometimes. I know he's under 25, but he's one of the few. So it makes sense because if you look at how old I am, I'm right in the middle of that, between 35 and 55. So it makes sense that the people who would want to listen to me, who could relate to me most, are in that age range. I guess we have a fair number in the early 30s, too. So maybe it should be 30 to 55. But when people tend to come up to me at the World Series and say hello, you know, people I haven't seen before, don't really know, maybe heard of a little bit, random listeners of the show, they always tend to be generally around my age. Sometimes a little older, sometimes a little younger. But like, I don't see 21-year-olds typically coming up to me and say, hey, man, I've been listening to you. Yeah, it's just, I, I don't see much of that. We do have a few female listeners, and, and again, most of them are not that young either. I think People tend to listen to what they can relate to. I don't think I sound old by my voice. I've sounded pretty much the same voice-wise for about 25 years. Like the way I sound now, I sounded very much like this when I was 18. When I was 18, I sounded old for my age. But now I think I sound young for my age because I'm 25 years older. But uh, I, I think The things I say, my points of view, my familiarity with pop culture and all that, I think that's much more in line with someone in their 40s. So it makes sense that that's kind of the center of the demographic age-wise. I actually do like when we get outliers to the demographic. I like when I hear that women listen. I like when I hear that much older people listen or a few younger people. I like when I hear that black people listen or even gay people. I really I really do. Like I, I like having some diversity in the audience. But in general, I just want people to listen. I don't want to talk to myself. And, 
You know what makes me feel good? And, and I don't want people sending me these messages just to jerk me off or anything. But And I've said this a lot of times. I like when I get heartfelt messages from people who really enjoy the show. Whether it's something as simple as getting it through your work day. And some people have messaged me that they've they've had some tough things in life or they've been depressed or whatever. Hello, and then, and this that, is not the phone call you were hoping oh, to receive. Geez. This is a rejection hotline callback. Come on. The person you recently called does not want to answer your calls, call you back, or actually speak to you at all. We know this sucks, but there's probably a good reason for it. Maybe you're just not their type. No, this could mean boring, dumb, annoying, arrogant, or just a general weirdo. Maybe you suffer from bad breath, body odor, or nasty combination of the two. Mm. Maybe you just give off that creepy, overbearing, psycho stalker vibe, and the idea of talking to you just seems as appealing as playing leapfrog with unicorns. Regardless of the reason, please take the hint. Accept the fact that this person does not want to talk to you, and then please just get over it. This rejection hotline callback message has been delivered by ComedyCalls.com. To send this or one of 200-plus other comedy calls directly to the phone of someone you know, just visit ComedyCalls.com. Great. Th- thanks for advertising that. Now I'm going to get like 200 of these. That's great. I've got 200 different messages you guys can prank me with. That's lovely. See what I got to put up with on this show? I've heard that before. Uh, This was a common thing going around in chat rooms years ago where people would give this out as their phone number. Like this would be a a common prank where uh, one of the like hotter chicks in the room, some desperate guy would be begging for her phone number. So she would been post in the public room. Here's my number. And she'd post the number of the rejection hotline. And then the guy would call it and hear that and everyone would laugh. I, I should have hung up on it before it told people how to do this because now now I'm going to get so many of these, it's going to be out of hand. But especially with 200. 200 different messages you guys can hit me with. Real Talk saying, oh, we know you have, Druff, referring to that I've received the rejection hotline. I've actually never received, I'm being totally serious here, I've never received that as a phone number from a girl or anyone else who is pretending to seriously give out their phone number. Never. The The closest I, I got to receiving that was, uh, like, there was a girl in the chat room I didn't believe was a girl, and I thought it was a dude. And... I said, here, go on the microphone, because the chat room had that where someone can just go on the microphone and talk. She wouldn't do it. Go on cam. I'm not saying to, like, take off her clothes. Just go on cam for a few seconds to show you're really a girl. Wouldn't do it. I said, and this is all, like, all in the open room, not like a private message. I said, all right, well, you know, have me or somebody else who's known here call you up. Like, give your phone number privately to someone and they'll call you. So, like, one girl, supposed girl, said, okay, here's my number. Just anyone can call it, and here it's really me. So I, I knew giving it out in the public room probably was not her real number, but I tried it anyway, and it was the rejection hotline. So, very funny. But no, I've, I've never had it where a girl's given me the rejection hotline when I've attempted to get her phone number. Never. I guess it would be kind of funny to have that, like if you're a girl going out to clubs and dudes are asking for your number. But you got to make sure you give it to them before, like you're not going to want to see them again that same night. Like you're going to want to give it to them before you leave. 
Otherwise, uh, you know, they may call it while they're still there to see if it's real and then get really pissed. Anyway, thank you for the rejection hotline as I was pouring out my heart and telling you guys how I appreciate the messages of people who, whose lives are positively affected by this show. And if you are one of those people, that's great. I'm glad this is of some value. Really, when I will shut down this show is when I feel it's not of any value to anyone, or at least not value to enough people. To where the time and effort I'm putting into it is translating to really nothing good coming of it. That's not why I do it. I want there to be an audience. I want people to listen to it and enjoy listening to it and get something out of listening to it. And even if all I'm doing is helping you fall asleep at night or helping a boring workday pass by or helping a boring drive pass by or even a boring plane flight, uh, see money who was flying from somewhere in the U.S. to Tokyo, I think L.A. to Tokyo, and was in a very, very nice international first-class seat on United Airlines. He had like his own little cubicle there. Uh, he spent seven hours listening to last week's show live up in an airplane flying over the Pacific Ocean. Which is kind of cool. Like, I, I love thinking about that. I love thinking about, like, he's in, the, in an airplane 35,000 feet up and that he's hearing me broadcast live while he's over the ocean. So, I'm trying to stall for time until we get to five hours, but we're not going to make it. I, I could stall for like another half hour, but I'm not going to make it. Jay Stat said, I, I enjoyed dealing Baccarat listening to the show. It helps in my counting. Real Talk saying, Druff part of the Mile High Club. Has anyone in the chat room really been part of the Mile High Club? I, I can't picture how that could work. Maybe if I were shorter, it's just those bathrooms are so small. How do you do it? It looks really tough to do. How did two adults have sex in one of those bathrooms? I I don't get it. I've tried to picture it when I go in one of these bathrooms. I can't, like I have a hard enough time just going to the bathroom in there. How do people have sex inside of an airplane bathroom? It's, it sounds good in theory. It sounds really hot in theory, but how how do you do it? I did manage to lose my virginity in the back of a 76 Honda Civic. But that's huge compared to an airplane bathroom. At least there's somewhere you could, like, lie down. Boy, this sucks so much. This is, like, the only show I'm giving. I'm given an incentive to go a certain length of time, and I don't go. Like, Like, last week, I wasn't even trying to make it a long show, and it ends up almost seven hours. Sousa asking me in the chat, do you play any of the World Series events, the circuit events? Are you going to Tahoe next month? Probably not. I only go to Tahoe really either for like a summertime activity or skiing. I, I hate going in November. It's just a lousy time to be there. Too cold to do anything outside. Not enough snow to ski. 
Kind of sucks. I'm just not. I'm not much of a tournament player. Caller, you on the air? Yeah, Druff. This is just we. Yes. Um, I mean, dude, there's a whole bunch of people out here that listen to you every week that don't go on the forums and call in. I'm surprised I'm doing this, but you kick ass and take names, dude. Give yourself some credit. All right, thank you. I'm glad you like it. Yes, it's. I. I mean, I. 99% of the time I listen in the archives and anyway, I enjoy the show. Great guest. Whatever happened to the guy uh, that didn't pay his child support? You haven't heard from him? Oh, that's bad guy. No, he, he's, he, he's the one who uh, who sponsored the show tonight, who sponsored the free roll oh, of the show. The, well, the f- congratulations. I, I hope he's doing well. Well, I, yeah, I don't know about that, but and, uh, uh, you know, he, he disappeared for a long time. Right? I wondered if he was in jail or something. Then he popped back up. He didn't explain where he was. The weirdest thing was like the Pirates were doing really well at the time. I know they blew it on the wild card game, but but he was a huge Pirates fan, and I was sure he was going to make a big deal about this, and, and he just was gone. And I knew he had to be like completely gone if the Pirates were doing that well, and he was saying nothing. So he was just totally gone, and then he popped up again like uh, uh, right around when the Dodgers were in the NLCS uh a few weeks ago, and then he... Well, you, you need to say no more than Pirates fan. I would go in the cave, too, if I was a Pirates fan. And, yeah, but they were doing uh, they this... Win, but... They were doing so well, though, they hadn't lost yet. That He came out of the cave when they had already lost. It was weird. So... Yeah. Anyway, uh, he donated $75. He made a bet with me for $275 about a, a Dodgers game that uh, they ended up losing. So uh, he said that... Yeah. Uh, he won $275 from me. He said just to send him 200 and keep 75 for the free roll. So I did, and that free roll is today. No, he must have won the lottery. Good for him. I wish him well and his family and all that. And uh, same to you. So. Okay, thank anyway, you. Anyway, I just wanted to say I'm a big fan. There's a bunch of us out here that listen and enjoy this show. I, I don't enjoy trolls, so that's why I don't go on the uh, – excuse me. Don't go on the, uh, the website because it seems like that's all I attract. But uh, anyway, no, like I said, there's a bunch of us out here that enjoy your show and and uh, look forward to it. I'll leave it at that. You guys have a good night and keep up the good fight, Bob. Okay, thank you for your call. All right, so that's uh, a listener who appreciates the show, and that's good. Lou Father asking in chat, did I talk about the MGM comps? Yes, I did. I was talking about Lou Father. You know, you live in Detroit, I know. Uh, that at MGM Detroit, they give you one-tenth the tier credits that you will earn in Vegas. And that at Beau Rivage and Gold Strike Tunica, you get one-fifth the tier credits you earn in Vegas. Let's see. The chat room... JSTAT saying the World Series of Poker Circus... Star, star, circus. Well, it is a circus in a way. It starts this weekend at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. Yeah, this is like the worst time. That's probably why they hold the tournament then. This is the, the worst time to go to Tahoe is late October, early November. It sucks. It's too cold and not cold enough for snow. It's the lowest season there. I like summertime activities in Tahoe. I like wintertime activities in Tahoe. Beer and Poker asking, am I making money on Bitcoin? No, I give away my Bitcoin as soon as I get them. To free roll winners. That's the only reason I keep them. Uh, let's see here. Someone, I was going to talk about something I don't remember now. Yeah. 
Got too distracted. This is the normal night of the show, by the way. It will be on Thursdays from now on, unless we happen to change the date temporarily for that particular week. But otherwise, we're on Thursday every night. Now oh, we lost Trader Ski. Now we totally, I'm totally alone. We don't even have sleeping Trader Ski anymore. It's just, it's just me. It is just me now. No co-host whatsoever. Even uh, even sleeping trader ski dropped off. <laughs> you know what I haven't done tonight? I haven't looked at the ratings of tonight's show. Yeah, I just looked. Yeah, they weren't that great tonight. I had a feeling they weren't going to be that great because I didn't promote the show very much. It had been on Friday the last two weeks, and it had missed a few weeks before that, so we hadn't had a Thursday show in a while, and I, I just thought people weren't going to be used to it on Thursday. I, I just thought that was going to be the case. And then I didn't promote it, and I didn't post a, a thread about the show until like an hour beforehand, so I, I, I just didn't think we were going to have a big crowd tonight. That, that, you know, it doesn't really matter that much because the archives always gets about the same number of people. But I always like the live ratings to be high. Tonight it just didn't happen. Fortunately, I don't have to worry about my ratings for advertisers because I don't have any. Let's see. What else can I talk about to occupy time until we get to five hours? Now, I kind of feel like I'm so close now. I almost feel like uh, in line for the log ride at Not Scary Farm that I've been online so long I can't get off at this point. But I think we I think we've got to go at least another twenty five minutes to reach five hours and maybe even more than that. Let's see. Uh let's see what the chat room's saying. Tuesday is better for broadcasting. Most people are starting their weekend on Thursdays. That's That might be a good point. That's from JSTAT. I moved to Thursday so Brandon can make it more often, and so far he hasn't made it. So if this doesn't affect Brandon appearing on the show, I may move it back to Tuesday. Though there was an advantage for me personally on Tuesday as well, on Thursday as well, because I have something else going on on Tuesday, and it makes the whole day kind of tough on me to do the show too. So I don't know. I can also go back to Wednesday. I only was avoiding Wednesday before because me, my former radio show, Donk Down, was taking place on Wednesday, and I didn't want to directly compete with it because I knew there were people who listened to both. But Donk Down Radio has been long gone. And I don't think it's ever coming back, and if it does, it's going to be a completely different show it's about Bitcoin, and I don't think most of my audience will listen to it anymore. At least we got a good number of phone calls tonight from a good variety of people. That's nice. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could talk 25 more minutes. Kind of drawing a blank about what I want to say. Oh, Beer and Poker saying, did you talk about your recent Bovada play? I kind of don't want to. It hasn't gone very well. Uh, last year on Bovada, I, I couldn't lose. I, I started playing towards the end of the year, but I pretty much could not lose. 
I was owning heads there. I had to be the biggest winner on that site during that period of time, at least in limit. Then at the beginning of 2015, I struggled. Then I turned it around and did well again. Then I struggled again. Then I did well again. And then starting uh, around uh, the end of June, I just started to really go in the toilet. And, and I haven't... Uh, I busted my account. I quit for two months. I came back and I've uh, chunked off anything I've deposited. So <laughs> I don't know what to say. I know there's variants, but I don't know what to say. I will say the games aren't as good this year as they were last year. From the very beginning last year, when I redeposited there, I said, wow, these games are good and they match my style really well. Like I matched up with this. I said this immediately. Like I, I woke up the next day after the first night I played on there and I, I said to Benjamin's mom, if, if the games are always like this, this is going to be perfectly suited for me. These are not only good games, but they match perfectly with my style. And the ones I've seen this time, not only if I ran poorly, but they are not really that good for my style. So I think that's some of it too. Uh, Lou Father saying, talk about how you got around the credit card fee. I, I paid the credit card fee. I just found a way to recover it, but I don't want to discuss it on radio. It's kind of a, I'm not breaking the terms of service or doing anything illegal, but it's something that I don't want too many people to know. It's, it's not something spectacular either. It's just something to Jewishly save a few dollars. I actually told one guy I know about the, I know privately about this and his response was, you got to be kidding me. This is so much trouble. I wouldn't do this for a 20% reduction. <laughs> he, he literally said to me, you must be some super Jew to do this because that's so much trouble for not that much money. And it kind of is, but I was so obsessed with negating that deposit fee that uh, I did it. Doesn't completely negate it, but mostly negates it. Am I going to bet over under on the NBA and Bovada? Uh, I, I think I'm done betting the NBA. Pooh asked me to talk about the NBA, so I, I, I didn't really follow the NBA much in the off season. So I'll have to kind of catch up on that. I do have an interest in the NBA, even though the Lakers suck. Uh, but last year I followed it pretty closely, but this year I, I just hadn't yet. So I don't. I'm not going to be able to offer much insight on the 2015-2016 NBA season, at least not yet. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to be betting. I, I got off to a fairly good start last year, and then I just really hit the wall, and I thought, this is just too hard. <laughs> this is No wonder people lose sports betting. I, this is just hard. So I, I guess I'm no Haralabob, who even, even Haralabob admitted that he had some struggles in the NBA at some points. I will tell you that I don't think Kobe's going to be a factor this year. I think Kobe's done. I, I think the Lakers need to be rid of Kobe before they will have a chance to rebuild this team and be competitive again. Kobe was once a great player. Uh, anyone who said Kobe was overrated didn't watch him closely enough. I, I watched him a whole lot. It was amazing what he did sometimes. Amazing some of the clutch shots he made with three guys putting their hands in his face when he's 
making shots from long distance. I mean, he was the... I, I, I've never seen anyone make the type of shots he was under pressure and with three guys in his face and, you know, shots you think have no shot of getting in there and, and they swish. And that was his specialty, but he was also a great all-around player at one point. Then as he got older and suffered injuries, his his defense started to disappear. Then uh, his athleticism disappeared. His shooting disappeared. He's really just a shell of his former self. And it's it's understandable. He's been playing in the NBA since 18. He's had bad injuries. His body's beaten up. He's uh, like 38 years old this year. 37, 38. Uh, I think he's 37, right? Yeah, he's 37, but still. He's an old 37. He's been playing since he got out of high school. So he's not going to carry this team. He's too old, too beaten up. And he doesn't want to accept that. He doesn't want to accept a lesser role. Kobe wants to be the guy still. But his body won't let him. He's a very, very hardworking player. But there's only so much you can do when age catches up. The NBA is very demanding. So I knew this was going to be a problem with him. I knew that Kobe was not going to bow out gracefully. I knew he was going to try to stretch to the bitter end. I knew he wouldn't accept that he couldn't continue to be the player he was as he aged. So he had a great career. He was uh, really a, a huge force. I know he was sometimes selfish. I know he wasn't easy to get along with. I know he drove Shaq off the team too early, and they could have won some more championships had Shaq been around, but he's not going to contribute anymore. And the Western Conference is very tough. The Lakers have a lot to overcome. I mean, just to make the playoffs, they have a lot to overcome. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. And even in future years, they have a lot rebuilding they have to do. Because it's it's not like the East where you can finish 470 and make the playoffs. You have to finish with a good record, and you're going to be up against some really tough teams. And as far as winning the West, I mean, you have to beat the likes of Golden State. Forget it. You have to really improve to get there. So it's too bad, but it, yeah, I had a lot of good years watching the Lakers, including some fairly recently. So it's time to uh, watch them struggle for a while, or not struggle for a while. Or shall I say, not watch them struggle. They will struggle, but I'm not going to watch. I, I hardly watched any games last year because it was pathetic. I don't want to be a Fairweather fan, but you also don't want to watch the team lose time and time again with a crappy roster. I mean, that's just not fun to watch. I don't owe anything to the Lakers. If, if I only want to watch them if they're interesting to watch, not if they're horrible.
someone tweeted at me, uh, you're forgetting Christie's relationship with Jerry Jones, a major investor in DraftKings. No, I'm not. I mentioned it. I didn't mention his name, but I said that he's friends with a major investor in DraftKings. I didn't forget. This is weird. Okay, so... My Twitter feed, I hadn't looked at it or touched it, and it didn't auto-update. So, like, I guess I have, like, 68 new tweets on my feed, but I haven't clicked on that yet. So, D. Gordon, who I I follow just because he used to play on the Dodgers, (laughs) he was tweeting to someone, uh, Princess Cam143, which is probably a spammer. Uh, maybe not. I, mean, I guess her name's Cameron, so I guess she's not. I thought this thing had to do with a camera. Um, D. Gordon tweeted to her, come outside in five minutes. <laughs> it looks like the tweet got deleted. Or maybe it's her tweet that got deleted. It says this tweet is unavailable. I don't know if it means D. Gordon's tweet. Let me see. Either he deleted his tweet or she deleted hers to him. No, no, he didn't delete his tweet. Okay. She deleted her tweet to him. I miss D. Gordon. I wish he was still on the Dodgers. Definitely could have used him this year in the playoffs. Definitely. The team had no speed. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Lee Father asking, what about the L.A. Kings? I think you're confusing me with another former Donk Down owner. I'm not really a hockey fan. Never have been. Tried to watch it. Couldn't really get into it. I think that uh, part of the reason I was not into hockey, it's kind of too soccer-like for me. And I don't, I've never liked watching soccer. I used to like playing soccer as a kid, but watching it, it just was never that interesting to me. It just seems like the ball goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and nobody scores. I mean, yeah, eventually somebody scores, but the rest of the time I'm just watching the ball go back and forth. It's just not interesting to me. I know some of you Euros won't like to hear that, but that's how I feel. And I think hockey is like an ice form of soccer. And if you think about it, it really is. China Maniac is saying hockey is like getting dealt seven deuce over and over and over again. Beer and poker saying, what about the Los Angeles Sparks? Yeah. I I, I don't think uh, I'm really in the WNBA's demographic. I think I'd have to be a different gender and not he- not heterosexual to really be into that. I think the WNBA is... Uh, I, I don't know how many fans they have who are not lesbians. Disposition saying hockey is not at all like watching soccer. I don't know. They kind of seem similar to me. I just couldn't get into it. I tried. I tried to watch the Kings back in the Gretzky years. I just couldn't really get into it. I know some people who are obsessed with the Kings. That's fine. That just didn't really appeal to me that much. 
From the 720 area code, a text asking what was the significance of the Asian lady saying you want the $50 back in the Donk Down intro music. That was a prank call we did. Me and Mikeon did this to an actual Asian massage place in Las Vegas that was giving uh, hand jobs on the side, which is very common in Las Vegas. And the premise of the call was I was pretending to be lawyer Alvin Finkelstein, and I was representing my client, Phil Delante, who was played by Mikeon, and that uh, the premise was that Phil Delante was given a hand job against his will, that he just came for a massage and suddenly the girl started doing a hand job on him and he didn't want it and he was very uncomfortable. And uh, I was complaining about it as his attorney. And it was a very funny call. And at one point, the Asian woman, who didn't speak very good English but was understanding the whole thing, wasn't understanding what I wanted from the call. And we were claiming that... uh, the massage was $50. So she said, what you want? What you want? You want your $50 back? So that became a famous soundbite on the show. It was a great call. Uh, let's see here. Looking at what other uh, messages I'm getting here. Um, will the NBA or will sorry, will the NFL have football in LA next year? Could it be the Rams, the Raiders, the Chargers? Jay Stat is wondering. It could be. I've heard about this for so many years now, and it never occurs. So maybe. I think Los Angeles, despite being the number two television market in the country, I think that Los Angeles has lost its passion for football because it's been gone for so long. I think that it's not an automatic that the NFL will be successful here anymore. If... An NFL team comes to L.A., it may not be well-received, especially if it doesn't perform well. And let's face it, I mean, the Raiders are doing better than they've done in some prior years, but they've been awful for a long time. China Maniac saying, I don't think they're getting NFL for a while. L.A. needs a brand-new team. The problem is where they're going to play. There's, there's really no good spot for them to play right now. There's not a ready stadium for them to come play, so they'd have to get a stadium built or seriously renovate some other site but that's been the big issue here is just getting even a stadium that's fit for the NFL at this point and then there's just not enough general excitement for the NFL so I've I've heard about this for 20 years now and it hasn't happened I just don't think we're going to see it for a while. I think China Maniac's right. It's possible it comes. It's possible that one of these teams just gets up and moves because they're unhappy. Zap the Fractions Giraffe, also known as Wiz, just said he made Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. You know, first of all, I like that Macaroni and Cheese the best as far as wins you make at home. I don't like any of these knockoff brands. And I also... 
I don't like any of these alternate shapes. I don't like the shells. I don't like the ones that are characters from kids' shows. And it's not even about what they look like. I don't care what the macaroni looks like. It just doesn't taste the same. If it's not that, uh, if it's not the traditional elbow macaroni that uh, everyone's used to, it's just the texture is different. And no, I don't like the Velveeta mac and cheese. I've tried it. It, it sucks. I like the original mac and cheese from Kraft. I've tried the other ones. I just, either the cheese doesn't taste right or it's too thick or it's too thin or, or the, the pasta is of a funny consistency. It, ju- it just doesn't taste right. I'm not, I'm not trying to be stubborn. I'm not trying to be set in my ways. It just doesn't taste right. I've tried to do it. I've tried it. I've even said, you know, who cares what shape it's in? Like I, I go to buy mac and cheese and I see the regulars out and there's like some kind of different shape that's uh, – supposed to appeal to kids and i'm thinking i don't want to buy this and like i'll buy it and i'll try and i'll go i don't like the shape of it it doesn't uh, the texture is different it's not the same thing just we who called in earlier he says in the chat la is a shitty sports town i don't agree with that i think la is not as super passionate about sports as some towns because there's so many different options of what to do in la because the weather's much better and because there's also a lot of variance in the geography in in uh, Southern California, you can go to the beach, you can go to the mountains, you can go to the desert. So, and, and then of course it's you know it's a big city. There's there's just so many different things to do. Uh, unlike in in some of these places, uh, especially where it's cold, uh, where sports is really a big part of the culture. So that's part of it, but there are still a lot of people in L.A. who are very into the sports. There's a lot of people really into the Dodgers, for example. I know there's, it has a reputation for people leaving the games that's in the seventh inning, people who just go there for uh, like a social event rather than caring about the team, but there's a lot of people who go to the Dodgers games. In fact, most of the people who really do care about how the Dodgers are doing. So it may not be the same as some of these East Coast sports cities, but it's uh, there, there's a lot of passionate L.A. sports fans. You go to a Lakers game, too, you'll see. I mean, you should see they're selling out still every game for the Lakers, or almost every game, despite how awful the team's been. And I'll tell you, I, I wouldn't pay to see the Lakers at this point. Let's see here. Now we're getting really close. Now we're starting to get close to the five-hour mark. You know, the Kraft macaroni and cheese, the cheese you pour on it seems kind of weird, the powder cheese. Like, on, on the surface, I would think I would totally not like that, but it ends up tasting the best. Somehow that it just kind of works out that powdered cheese. It just it becomes very unpowdery by the time you add the the butter and the milk and mix it all together. Like it just it ends up fine. You you don't taste powder. It it doesn't taste like powdered cheese. It, it tastes good. Does Jack Nicholson still attend Lakers games with his courtside seat? I mean, last time I watched, I hardly watched anything on TV of the Lakers last year. I'm trying to remember if I saw Jack or not. I 
I mean, he was attending as of fairly recently. Yeah, Lou Father's mentioning that Team Razor's probably tilted because I bashed Bel- Velveeta. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true, but I, I couldn't get into it. I tried it. I tried them all. Couldn't get into it. Then, you know, mac and cheese rose in popularity as a side dish over the last, uh, I'd say, 15 years. Like, like in the 90s, you were almost never finding mac and cheese on a menu at a restaurant, and now you find it everywhere, even at some nice restaurants. So mac and cheese has really increased in popularity as the years have worn on. It's, it's hit the mainstream. It's not just for kids anymore. I know it's kind of fattening and bad for you, though. That's, that's the problem. One, one problem I have is that I really, really prefer all the foods that are very fattening. And I don't like the low-fat versions. I never like the low-fat versions. It's like I can totally taste the difference. I've had people try to sneak the low-fat version by me before of things, and then they, it never works. Like I, I'm eating something, I'm, like, I'm not liking it. I go, I, I don't know what's wrong. It's, it doesn't taste the same today. Well, actually, this is the low-fat version. This is the sugar-free version. This is the sugar-reduced version. This is the lower-salt version. And I go, I don't want that crap. I, I want the regular version. I, I can taste the difference. Real Talk is mentioning lobster mac and cheese. I don't like that either. I like lobster, by the way, but I like lobster by itself. I don't like lobster mac and cheese. I, I don't like anything in the mac and cheese. I just want a regular mac and cheese. Sometimes I put, like, breadcrumbs on it. That's fine, but I, I, I don't want any anything strong tasting in the mac and cheese. Susan is saying there's a whole chain based on mac and cheese called Mac Shack. I've never heard of that. See if we got any more texts here. Lou Father says, Druff, do you eat pork or do you have to try to bury the plate if swine touches your plate? No, I'm not that religious. I just I mean I'll have pepperoni. I'm not I just don't like the way pork tastes. I don't I don't have ham. I don't have uh like cooked pork dishes. I do like bacon and pepperoni, that's pretty much it as far as pork products. Uh, from the 720, reheated day-old craft mac and cheese is not fit for human consumption. It always gets stuck in the fork even after running through the dishwasher. Yeah. Why would anyone save mac and cheese that was made and not eaten? I mean, it's so cheap. It's like a dollar a box. Why would you save that? But yeah, that sounds gross. I, I haven't even tried that, but I know it's... I have not even tried it. I wouldn't try it. There's a lot of things I won't reheat because they... It just is not anywhere near as good. I will not reheat mac and cheese. Uh, especially the Kraft mac and cheese. I will not reheat french fries for sure. I don't reheat pizza. I think it sucks. I won't eat cold pizza. If I order a pizza, can't eat the whole thing, I toss it in the trash. Same with french fries. Lou Father says, do you dig on the way black people make mac and cheese, the kind where they bake it with breadcrumbs? Yeah, I mentioned that. I've had that before. It's, it's, it's pretty good. 
Yeah, beer and poker saying he likes pizza reheated. Real Talk is saying who the fuck doesn't like cold pizza. I don't. I don't like either one. I don't like cold pizza. It, it doesn't taste good, and uh, it doesn't even taste right being cold. And reheated, it gets, like, all soggy. Even if you reheat it in the oven and have some patience, don't use the microwave, it still it's not, it doesn't taste the same. It doesn't taste the same. I've I've had people try that with me too. They like they they try to reheat it in the oven. They go, oh no no, it's not like the microwave. Oh, it's much better this way. And then I try to go, well, it's better than the microwave, but it's it's not the same as when it was just made. It's just not the same. Blue Father saying, in college, did you eat leftover pizza, or were you that privileged? Um, I actually did eat leftover pizza there, and then as I got older, I was like, what am I doing? This sucks. But you'll be glad to know that. Uh, I was always finding coupons or ways to get pizza cheaply. I, I've always been a cheap Jew. And I, I didn't live extravagantly at all in college. In college, I uh, lived in cheap places and drove a cheap car. And I went to a public college. All true. Uh, let's see what we got in text here. When I was little, my mom made me eat it for breakfast because I misbehaved during dinner the night before. I guess he's referring to pizza. Yeah. I can throw away pizza that is left over. Because I get it cheaply in the first place. I, I use my coupons. You know, I, I get a good value on what I buy in the first place. So when I throw away what I don't eat, I'm really uh, still not getting a bad value overall. I, I'd rather get my pizza cheaper than you do for the same pizza and throw some of it away that I can't eat rather than uh, pay more money and reheat part of it. Blue Father is asking, what kind of Jewish rye bread do I buy? I don't like rye bread. That's something I tried and never liked. The rye seeds just kind of don't do it for me. They taste kind of weird. I like wheat bread. When I get my uh, my sandwiches, like a pastrami sandwich or corned beef sandwich, I get it on wheat. Sorry I'm not uh, a stereotypical Jew in that way. French onion soup versus matzo ball soup. I don't like French onion soup, so matzo ball wins. I, I do like matzo ball soup. French onion soup, it, it's sad to me how that has risen in popularity in the last 20 years because you didn't find that much until about 15 to 20 years ago. Now it's everywhere. I don't even like the way it smells. In general, most onion things I don't like very much unless it's subtle. But if, if like you can smell the onion, I usually don't like it. Whatever it is. Frank Rizzo's coming and saying, what is this? He's LOL, what the WTF is this? Th- this is me kind of stalling for time so the show can be five hours. So the free roll can get $50 next week. That's how cheap I'm being. I'm even cheap with a free roll. That it's, not, it's not even my money, but I'm, I'm, I want the free roll money so badly I'm just like stalling. So I think we made five hours now. It's close. I just don't want to shut it down and find out I went like four hours, 58 minutes. 
So I'm not. Yeah, ask Druff anything. What are your thoughts on KFC? I'm being asked by Beer and Poker. I'm not a huge KFC fan. I, you know, Lou Father's saying it's awful. I've had some times when I've enjoyed it, but it is pretty crappy, to be honest. It depends how hungry I am. It depends how well the chicken is cooked. And I've just had some bad experiences, like not some awful experiences, but just like, you know, you bite into it and it's cold in spots or uh, it's soggy. I, I don't know. It's it, it's crap. It really is crap. And uh, there's been some times I've eaten it and liked it. And then other times I've, I've eaten it and then like I'm enjoying it while I'm eating it. And then I just kind of feel crappy afterwards. I don't usually go there. Uh, Popeye's has better biscuits, says Sonatine. Yeah, Popeye's actually isn't bad for a fast food uh, chicken place. They have a pretty good marketing campaign going with that uh, black woman and the Louisiana fast thing. I've heard that's been very successful for them. I can see why. It's pretty appealing. Yeah, Sousa's saying he has KFC once a year, then he realizes why he never eats it, and then forgets a year later and makes the same mistake. That's basically my story. Like, I go back there having a better memory of it than it deserves, and then try it again and go, ah, never mind. Someone asking about Red Lobster in the chat. I wouldn't go to Red Lobster. Like I, I, I don't like having lobster unless it's from a quality place. I never want lobster from a cheapish place like Red Lobster. I only get lobster at a fine restaurant where I know they're going to do it well. Because lobster is one of these things which can really be good or be terrible, depending on how it's prepared. And the quality of lobster that's obtained. Though, you know, I did. I, I've gotten lobster on like in like a beach setting before in in like Caribbean countries, and it's actually it's surprisingly good. Like where they're cooking it on the beach. But some some kind of like chain restaurant, I'm never going to get lobster. Unless it's like a, high, a very high-end chain. Yeah, he's saying that's fresh lobster. Sonatine's saying that's probably why. The lobster on the beach, why it's better. So, I, I think we've made the five hours. I think we're, I think we're there. I think we're going to get the reward for next week. This is from Handicap Me, by the way. Who I think is an East Coast guy, so I think he's probably going to be angry at some of the stuff I said about East Coast people, especially about New York, New Jersey people. Something that's not known about me that I'm going to reveal here, I, I lived in New Jersey for a year. I did. So I can talk about New Jersey. Wasn't recently, though. 
I think I, I think I've uh, wasted enough time here. If you've uh, sat here and just tolerated the last half hour of the show, more power to you. Hopefully, it wasn't too boring. I I try to like repeat what the chat's saying, so if you're not watching the chat, you can understand. Okay, before we finish here, people are asking the chat to, about uh, LOL Wow, aka Gay Sex, Gay Sex, aka uh, Gare, and why I post restricted him. And by the way, since I post restricted him, he's like on strike and won't post. Here's how I feel about the forum and 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 what's known as shit posting. I try to make I try to basically let the forum run itself and don't try to interfere with too much there, but. If something gets to really bother me, then I do something about it. And and I was seeing this guy, like, entering every thread and just hammering off, like, six straight messages, usually of, most of which were junk. Occasionally he'd say something funny, but usually it was just junk. And it was ruining every thread. And I was getting tired of seeing it. And I thought, okay, I don't want to ban this guy, but... Uh, I've got to decrease the number of posts he can make in a day. So this way he'll use them more wisely. And if he doesn't, then he'll waste his eight posts and it'll be done. So I gave him eight posts a day. And then he decided he's just going to leave. He didn't say he's leaving, but he just uh, isn't posting anymore. So whatever. I I just don't like when people dominate the forum with crap. And I, and I get a lot of complaints. Well, what about this guy? What about that guy who's doing it? Like there's people who are claiming that certain others on the forum should have been restricted before LOL WoW was. And I understand that argument, but on that particular weekend, that was who frustrated me. So that's just kind of what happens. Like, just at some point, I get frustrated watching someone and the way they behave on the forum, and I just uh, I take some kind of action. It doesn't happen often. I don't restrict many people. I don't delete many messages. I don't ban many people. But but he's not banned. You know, he can post still. He can post eight messages a day. But I guess he's not wanting to do it if he feels any kind of restriction. Before this even happened, he was already restricted to only post in Flying Stupidity in the bathroom wall. He couldn't even post on the other forums because he was trolling those, and uh, I I kept asking him to stop, and he wasn't listening to me and still doing it. So rather than ban him, I just took him out of the serious forums and left him in the forums that are more open to that sort of trolling. But now he just uh, doesn't want to post because he only has eight posts. So whatever. Up to him. Something I'm looking into doing, by the way, and I might get done in the next week or two, I'm going to try to get a listen phone number for this show. What I mean by a listen phone number is, uh, for those of you who do not have a smartphone that can listen to the show live, iPhones can do it. Some Androids can do it, but some can't. If you can't on an Android, you should get the VLC player and use that. But uh, there's really just some people who want to just listen by calling a phone number. And I know that's the easiest way to do it rather than opening up an app or whatever. So I'm probably going to be setting up soon a phone number that you can call. Not not a call-in number, but just a phone number to listen to the show when it's on. 
It's not going to be a 900 number. It should be. Maybe I'll make some money back on this show. But it will be a phone number, which is a call-to-listen number. So it gives you yet another option to hear this show. Yeah, There's a lot of ways to listen to this thing in the archives. You can go to the radio forum and just listen directly there to the MP3. Which will, again, play easily on any smartphone, including Androids, without an app. You can do it through iTunes. You can do it through Stitcher, which is an app to listen to various podcasts. You can now listen on the TuneIn app. Or you can just get the RSS feed directly, which I provide. Just go to the radio page, which you can find near the top of PokerFraudAlert.com, and choose the way you want to listen. I want to make it easy for everyone to get this show. This Something that drives me up the wall is when I go to a website and it's hard to do something or hard to listen to a show or they don't provide you with all the options they can that would be convenient for you. So I, I try to give a lot of different choices so people can do things the way they want. Susan's asking me, do you like it better when people listen live in the archives or do you care? Um, I, I prefer live because then I can interact with them, but I know a lot of people can't do it. I'm happy to have any listeners who want to listen. But I, yeah, I, I would prefer that we had more live and fewer in the archives than what we have, but okay. Sonatine, he, he doesn't understand about the archives, why we call it that. There's a, a caller who called a long time ago and said something like, when is this going to be in the archives? And he really thought that's the way you say it. So that's what we call it now. It's as simple as that. He wasn't joking. He really thought it was the archives. That's the great of some of the listeners we have here. But that's okay. It's okay if he thought it was the archives. Yeah, some people think I'm really saying it that way because I believe that's the word, the way the word is pronounced. And, in fact, there's a guy who invested in me in the World Series that didn't have a screen name on the forum. He's a, he was just a radio listener. I said, well, I've got to list you some way because I wanted to list everybody who bought it. And he said, yeah, list me as the name Mispronounced Archives. <laughs> so, okay. I think, I think we're about done here. Got our five hours in. We had a co-host that fell asleep. We had a lot of phone calls. We had a story from 20 years ago about a standoff on the log ride. We had a long discussion about mac and cheese. We had a lot of talk about the Republican debate. We had a call from the Spartan. And a lot more that somehow added up to five hours plus. 
Bobby Orr is saying that the archives came from TMLK. I don't think so. He may have eventually said it, but I, I think it came from an unknown. I remember the guy who called. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was just a guy I didn't really know, and it wasn't TMLK, who we've known for years. And I will be back a week from today. It will be on November 5th, I think. Yeah, November 5th. And it'll be at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Pacific Standard Time, because we're going to go back to Standard Time. No, no longer Daylight Savings Time. Going to gain an hour. You'll get an extra hour of sleep this weekend. And, but we'll stay at the same time, and it'll be on Thursdays. I'm actually going to be uh, going to Disneyland soon, probably before the next show. So maybe I'll tell you guys about my experience at Disneyland. See if we have any uh, LOL customer service situations over there. It'll actually be Benjamin's first time being at Disneyland. He's never been there in his life. That's not, not true. He was there as a tiny baby, but he doesn't remember it, so that's not the same. First time he can actually appreciate it. Beer and Poker saying Shalom, be sure to brush your teeth. I will do that. That is it for tonight. Thank you to Handicap Me for donating next week. Thank you to Bad Guy for donating for this week. And thank you to all listeners live and archive and anybody who calls in and any kind of co-host falling asleep or not. We will be back next week. Shalom.